Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. This is episode 85. It's something like June 19th, 2022. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. We're going to be talking a lot about, a lot about uh, past, past week's events. We'll deep dive into what's behind these events so we can understand the contextual history. Uh, usually we take the week's news. We compress it down to like five, six, seven hours. You don't have to watch it all at once. You can take it in a little snippets at a time. A lot of people watching this on a replay. Everybody, welcome. Uh, so tonight we're going to look in... Uh, Bill, Bill Back Better was a plan that Joe Biden had. And recently, like many of the other things he's said, uh, he's got a new plan. It's got a new, better version. It's called Build Bike Better. And apparently he went for a ride on the bike. And everyone knows that, you know, anything in life, it's like, you know, you're, it's like riding a bike. You can just get back on and remember how to do it. And we'll see how that goes for him. Also, this past week, I had the opportunity to go on Sam Tripoli's Tinfoil Hat podcast break open some of the current events and connect it to the contextual history of the past hundred years. So you can see those trends. We might have a sample of that later tonight. There's also the sad news that investigative journalist Julian Assange is going to be extradited to the United States. I believe he's an Australian citizen. I don't know how you get extradited from a prison in Britain to the United States uh, for journalism. We're going to learn about that and his struggle over the past probably 10 years. He's been incarcerated as a political prisoner. Now, like Ross Ulbricht, who is also a political prisoner, who is held in the United States under a double life sentence. Julian Assange has suffered uh, at the hands of, of politicians. It's not average people who want Julian Assange in jail. It's the powerful politicians and moneymakers behind those politicians who were exposed by the investigations, not led by WikiLeaks, just purveyed, just distributed as a journalistic outlet, much like uh, any other journalistic outlet in the world. And uh, we're going to look deeper into that story tonight and see uh, where it's going to end up. Next, uh, Rand Paul. It's like a Rocky movie. Rand Paul versus Fauci. I think this is part seven. They recently went at it again. And uh, hopefully there was no ear biting or, you know, punches to the kidney. We'll see if Rand was uh, playing fair with Fauci and we'll dig into the latest events. And then BLM was a big topic last year. It's also a bigger topic this year. Of course, I'm talking about Biden's laptop matters. It's also the title of this episode. Biden's laptop matters. There was a particular news story on this topic. It was a monologue by Tucker Carlson. Then he had a guest. I heard some stuff come across the TV that I never thought I would hear about an American president. And it's a sad, tragic, fascinating tale that's taken two years to get to us. Because as we all know, Hunter Biden's laptop was uh, acquired back in uh, October, right before the last election. The diary surfaced soon thereafter uh, by Hunter's sister. And it was kind of just, per you couldn't talk about it. It was, you, you know, you, if you talked about any of those topics, you were persona non grata, you were banned, you were blacklisted. But now apparently two years later, it's okay to talk about this news because they feel that they've gained so much ground based on the lies and cover up that it's okay to talk about it now. So we're going to be covering that story tonight. Last but not least, we're going to go or kick off tonight for uh, this episode with Luke Radowski from wearechange.org, bestpoliticalshirts.com, and lukeuncensored.com, I think are the sites. All right, now let's, Luke, let's let Luke bring you this condensed, super, super distilled version of uh, several of the biggest news events, and then we'll get into the longer form content of tonight's episode. Let's kick off. Thank you. 
You could bet your bottom dollar that Kamala Harris probably cackled at the latest videos that are being sent around all around the internet of, of course, the president of the United States falling off of his bike, which a lot of people represent to the larger falling of everything else. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Okradowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we have a lot of absolutely crazy important news to get into in this particular video, as, of course, even the corporate media is changing its narrative about the future of the Democratic Party, as, of course, things are not looking good for the future prospects of the current president of the United States. Lots of memes to talk about, lots of collapsing elements in our society that are very important to talk about as there are some core legitimate issues that of course the corporate media does not dare to touch. Lots of really bad things out there and we are going to be doing our best in order to try to make sense of it here on this independent media broadcast. But before we do, the clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was a video sent to me by a friend of mine from a channel called called Memeology, and uh, we're going to, of course, link the full video down in the description below. I have no idea who this person is. They might be good, they might be bad, but I like to attribute everything we use here on this independent media broadcast for, of course, full credit, as this, this compilation here uh, is, is absolutely very telling of future political opportunists that are going to be taking advantage of this situation. Now, things aren't only looking bad for, of course, the President of the United States. They're also looking bad for Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, a journalist in the true sense of the actual profession that right now just had his extradition to the United States approved by the UK government as a British interior minister just ordered him to be sent to the United States to face espionage charges, even though he is not an American citizen. And the crime that he's being accused of is a crime that, that corporate media outlets commit almost every single day. What are these charges related to? Essentially doing what journalists are supposed to be doing, and that is reporting on things, highlighting things, and holding governments accountable through releasing information directly contradicting their lies. The corporate media routinely releases information that they're not allowed to have, that they're not supposed to have, whether it's Donald Trump's personal records, communications, whether it was Watergate or just anonymous government sources. The corporate media routinely does what Julian Assange did, and yet he's being punished for it mainly because he did it in a way that exposed a lot of big, dirty secrets within the helms of government to the point where the United States government plotted to assassinate him kidnap him, and even poison him for launching a media organization that didn't politicize the release of information to the general public. They just released it. And now Julian Assange is going to be sent to the same government that literally plotted his assassination. This is definitely a major story that deserves a lot more attention than it's getting, as of course it's a major travesty of injustice that is highlighting the bigger lies in our society today. In related bigger lies in our society news, we have this bombshell by the Daily Mail that is talking about how the director of the World Health Organization, General Tidros, has allegedly confined in a senior European official that the sickness that has affected the world within the last two and a half years actually did come from a laboratory inside of Wuhan from a, quote, catastrophic accident. This, as of course, Mr. Thedros essentially covered this up from the very beginning. The Chinese government is also a big supporter of Mr. Tidros and his current position. Right now, he is maintaining that all hypotheses are remaining on the table of what 
what happened, of what actually led to this, this global sickness that spread the world, as of course, previous sicknesses of this specific types took over 10 years to investigate and find out the source of. But very interestingly, right days after the world found out about this, Magically, all these international globalist health institutions and world governments knew exactly where it came from, which, of course, was it was extremely suspicious. Oh, wow, that wasn't a coincidence at all. They knew exactly the exact spot, the exact wet market. They knew how it was caused right off the bat. Yeah, that, that doesn't uh, scientifically make sense at all. And, of course, there is an overwhelming amount of circumstantial evidence highlighting that what allegedly Tidros is talking about in private is actually the case. We were talking about this from the very beginning. A lot of people were actually censored, deleted, had their economic futures ruined on the internet for even discussing these specific theories out there. And now it looks like the people expressing these theories absolutely had merit to do so. Now, as an independent media organization, I do have to say once again, our record on reporting on this entire scandal has been right on the money. If you, if you go back and you look at what we've been telling you, what we've been looking at, you compare that to the corporate media, we have absolutely been right on the money as of course, many, many, many times the corporate mainstream media was absolutely wrong. Was this accidental? I don't think so. That's just my own theory, as of course the lunacy does not stop here in the United States, as now America is the only country in the world that has authorized an intrusive procedure to this sickness for infants five years old and under. Now, why is the United States d d doing this? Why, why aren't any other countries in the world doing this? Well, I, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not an expert, but I think this is worth at least questioning. As of course, there are some very serious concerns here, some worries here. We're going to be talking about this probably tomorrow on LukeUncensored.com, but I think it's fair to say that there are still a lot of people who have been extremely affected by the trauma-based mind control and fear-mongering of the corporate media. A lot of people have just been so emotionally damaged that they're just absolutely irresponsible with their behavior, but you could fight that right now. Now, by getting a t-shirt on the bestpoliticalshirts.com and spreading important obviously the latest events uh, with the president of the United States falling off his bike yesterday uh, I think representatively symbolically highlight the larger declines in our society as of course we not only got a lot of memes from it, but overall, this is the perfect representation of a falling, failing empire that a lot of people are questioning the legitimacy of. And, and truly, it, it, it's sad that, that someone falls off of their bike. Luckily, no one was, was hurt here. But at the same time, the response here is worth noting and reporting on, as of course, it's highlighted the disdain that a lot of people have for the current political establishment. And it's not just right-wingers and conservatives that are, of course, are, are, are disappointed with the Build Back Better Great Reset policies that the Biden administration has been implementing in warp speed, but it's also a lot of fellow Democrats who, of course, were promised a bill of goods that were never delivered. The opposite was, was actually delivered. The price of everything is going up. People are being looted and robbed, regulated, taxed to high
high heaven, as of course, inflation is one of the largest taxes that a government wages on its population, and there's a whole lot of inflation. This disappointment, this disdain, is now even shockingly being represented by the corporate media, as even The Atlantic came out and wrote a very blatant article talking about how Joe Biden should not run in 2024 for the presidency of the United States. This, as, as of course, it was the corporate media that literally put him into the position of power. Now, it's the same corporate media that, of course, allowed him to literally be in a basement as he was campaigning that is making the argument saying enough is enough joe and i think that sentiment is being felt everywhere as of course many people have compared to what's happening right now in american society to the collapse of rome as of course alcohol consumption is at an all-time high rising poverty rates homelessness are increasing mental health decreasing physical health being obliterated and financial prosperity only being limited to a special few individuals who have friends inside of government, as of course, larger economic disruptions only pave the way for future financial problems that, of course, everyone will be facing. This, as the borders to this country still remain wide open, with the federal government planning to dump immigrants in cities all across the United States, bussing them in, flying them in, using your taxes in order to do so, ensuring that wages will stay low, housing prices will stay high, as, of course, this always happens with high immigration of course, worsening the problem that many Americans are already facing. This as criminals are allowed to run rampant as the justice system is being politicized to the point where people are only being punished because of their political ideologies as the government tries to disarm the public, trying to make them defenseless so they have to rely on local police departments like the Uvalde Police Department for their own personal protection and safety. The same police department that, by the way, now just we're finding out hired a private law firm in order to fight against public records requests so the general public does not find out what they did a few days ago at a school that, of course, the whole country is talking about. Yes, the Uvalde Police Department just hired a private law firm in order to fight people finding out against what really happened on that horrible tragic day inside of that school. The law firm representing this police department, Denton, Navarro, Roca, Barnell, and Zek, show you how ruthless and soulless some lawyers could be. As, of course, I think it's fair to argue that the police officers who have been lying through their teeth have told multiple versions of events here are absolutely covering up something extremely sinister that they do not want the general public to know. We, we still don't know what that is. I think it's fair not to jump to, to any assertions here, but it's without a shadow of a doubt that they are hiding something very, very dark that they do not want you to know, as of course, we're also getting other reports that new surveillance video footage inside of that school is highlighting how the police officers, quote, never attempted to enter either of the two classroom doors that they have alleged to try to get into. This yet again contradicts their official version of events, which absolutely should have no merit at all since they have been lying through their teeth. What happened to these children is important. We deserve to find out. We should have some transparency and accountability here, and we have absolutely none of that. We have the exact opposite of this, and this is the event that politicians are using, an example of why 
only the police should have the ability to defend themselves, which is absolutely mind-boggling. The politicians, the media pundits allegedly care about these children. Well, if you actually do, we would care about their protection and we would try to find out what happened here in order to protect children in the future. But let's be fair, the current political establishment doesn't have the best track record of taking care of children, especially their own, as of course we have some major bombshell details surrounding the Ashley Biden diary story that we're going to have to save for tomorrow. Lots of crazy things. Lots of insane things happening, and it's only going to get more insane from here. Strap in, put on your seatbelts, because, man, it's going to be a bumpy ride. That's my perspective. These are... It's going to be a bumpy ride. Looks like an uh, interesting summer coming up, and uh, there's a lot of stories we could dig into there. I think the next one, for sake of uh, continuity of that last thought, LD will tee up that, uh, that Tucker Carlson... Uh, monologue from earlier this week speaking about ashley biden's diary so even though hunter's by hunter's laptop matters so i got this new sticker from joshua hill i just put it on the uh, document cam there i think that's a good place for it to live it's a good recurring theme i think that's gonna be a relevant piece of evidence going into the future also his sister's diary that was left uh behind someplace and then somebody else found it and then went to project veritas and james o'keefe tried to return it several times tried to go to the lawyers for ashley biden tried to go to the fbi and what did he get? He got his journalists raided. Then he got raided. Then he got his whole phone leaked by the New York Times because they call that journalism leaking. Of There's been a lot of journalists who have been persecuted over the past, not just since Assange started, but if you go back to like Gary Webb and, uh, you know, Danny Casalero was a journalist once upon a time who started looking into these things. So there's a lot of journalists over the years. There's this guy, Michael Hastings. He had a problem with uh, his Mercedes. Apparently the GPS just took it into a tree or something like that. Something like this, you know, but these like, like Putin said in Russia, we call them political assassin or you call them political assassinations, but in the United States, it's just journalists having accidents. Right. So um, that story about Ashley Biden's diary has yet to kind of be investigated, excavated, put out to the public. So I think Tucker's monologue and his guest did good justice to kind of getting this out into the, the public sphere for investigation, examination. Hunter's laptop is entirely online. You can get the files. You can see uh, the search history, all the evidence that should be used in a court of law is just out there for people to download and ogle over. Um, everything I wanted to mention was we probably had some tech hiccups in the first couple minutes of the show because LD is in the studio right behind me, along with Joshua Hale and a whole uh, bevy of autonomy graduates who have gathered here before we go up to the New Hampshire Porcupine Freedom Festival. And so uh, Tony is doing the live streaming tonight. And I think there was a buffering issue with like some of the music or some of the high fidelity muse, uh, uh, sounds that were coming across. We're working on that in the background. And I just wanted you guys to know like, it's not the usual setup, but we don't have any excuses. We want to make sure we had the show for you tonight because there's a lot of news. And if you just Wait till next week or something like that. You're going to miss all that you're going to see tonight because we wouldn't have time to cover it. Oh, okay. So let's go. Uh, LD, do we have the uh, the Tucker Carlson clip? Did that give you enough time to get it? Let's see. Yeah, I have it. All right. And you're real quiet, Tony. Tony's got it. All right, cool. And you sound clear, LD. Good job. <laughs> and Tony was probably just leaned away from his mic or something. Could be. All right. Tucker Carlson's monologue. Not from last night. I think it was from two nights ago. So this is still news. 
Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, happy Friday. We're going to bring you back to a story that we covered at the time, but whose significance we didn't fully understand then. And it's definitely worth revisiting. So just before dawn on November 4th of last year, a team of masked FBI agents wearing bulletproof vests showed up at the home of a journalist who works for the investigative media company Project Veritas. They pounded on his door. They said they have a warrant. Let us in. We know what happened because it was all captured on camera. Here it is. I'm sorry, so what is this regarding? This is the search warrant. This c open up. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. My hands are on. So there's another team coming? Yeah, I'm going to start. So maybe we'll spell out until I get you out. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. It was serious. They had weapons. They barged in. They went through the whole place. They tore the journalist's home apart. There's another team coming, they said. And they were right. Two days later, feds hit the home of Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe in Westchester County. So why were the FBI coming to the homes of employees at Project Veritas? What did they do? Were they involved in a human smuggling ring? Were they bringing fentanyl in from China and killing more Americans? No. The FBI believed that Project Veritas was in possession of or had information about a diary written by Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden. The FBI claimed that diary had been stolen. We now know the FBI knew that diary had not been stolen, and it wasn't. But as James O'Keefe pointed out at the time, and didn't have enough people hear him when he said it, what if it was stolen? Having a stolen diary is not a federal crime. So what in that diary was so important that Joe Biden sent FBI agents to get it back? Here's what O'Keefe said. The tipsters indicated that the diary included explosive allegations against then-candidate Joe Biden. The tipsters indicated that they were negotiating with a different media outlet for the payment of monies for the diary. We attempted to return the diary to an attorney representing Ms. Biden, but that attorney refused to authenticate it. Project Veritas gave the diary to law enforcement to ensure it could be returned to its rightful owner. We never published it. Now, Ms. Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation, claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the president's FBI and his Department of Justice a diary? So. Everyone in American media hates James O'Keefe because he covers them. So they ignored this story and they never answered the question. But the question hangs in the air and it's a real one. And we're quoting, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the FBI? Why were they doing this? Well, the answer lies in what's in the diary. And now we know what's in the diary, thanks to a new piece in the Daily News, which has a copy of the diary. Josh Boswell is a reporter there at the Daily Mail. He broke this story and he joins us with the answer. Hi, Tucker. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. What is this about? So we've looked at the diary. Um, we've spent a, a lot of time considering carefully what to report from it. And um, what we've chosen to report are some pretty serious things that Ashley, the president's daughter, wrote. She wrote that she was musing over whether her father was sexually inappropriate with her when she was a little girl. She mentions in the diary showers with her dad. 
Um, she also talks about them being probably not appropriate. Um, she writes that down on one page in her diary. And she also refers to being hypersexualized at a young age. There's a lot of references in the diary to her um, repeated uh, spells in, in uh, rehab, her um, relapses with drug abuse, alcohol, and sex addiction as well. And there's some truly kind of shocking things in there as well about how Joe cried. He, he was brought to tears over worry for his daughter um, just before a democratic primary debate. So we can now know, because of this diary, that there are several things that would be extremely important for national security. They not fall into the wrong hands, for example, the Chinese, right, or, or the Russians, who could use this as blackmail if it wasn't published. So that's why we decided to put this out there and why we think that it's important that the American people know this. Well, it's, it's prima facie shocking. I mean, fathers don't shower with their daughters at an age at which they remember it, uh, of course. In your reporting, did you see any potential, and I know this wasn't the focus of your piece, but potential crime that would justify a pre-dawn knock raid by the FBI? Yeah, this was um, an area that we covered in, in our reporting. We really wanted to find out how did the diary get from where it was to, um, you know, to being published online. And it was left by Ashley in a house that she stayed in for a while after she came out of rehab. And then the next person who came to that house found the diary under the bed. And they're not actually being investigated by the FBI for, for stealing it. They're being investigated f for selling it. So I don't know if that justifies a dawn raid on, on the people who got hold of the diary, who bought it from them. But the person who found it, she is being uh, investigated for selling it. That's the, the alleged crime that the FBI are looking into. Yeah, which is not a federal crime. Josh Boswell of the Daily Mail. Great to see you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're going to recap a lot of what you just heard. This has been out there for a while. It should have been the focus of a lot more attention than it has been. We hope to change that. So here, once again, are the words from Ashley Biden's diary. Quote, I have always been boy crazy, she wrote, hypersexualized at a young age. I remember somewhat being sexualized with a family member. I remember having sex with friends at a young age. Showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. So Ashley Biden wrote this in the context of her struggle with sexual compulsiveness in later life. And she attributes those compulsions to the fact that her father took showers with her in a way that was, quote, not appropriate. Now, we have no reason to doubt that what she wrote is true. She did not write this for public consumption. She wrote it in a diary that, as you just heard, she accidentally left behind in a halfway house in Palm Beach, Florida in June of 2020 during the presidential race. The woman who took the room that she left, a single mother, found that diary under the bed. Now, if you are the father of daughters, ask yourself, is there any explanation for that behavior that is justifiable? And there's not. It's sick and it's horrifying. Now, Ashley Biden doesn't say how old she was at the time she showered with her father, but obviously she was old enough to remember doing it. And by the way, little kids don't take showers, they take baths. Inappropriate showering with your own daughter? If that's not child molestation, it is definitely close enough to justify a police visit. 
But the police have not visited Joe Biden. They're not investigating this. Instead, the FBI is breaking to the homes of journalists who brought it to public attention. And now, according to the Daily Mail, again, you just heard this, the feds are investigating a woman called Amy Harris, who had the misfortune of finding the diary. To be clear, none of these people committed crimes, certainly not federal crimes, and yet they are being harassed and tormented by federal law enforcement because they embarrassed Joe Biden and spilled very dark secrets to the world. And the effect is to intimidate everybody else in the media out of covering it. And that's why you're not seeing media coverage about this anywhere. It, it's enough to make you reassess stories that you have read about Joe Biden in the past that we probably didn't take seriously enough. But in the light of this, we take them very seriously. In the run-up to the last presidential election, several media outlets did run stories, and they included videos and photographs and first-hand testimonials that documented Joe Biden's habit of touching young women, often in ways that made them visibly uncomfortable. A lot of people laughed this off. It doesn't seem quite as funny now. You're seeing a small selection of those pictures on your screen right now. In a particularly creepy picture from 2015, Joe Biden leans in uncomfortably close to the daughter of Senator Chris Coons of Delaware during a signing-in ceremony. Joe Biden would also frequently comment on the physical appearance of very young women. Here's just one example from May of 2019. What I'm going to do, if you give me a dress, I'm going to write you a longer answer and tell you the exact things I would do, okay? Okay? Promise? I'll bet you're as bright as you're good looking. I tell you. <laughs> to be clear, Joe Biden has not simply over the years and recent years been accused of making women uncomfortable. He has been accused of rape. You remember that a former Biden staffer called Tara Reid, whose story, again, we probably didn't take seriously enough, alleged that when she was 29, Joe Biden pinned her against a wall and penetrated her. Now, she was immediately attacked by Democratic partisans. You're a liar because it, actually they don't believe all women. But then a phone call, a contemporaneous phone call that Tara Reid's mother made to the Larry King show corroborated the fact that happened. She said her daughter had left Washington because of the actions of a, quote, prominent senator. Now, at the time, the media just buried the story or laughed about it. Joe Biden responded by promising to be more mindful. And that was it. This is from April of 2019. I've always tried to make a human connection. That's my responsibility, I think. I shake hands. I hug people. I, I grab men and women by the shoulders and say, you can do this. And, and, uh, and whether they're women, men, young, old, it's, it's the way I've always been. The social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. But I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I've worked my whole life to empower women. I've worked my whole life to empower women. I just care too much. That was his explanation. And a lot of people bought it. But now that we know that he behaved in such a way that his own daughter believes made her sexually compulsive in later life, which is a classic symptom of abuse, it's time to reassess this. As Joe Biden said the words you just saw, his own daughter, the same daughter's life was collapsing. She was campaigning for him as she was going to rehab. And it's worth noting that right after Joe Biden's apology came out, yet another woman publicly accused him of sexual misconduct. That woman is called Vail Conert Young. And she said that when she was a White House intern, Biden, quote, put his hand on the back of my head and pressed his forehead to my forehead while he talked to me. I remember he told me I was a, quote, pretty girl. So at this point, no more benefit of the doubt. This man is a creep. Well, Biden was doing the same thing to his daughter in the shower, was he? We know that he showered with her in a way that she felt damaged her. 
If there's anything that deserves an investigation, it is this. But of course, the FBI is not looking into it because Joe Biden controls the FBI and said they're trying to cover it up. And by the way, this is at least the second time that Joe Biden has used the FBI to hide drug abuse and allegations of sexual misconduct with minors within his own family. And both those stories came out this week. The FBI also swooped in when Hunter Biden violated federal gun laws and was accused, according to his own text messages, of being a, quote, pedophile by his girlfriend slash sister-in-law, someone who presumably would know since she was within the family. Of course, the FBI never charged Hunter Biden with anything and said they hid the existence of his laptop for more than a year, despite the fact that laptop contained evidence of multiple felonies, not least numerous FARA violations. And FARA is a law that the White House now tells us they're enforcing with maximum vigor. But here the president's son for years represented foreign governments in Washington without registering as a lobbyist. That is the definition of a FARA violation. Has he been charged? No. And instantly, the FBI still has that laptop. They claim they've been investigating it for years now. They've done nothing with it. And while the feds kept the laptop locked away, Joe Biden told us with the back of the intelligence community that was all Russian disinformation. We are in a situation where we have foreign company, countries trying to interfere in the outcome of our election. His old, own national security advisor told him that what is happening with his buddy, well, I, won't, I, should, well, I will, his buddy, Rudy Giuliani, he's being used as a Russian pawn. He's being fed information that is Russian, that is not true. I have no response. It's another smear campaign. Right up your alley. Those are the questions you always ask. So to be clear, at the moment that Joe Biden was telling the country from the debate stage that that laptop was, quote, Russian disinformation, the FBI knew perfectly well that it wasn't because they had it. And they knew it wasn't Russian disinformation. As anyone who looks through it for about 15 seconds knows, it's real. And they knew that. But there was not a single leak from the FBI saying, actually, candidate Biden, you're lying. So there are two big points to take away from this. The first is Joe Biden should not be running this country. No one who has run his own family in this way should be in charge of anybody else. His behavior as a father is truly dark, even by modern standards. Biden should explain immediately why he inappropriately showered with his own daughter. He should be asked that at his next press availability. His chief of staff, Ron Klain, who runs the country, should be asked, you work for a man who showered with his own daughter and by her own account distorted the rest of her life because he did. How do you feel about that? And at that point, Joe Biden should resign and at the very least spend the rest of his life trying to repair his own children who need it badly. And the second point to make is that Biden is using the FBI as his personal secret police, dispatching them forward to crush and intimidate and prosecute people who get in his way or his family's way. Maybe that's not surprising from a guy who spent his entire life living off taxpayers. He believes he owns the Department of Justice, but he doesn't. And the fact he's behaving as if he does is scary as hell. We cannot let the FBI become enforcers for politicians and their families. If we allow that, it's the end of everything. Harmeet Dillon is managing partner of the Dillon Law Group. She represents Project Veritas in this case. She joins us tonight. Harmeet, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Tucker. So we spoke about this when it initially happened. But it's ever more clear that Project Veritas 
and, and the woman who sold the diary committed no crime, certainly no federal crime, and that Joe Biden is using the FBI as his personal secret police, and no one is saying anything about it. Absolutely right, Tucker. And when you look at the search warrants that were served on our clients and executed, each of the four claims involves the word stolen, possession of stolen property, uh, conspiracy to transport stolen property across state lines and so on. All stolen, 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 stolen. But guess what? All along, as we said, and now as the press is reporting independently, nothing was stolen in this case. And so that begs the question, how did the FBI get search warrants? How did multiple judges, by the way, sign off on search warrants, not just for the property that they seized, but for months beforehand, emails, 200,000 of them? And the answer is, somebody must have lied to a gullible or willing FBI who then passed on those lies to federal judges. Uh, who are those people? Almost certainly members of the Biden family and their legal representatives. And so once we finally shut down this abusive uh, investigation, get our property back and see what was in those search warrants, which by the way, the ACLU and Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press have filed applications for, then there needs to be a criminal investigation into the lies told to our federal law enforcement and get to the bottom of that. And that is relevant to how the Biden administration is weaponizing the DOJ and how powerful lawyers in New York City were able to call up the DOJ and simply run roughshod over the protections of the First Amendment, the Privacy Protection Act, DOJ regulations, and common law protecting journalists. Tucker, as you pointed out, so what if the property was stolen? From the beginning of this case, the DOJ knows that it is perfectly legal for journalists like James O'Keefe from Project Veritas to run with stolen property and publish it. It's protected by the United States Constitution and the United States Supreme Court. So this should never happen again to any journalist of any political persuasion, Tucker. No, of course not. And I'm, I'm waiting for the first brave reporter to ask the question that must be asked to Joe Biden, which is, why did you shower with your daughter in a way she described as not appropriate in a way that she believes made her sexually compulsive in later life? Why don't you explain what that means? I think we have a right to know. Harmeet Dillon, I appreciate all the work you do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tucker. That was Tucker Carlson. Um, see, there we go. Get Rich back here. I don't know if my mic's working or not. It's really low, dude. But I can take over. So uh, while you get that adjusted. So first off, <clears throat> happy Father's Day, everybody. Do you ever wonder what the Father's Day table is like at the Biden house? I'm hoping that maybe Kyle Dunnigan is out there right now making us a video to show what it's like with, hey, dad, Hunter and Ashley Biden and Joe Biden and the whole Biden clan over there and uh, what's going on. The next part is this, this thing with uh, children being accosted or molested by occupants of the White House. It is not a new thing with Joe Biden. Let's review some history. Let me take you over here to, there we go. We got a book called The Franklin Cover-Up, Child Abuse, Satanism, and Murder in Nebraska by Senator John W. DeCamp. I believe this is a, 2000, a 2006 edition, but it was published in the 80s. And in here it talks about, uh, you know, uh, George W. Bush and Warren Buffett and the Population Council and a whole coterie of people who, let's say, uh, derive some of their power from 
taking their power from children. This is not an isolated case. Let's also go to, I believe it was June 5th, 1989, front page of the Washington Times. Call boys took midnight tour of the White House. And on the front page, I believe is a published credit card receipt from the call boys taking a, a midnight tour of the White House. Also during the administration of George W. Bush, right? So this went on under Reagan, under H.W. Bush, uh, under W. Bush. And under W. Bush, you had this guy named Jeff Gannon, who was a former male prostitute turned White House presser asking questions and having access to the White House in a way that other press kind of journalists did not. Nighttime access to the White House, if I recall. So Biden's diary, Ashley Biden's diary uh, is news. It was news two years ago, along with the laptops, because there's two Hunter Biden laptops out there. Uh, these are these are not new trends. It's kind of sickening. It's tragic. Um, but you need to know about the history of these institutions that are claiming authority to change the world in ways that are very permanent and take away individual liberty and freedom. And, uh, you know, John DeCamp's version of the Franklin cover-up is the original version. There's also a new book, new recent, like last 10 years, by Nick Bryant. Uh, the Franklin cover-up, I believe, is also the title of it. It's published by Trine Day Books. I recently just did an interview this past week on Chris Milligan's podcast. He's the publisher of Trine Day Books. So I don't have a copy of that, but I would like to get a copy of uh, the updated uh, Nick Bryant version of this crime syndicate that was preying on children back then. And where was Joe Biden? He's been in culture, uh, in politics for 40, almost 50 years, probably at this point. He's around during this. He survived it during this. So he rose the power during this. So this whole thing that we're seeing today has a long trail of abuses, uh, ominous continuity of these types of predatory actions. And what we're hearing this week with these news stories just is like little pieces in a much larger puzzle. Now, Tony, let's uh, let's see where your mic's at. Uh, test one, two. Is that any better? A much easier for me to hear you. It's still a little low, but I can hear you. Okay, I'm just trying to prevent the artifacting and it exists. Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing it right now. No, we're doing so far so good. All right. Okay. So um, I also wanted to mention it wasn't just Reagan and Bush and Bush and Biden. I'm not going to address Obama right now, but let's go well, back. They to just Podesta and like, I know that it's spurious. In a little bit hot. It's coming in a little bit hot. I mean, it's but it's I mean, it, I'm just trying to point out a continuity. Now, that one is a little yeah. bit there isn't a strong I shouldn't say. The evidence isn't as conspicuous as it is, especially with the Franklin cover-up um, when it comes to Reagan and George H.W. Bush. And obviously with right. George Bush, what you mentioned. There's well, much more uh, forensic evidence associated with those. Now with Obama, you have the, the, the what was leaked from um, uh, the email server. And when we see what was leaked and when you get into it, there's a lot of strange code words. There's obviously the FBI symbolism that's been that they understand and utilize for pedophile groups. There's a lot of like weird correlations and coincidences a lot. So it's not as strong evidence as there is in like the Franklin cover up. But um, it's, it should be mentioned 
that, you know, sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire and there needs to be more investigation and research into what might have been going on with that. So I, what I'm th- attempting to point out is not saying that that is for sure, you know, something akin to the Franklin cover up, but there does seem to be an ominous Deep continuity. If you, yeah, I just was reminding you since you're streaming, put yourself on screen. Yeah, yeah. We had a code word work that was beep, boop, beep, 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 boop. I might just put long, it back so. on so it automatically picks up my. Maybe we got camera. a gallery shot. We'll work out during the next clip. The other thing is, Rockfin chat, how's Tony's mic? He turned up the gain. It's a little hot over here, but if it's good for you guys, I can make it. No, it's too high now. Well, I mean, it's pretty clear. It was just loud. But I wanted to make sure the stream was getting. As long as there's Tony. no digital artifacting. I didn't hear any when it was loud, so loud and proud. Is that better? It's good. I right. turned it down. Yeah, it seems good. We okay. yeah. just keep rolling forward. So what I was saying with uh, Clinton is the conspiracy of silence documentary by Discovery Channel that they canned and that was took in shelf, what, 96 right? or something. Four, it was like, 20. yeah, 1995, 1996. Mm-hmm. And it goes over um, the Mena, Arkansas murders of children in the name of narco-terrorism, CIA secret projects, Barry Seal, and uh, the things they whitewashed in a movie with Tom Cruise called American Made, where he plays a 300-pound drug dealer. <laughs> so there's the truth, you know, uh, and then there's the Hollywood whitewashing of it for culture, so you don't look up the real stories behind such things. It also has right, to be so, mentioned, like, let's not forget about, uh, I have to put myself on screen, Epstein. So obviously yeah. I'm not saying there's any connection with Ep- there isn't there's no direct connection that I'm aware of between Epstein and Biden but just the cont again this ominous continuity of high profile political families that seem to be connected with you know uh grooming services pedophiles you know those that uh are the most unseemly and metaphorically speaking completely demoniacal in society you know, it, it, what's interesting is there seems to be a history of also the potential to bl- uh, blackmail and compromise these types of families. So when I look at Biden's family, Biden's as far as like the Biden political family, they're kind of new on the scene. They haven't been around for that long. They're not like the Clintons or the Bushes like they sort of came on. Now, yes, Biden's been in the Senate for a very long time. But I remember I was reading a piece. Oh, I forget it was it was a one of the major liberal newspapers, probably like the Washington Post, and they were talking about how Biden sort of came in as sort of the new kid on the block in Washington, D.C. And my first thought is, well, that would make him very easy to compromise. And so hearing about the Ashley Biden diary isn't surprising because if anything, the powers that be, meaning the billionaire corporations that support not only the Great Reset Agenda and the World Economic Forum and so forth and so on, but also support Biden and um, as being a puppet for that sort of agenda, are going to look to those types of uh, political families to build them up, to give them clout, to make sure they're in positions that they can, you know, do their bidding, but they're also sort of compromised. So it's no surprise to see that routinely these types of politicians we find later on have skeletons in the closet, whether it's, you know, well, Clinton in the uh, yeah, Epstein Black book and, uh, you know, Lolita Express. How many no, times? Actually, technically, I think it's a 29 page Gucci. <laughs> portfolio that Epstein had. It's red. It was red also. It's red. Leather. It's a red leather. That's what the reports say. Yeah. So you know, and I thought only twenty nine pages. So there's like one page per letter plus a couple extra notes pages maybe in that thousand dollar Gucci binder. <laughs> a little bigger than a moleskin notebook, huh? Hey, speaking about being smooth and Gucci, uh can we roll that clip of uh, our smooth move president? Doing the X-Lax thing with the bicycle. 
Sure. Let me uh... build bike better. I think is like it goes with that new plan. He wanted to unveil that new plan. You guys saw when he drove that truck that time. The the new energy efficient truck. Okay, him behind the wheel. They put him on a bicycle. I couldn't believe that. Like I understand. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm less surprised by seeing a circus animal ride a bicycle than hearing that Joe Biden was on a bicycle. So I haven't seen the footage, <laughs> but I have heard about it. How I'm pretty sure a circus animal could do a better job than Biden. I'm sure Putin's got some dancing bears, or maybe, maybe some Grateful Dead. Got to be careful with the bear. Biden. The bear analogy, because never know where that might go. It's Pride oh. Month and bears, and we just talked about the uh, Franklin cover. Next thing you know, it's all gonna be an Owen Benjamin reference. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like bears swallowing uh, the little girl and eyes wide shut at the end. You know all those. Bear, words bear with us for a minute. We're getting this clip. Yeah, no, I'm ready. It's ready to go. All right, let's roll it. I like to ride uh, President Biden bicycle. is spending the weekend in Delaware. He was out for a bike ride. He hit a, a tumble. Come on, man. <laughs> What's he saying? Of course, they show the video. We need that Queen song. I want to the ride took my a spill there. Oh, there's the actually screen, uh, the, uh, the pool. there's some great memes. There is one with that. Oh, do you want me to bring that up? Because there's a there's couple of memes. There's an original Pink, Pink Floyd song. I'm pretty sure. Let me go find that because I was just watching Bicycle that recently. Song. It was pretty. I funny. got a whole thread of memes on the bike. Yeah, topic. let's see some memes yeah, on yeah. it. Because they didn't even funny. have like the the money shot there. We just saw the, know, know, the yeah, cameraman course, looked CNN like he was more. A little shocked he shakes his camera around to give it an effect let's see here, here how do we, we know they didn't stage that for effect There's a did he really risk himself crashing it might be part of the uh the sideshow you know the uh circus show clown, where they're trying to make him world? seem yeah like he's so unbearably world. incompetent but maybe he's more right, some people some memes here we go let's cut to the memes Mm -hmm. This one's kind of funny. That, that didn't work. I want to ride my Come on, man. <laughs> That's beautiful. So he had come to a stop and just kind of Some. missed his leg when he went to lean over. Oh man, <laughs> bike up the, oh, the ramp. Yes, there's a bunch of dumb memes. Uh, for people on the audio stream, you got to narrate it. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, From there is fine. That's yeah. Mortal Kombat. That's pretty funny. Explaining memes and words isn't as funny. As yeah, it's just not. <laughs> Teleprompter Biden, round one. Oh, walking up the tarmac, part uh, round two, walking up the stairs. Oh, and the bike finishes him off. That's a pretty good meme for nerds like there me. There you go. It's a LGBTQAIP, whatever, all the. There we go. Oops. Mm -hmm. Wrong. I don't want to do that. And then button down. 
So yeah, there's a bunch of oh, this one's let's see here. Got some octagon memes going here. <laughs> Takedown. <laughs> what the fuck? Is those bear mittens? Like what are these? Like whatever. Yeah, yeah, there were no memes around when H.W. Bush had call boys in the White House. No. Well, I don't know why he's on a bicycle like that. Yeah. yeah Isn't I'm he like 82? 77, 78 or something like that now. Mm. Yeah. He rides so. a bike like he's 82. All right. So tricycle, they have those tricycle bikes, White House. Maybe give him an extra wheel. You know, like, could save that guy like a skinned knee. But I know the White House has like a heck of a first aid kit. So <laughs> have at it. All right. So now on the show card... <laughs> which is long and prestigious. What do you think we should go to next, Tony? Now we got kind of like uh, the cover story for this episode done. How should we wade into it? And how should we attack the news from the week? What kind of strategy? Um, so, I mean, it's as usual, like uh, Ukraine, Russia, I mean, it's somewhat died down. There's another couple billion dollars, another billion, I think we're sending over to Ukraine again. So that's something to work, look that's out for. The oh, there was this European... Sorry. The lost cause, or when you already <laughs> invest in something, what's that? Uh, uh, zero sum money game fallacy, back. or something? sunken sunken cost fallacy. Uh, sunken cost fallacy. Yeah. There you go. That's good learning right there. Okay. What else we got? I, I like to call it zero sum game because no matter which way you play it, you're going to lose anyways. Um, so Ukraine, Russia, vaccines locked in. Same one. Uh, the same sort of flow. It depends if you want to jump to vaccines locked on therapeutics. A big section tonight was uh, the technology, economics, and politics section. A lot of political nonsense going on, but I don't know if it's vitally important. I guess I can put it on screen so you can see it better. Well, let's um, look at it like this. From the perspective of the time capsule for this week, what would people in the future hope to find? Right. Like all oh, that big news story. I think we should play this small clip by this European politician, which talks about the Ukraine war and how Europe's starting to sort of change their their perspective of continuing to support it. Oh, that was a pretty interesting little tidbit. And um, then we can go to maybe I'm kind of curious to see what Russell Brand had to say about this lab leak, because I know last week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a know. good clip for sure. And then. uh the Bitcoin crash and it started to come up. I saw like it, it started to uh, for how long it'll back. come up for a little bit. I don't know if it'll get up to the yeah. high as it was, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot moving and shaking with society. <laughs> uh, this past week, we also had the, the Fed raised interest rates mm -hmm. the most since the 1990s. And that was their starting move of the game of starvation. <laughs> yeah. 0.75 points. I mean, just ridiculous. It's so small, but yeah, that's uh now Yellen's coming out saying, "Don't worry, this will offset this any you know concerns of a recession." They're printing trillions, right? Yeah, Come on, it's a joke. It's a little. They treat joke. us like we're children. Yeah. So we'll go here and. Uh, a Europa. Look. Let's see what's going on in Europe. The past week in Europe on Grand Theft Auto. 
African Union calls for suspension of anti-Russian sanctions amid rising wheat shortages. So the sanctions on Af- on Russia aren't hurting Russia. The Russian ruble are stronger than ever. You know what's hurting? It's hurting poor people in Africa. It's hurting people in Europe. It's hurting people in America. There's going to be food shortages. And they already have $9 a gallon gas in Mendocino County, California. So this big idea of Joe Biden and NATO to put sanctions on Russia over Ukraine is the worst idea ever. Macron and Schultz and Drahi meet Zelensky in Kiev during historic visit. There they are meeting. That's a pretty room. Boy, for a war going on, they certainly have a pretty room. I guess Putin doesn't want to bomb that pretty room. Are those um, pride flags? They're very colorful. Those look like pride flags. I hope they're only eating bottom-friendly food. <laughs> Schultz, McCrone, and Jay likely asked Zelensky to resume negotiations with Putin. So the reason why Zelensky, who is wearing a T-shirt, <clears throat> is not negotiating with Putin, it's not the other way around. It's not Putin not negotiating with Zelensky. It's Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, not negotiating with Putin. Why is that? Because he'll be killed if he does by the Nazis in his own military, and he'll be uh, killed by NATO. Why that, isn't he wearing his leash? I don't know. Ha <laughs> ha! So here is uh, our favorite member of the European Parliament, and here's what she has to say. The head of the African Union calls for an end to sanctions because people in Africa are dying, and an MEP comes in here and bemoans it. I have to say the arrogance is striking. Russia's invasion was a godsend to the worst elements in European politics. NATO dodged being obsolete. The arms manufacturers are getting blank checks. And the Eastern European far right got to bully the rest of Europe into prolonging an unwinnable war against a nuclear armed neighbor. But the hundred days of hysteria are dying down. Fractures are emerging slowly, too slowly. Western Europe is coming to its senses. Schultz and Draghi want to build peace. Macron is against humiliating Russia. He wants exit ramps. But the extremists in Eastern Europe backed up by the United States, are happy to see Europe wrecked in order to undermine Russia. We don't need more of this lunacy. We need a change of tack, not to deepen it. We need to end this debt drive. We need diplomacy, de-escalation, and multilateralism. These are worse than the Miami Cubans, the the Eastern... uh... (laughs) So... Some people know what's really going on, Kurt. I mean, everybody's going to find out soon with that big famine on the horizon. <laughs> like, So I like to play uh, whenever she gives a speech like this. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't it be crazy? Wouldn't it be great to hear a Democrat in the United States Congress that the Democrats who control the United States Congress actually say something like that? Wouldn't it be the things they used to say just? Yeah. Stuff Two they used ago? to say just a couple years ago. <laughs> just a couple years ago. Things they used to say. Keep voting Democrat, you morons. Hey, we're doing stand-up. Keep voting Democrat. Uh, you know, it's interesting to note, I thought Jimmy said something pertinent there and salient in regards to the reason why Zelensky cannot consider uh, getting peace talks with Putin. Uh, he's backed 
not only is he backed by NATO and the the member nations of NATO, and namely the United States, but also he has propped up alongside the United States, especially George Soros, these far-right extremist groups in the Ukraine. Um, it's pretty, if you go online, you can find some pretty unbelievable documentaries in regards to the modern propaganda that the, the, the average Ukrainian is being fed in regards to their sort of independence in the 18th century, early 18th century, mind you. Um, and this idea, before it became obviously part of Tsarist Russia and then the USSR, um, it actually happened in the 18th century, saw themselves as this distinct indigenous group, and they sort of pinned themselves as being Cossacks, and that they're completely distinct from Russians, and that they're, you know, their own ethnic group. And it's just sort of like very far-right, sort of extremist, identitarian sort of uh, rhetoric that helps support uh, this this polemic, which is being utilized uh, to the point where it's become detrimental to Zelensky, because he's, he cannot back down. Even though it's impossible for Ukraine's population, their infrastructure, the fact that they have no ability to really defend themselves in any capacity, to be able to continue to prolong this war. Um, they are going to lose the territory that the Russians have already essentially planned to to have control over, which is on the eastern front of the Donbass region. The question is whether or not they're going to cross the Dnieper and go into Kiev, um, or Kiev, however one wants to say it. You know, that's that's remains to be seen. I, but at this point, I think Russia's gained the sort of strategic and uh, territorial uh, aspects of the reason why they invaded, um, considering that it's made up of mostly um, uh, Russians or people who are against the current uh, Ukrainian establishment in the Donbass region. So it's over. But Zelensky can't back down because he's either going to be killed by NATO forces by like America or the, the, you know our allies, or they're gonna he's gonna be killed by this far right you know Azov battalion extremists like Operation Gladio style, just in the 21st century, <laughs> and so he he can't back down. There's like he's he's caught between a rock and a hard place. The old cliche goes, and I thought that was a pertinent and very Those salient point. a lot point. of rock songs from the 90s, dude. <laughs> he won't back down. So he won't back down. <laughs> but it doesn't see Tom Petty like, doesn't what? really go with the six inch heels. So that Zelensky wears when he dances on stage because hmm. he's a comedian who there was somebody talking the other day and they're really making a thing of him playing that piano with his junk. They're like, can you believe that this guy who played the piano with his penis? Now the president of Ukraine. I was like, that's, you know, we've, it's a known thing. They just don't talk about it much on what TV. What about the grower with high it heels? It would take away any. It would take it. It would. It would pull the rug out from under anyone who takes Zelensky seriously, or any of that type of movement seriously. Once you see those two clips, and then Zelensky like in his T-shirt posing for Time Magazine and stuff, and going to the Grammys, you can then see it for what it is. Yeah. But if you don't have those contextual clips of the history of Zelensky before he became president, he was on a show where a comedian became president. And the guy who owned that network and that show is like, so it's like Zelensky plus the, his his handler, the billionaire, I forget his name, uh, equals Trump. Like Trump had that all on himself. He had his own show and then he became president and he's a reality TV guy. Zelensky was just like a cookie cutter mold. We're using a younger guy and they extrapolated the billionaire part to just give him, uh, to make him, to, to, for that position to be filled by somebody who's completely dependent on whoever the shadow billionaire is behind him pulling the strings. That's the gist. 
Yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, I was, I, got, I was on mute. That's all right. Um, I got LD in the next room looking for a clip. That's why I, was, I didn't know if uh, if he found it yet. Or, uh, so, yeah, but I was going to bring up real production shot. All right, cool. Yeah, just drop it in for dog. Bring it up. But I just wanted to bring up a point real quick. Um, it reminds me of this documentary you watched over like ten years ago. I think it was two thousand nine when it came out. So it's been twelve or thirteen years ago, excuse me. But uh, Star Suckers, because at the end of Star Suckers, they sort of mentioned that the movement towards politics is going to be uh, electing celebrities. Ironically, we had already done popularity this popularity contest. Popularity contests, and they go into the evolutionary characteristics of why we tend to want to emulate the leaders or those most popular in our society, and how detrimental that is to our society, and how they're they're grooming young children to view it this way, and how this is going to lead and end up you know leading into politics. Zelensky is exactly that, except the powers that be, the handlers behind them, know this. They they prop up these 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 false puppets, these caricatures, to tear them down later on. And so Zelensky is nothing more uh, than that sort of fool. Um, you know, when we when we think about, and I wanted to go back, actually, something I saw in the chat here. James, you're exactly right in regards to Russia wanted the eastern territories. They wanted, essentially, the Donbass above the, the Azov Sea, if I remember that's what you're called, and to the east portion of that. Um, I don't really think they've won anything because the resources are all on that side, as long alongside also Crimea down into the Black the Black Sea, and Sevastopol, which is the you know where they have the large second or the large their largest naval base and the second largest. Yeah, they in the want world. that, that uh, transportation route. And yes, they want land route. They want a land on either route. side to defend transportation route. You got it. So critical to their infrastructure. You got it, and that's you know where there's all that money and infrastructure with the Belt and Road Initiative. I know it's mostly Africa and China, but it's also going into the stands. They want to be able to you know get some of that, get into some of that infrastructure as well, and building and whatever else comes with that trade that's going to happen with those that area in the east eastern step. So over in the stands, the stands, yeah, the stands, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, all these Uzbekistan. Right. So, uh, what what clip you want to go to next? Because I, I my show card is still in the other room. Uh, okay. Uh, did we find? We've uh, dropped it in production. I'll bring it up. It's, uh, about four, it's secret plan to bring America back to British. Is this somewhere? Is it doing? Oh, this is this the song? Sam Tripoli clip. Okay, yeah. So should I play uh, that? Yeah, it's rich. Rich talking a tin foil hat. Okay. Do you want to say that or should I play it? Uh, let's do this to put it in context. Play like Sam's intro and then skip. Like my story, because you guys know yeah. it, you watch the episode, and let's get to the juicy parts where I laid out some evidence where I think it was pretty substantial. When I broke, when I broke out the book cam, which I thought I had done on his podcast before, but it's like mm-hmm. I brought a couple special books. We started going through them. We had a pretty good time, and um, it was a lot of fun. And I think people who check it out in its entirety would would learn if they don't know the story. It's a good chance to learn uh, the context behind what's going on, and uh, I look forward to doing it again. So let's check out. Yeah, we'll so, just play. What do you got? Yeah, it's it's like forty-one minutes in, or maybe forty-three is that. Where, okay. Yep. Well, forty-three is where you go to the Rothschild book. Before that, you're looking at the Last Will and Testament of, of Cecil Rhodes. So that starts about uh, thirty-seven. Thirty-seven minutes in. Okay, thirty-seven. All right. So let's yeah. dip to like his intro of the situation because they they cut their intro after the interview, right? So we do the interview. I split. They cut the intro. And uh, that kind of sets the whole thing up. And then we'll jump into like 37 minutes. So if you're watching it on Sam's Rockfin page, and I think that's the only place that's available right now, uh, check it out in its entirety. It's a good convo. It's a lot of fun. Let's see what the clip brings us. 
tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Hey, pause it for a second. All right, I just remember, in this intro, Sam Tripoli is, he's, um, he's pitching, he's on tour right now. They're doing stand-up comedy, him and Eddie Bravo. They're going to be in Florida. And I thought it'd be great for Patrick Bet David to interview Eddie Bravo and Sammy Tripoli. And they're going to be in town. Now, I could tweet that at Patrick Bet David, and I will. And I'll, like, uh, tag Eddie and Sam if they check. If you did it as well, and Patrick Bet David saw 10, 20, 30 people suggesting that interview, then in a future week of Grand Theft World, we'll play you a clip from that episode. Of uh, that interview, I'd like to see that happen. Let's see what happens. Go. Let's go ahead and we'll let Sammy pitches uh, his comedy tour among, amidst making the introduction. Thanks for the pause. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Paul Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here too. I'm here too. Rock. Join me as always, Xavier Guerrero and Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. How are you guys? Hey, good. Hey, hey. Powerful episode today. Big Powerful time. episode. Big time. Uh, we had for, uh, Richard Grove come on, and dude, the guy made a run for M- Mount Crushmore. The guy made a run for Mount Crushmore today. I haven't read that that many books in a long time, dude. Yeah, you've never read any of those <laughs> books in that amount of time. Uh, you know, but I mean, he came, he crushed it, dude, and it's a great conversation, and it's a really good conversation about understand what they're doing t- to us who's doing it, how long they've been doing it, and what you can do to, to not participate in it, and that is everything. Not participate, pulling your energy out, not getting into these cultural wars that they want you to, 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 to lose sight in and fight with each other. Man, he breaks down this whole thing about the Rothschilds and the South and the North and the South. It, game changer, in my humble opinion. Game changer. They want, they want mutual destruction. Mutual annihilation. And when you fight into it, today's the day I'm going to stop participating in Twitter and going after all this shit because I just realized I'm feeding into it after this episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it, guys. Listen, we're going on the road, man. Uh, Eddie, myself, we're going to Florida. Guys, grab your tickets. Now, trust me, this is the show you want to see. Eddie is fucking fire right now, and my new stuff is Crush Fest, and it's time. And, you know, I know things are getting tight out there, but these are the shows you want to see. These are the shows, because they are epic, and guess what you do? You get to vibe with your tribe. You know what else I'm going to start doing? Meetups. We need to run those. Local meetups, where you meet up with people from your neighborhood. All right, I'm done with that. Tim Fall Hat Meetups. So, you know, hey, man, hey, Swarm, swarm Cincinnati, Swarm Florida. Maybe we could do like a live stream for the people that meet up, you know, like a... I'm going to bring it up. The other day I was at the gym and a Swarm member ran into me. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to say he ran my ear off, but he had no one to talk to. 
and like I felt like he like had things to say that he just can't say at He's home. He's listening right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's fine. But I, 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 I understood why he sat there for like ten minutes. I was like, and I was like, because he has no one else to do it. Yeah, with. I have my release right. here with you guys. Right. right. But you're right. A meetup for them would be like, yo, can we meet up once a week and be like, yo, let me in on what you know, right. what you know. Right. right. That's gonna, what yeah. I think we should do. So January, June seventeenth, Tallahassee. June eighteenth, Jacksonville. June twenty first. Dude, Assassins Only. This is a show. I already have some killers on it. You're going to want... It's only $10. I know some you of the killers. You have to take his word for that, but... No, take my word for <laughs> it. I want to try to do something different. I want these people to be able to go up and work in a, in a space where they don't have to worry about who's... Oh, everybody's like, oh my God, they were so mean. No, dude. We're getting back to savages. You got to do that, but then leak it. You know, that's what these uh, bands do. They do uh, these secret shows. They they say, oh, secret show, but then they leak it a little bit. Guys, a month from now, we are, we have a, I got to take down July 14th because that's a comedy chaos at the comedy store. And then after that, on June, July 15th, I'm in Morris Plains. And July 16th, I'm at the Dojo Morris Plains. Go grab your tickets now. And then San Francisco should be up. Yes. yes. So here's what's happening. I'm doing a show in the early show. Then the second show is Tim Fall Hat Comedy. First show, Sam. Second show, Tim Fall Hat Comedy. It's what they wanted. Come see me do an hour of Crush Fest. And then the second show, you can see either me, me, Eddie, Xavier Guerrero. Maybe we'll have Johnny come up. Can't guarantee anything. But Johnny loves San Francisco and butt oh, stuff. He killed on. He killed I've at the American been. Comedy Club. Never yeah, been. Johnny, can we work that. on some non-Sam Tripoli's a piece of shit material? <laughs> I was complimenting you mostly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sam's great. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's illiterate. I, what? I, 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 I had Johnny, nothing I'm, about your joke. Oh, my favorite joke. joke was I... His eye, his phone couldn't read his face because he was so fat. Oh, you remember that funny <laughs> joke he did about how fat I am? Because you're totally no, right. no, it was no, it was how fat you were. I, said I just you saw great. Jo a Josh Wolf is like shredded, dude. I I wish I could do that, dude. I mean, we would just have to like eat so proper. How much do you have to work out to get like that though? How many days a week? I mean, he, his kids are older, so he gets to go to the gym when. How many days a week is that? You think probably a couple times more? Okay, I think it would be like four. Four is that too much for you? That's a lot, dude. Well, Johnny, you you, you get working, up yeah. at two in the afternoon. No, I don't. I mean, I'm here. To, we we record at one. How's you're that? right, Johnny. I mean, I'm just you're very sensitive, guy. So, guys, go check out my website. I, I do get up at two in the afternoon. You do. Okay, go home. Go <laughs> he's, pounding, he's pounding. He's pounding late at night. Hey, you're right. He's pounding so late at night. I wish. I wish. Is, August fifth and sixth. I'm in San Francisco. Go down a little bit, guys. Everything you need is at samtriplee.com. Tim Fall hat. Uh, all my. Listen, I must say something. Times are getting tough. I know this. That's why Rockfin, in my humble opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, is the greatest value out there. $10 a month, you get everybody's content. There are 400 content creators on Rockfin, and you get all of their stuff for $10 a month. Just me, I'm putting anywhere from four to six episodes every week. Every week, look at this, dude. All this stuff you get on there for $10. It will be the best value. I know there's a lot of people who have are still on Patreon. I have a Patreon with the uh, Cash Daddies. That's great. But, dude, $10 a month for all the content you could ever want on 
Rockfin. It's the best deal out there. And we uh, just dropped a Broken Cinema on Rockfin, unedited, and the regular one just came out. Audio, check it out. Audio, check it out. Two and a half hours of me talking about my life and surprisingly entertainment. Time traveling uh, Elizabethan hooker this week. Yeah, hooker wenches, dude. Time traveling hooker wenches. What? what? Sam encountered a time traveling hooker. That's the tease. No, go back and see. Eddie Bravo is the number one show. And on, I think Rockfin now. Yeah, he said Jamie Kennedy was great. No, he yeah. was telling me the other night that Jamie Kennedy was great on there. The whole Dude, we gotta get great. Jamie Kennedy on. Yeah, I think he would be. Oh. Jamie, good, we gotta get him on. Can. We got Jamie Kennedy. I'm gonna reach out to you. You're gonna get on Conspiracy yeah. Social Club and. And Chingo Bling on. Alex I mean, dude, Stein. all the greats. All the greats. He's coming to Heisberg. Like, look at nine that. episodes all the greats, in. All the greats. Well, dude, he's one of the best to yeah. do it. I mean, look at those killers. Yeah, really. Who wouldn't want to talk to Eddie Bravo? Who wouldn't I mean, want to? That's the dude, easiest sell in podcasting. Dude, you can ask Xavier Guerrero. Eddie Bravo is the Jamie Foxx of Mexicans. Yeah. Dude, he can sing. He can fight. He can sing. He can do it's comedy. Really. His wife is hot. If His you think kid about is it, cool. I mean, the guy's killing. What? If you think about it, yeah, it's kind of depressing. It's, a little. it's well, like he yeah. got more points for his yeah. video game character than the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, you know I mean? somehow, <laughs> dude, he just got more than all of us, yeah. which is fine. We love him very much. Guys, uh, what else do we got? Um, t-shirts. I need to come up with some new T-shirt ideas. This guy sent me one, but uh, we'll talk about it off here. I just don't know if it's been done before. Well, we got to work on that. Uh, telegrams are fire, bro. Telegrams are fire. Let's go to samtriplee.com. Click on the tinfoil only conspiracy telegram or the zero one. And you'll begin some new zero episodes. I'm sorry. I've been uh, really slammed. But do almost 500 people talking conspiracies. My cameos are fire. William T. Stead died. Minds makes the beers, which was a monopoly. And being influential. Ratings. Yeah. For both what sides. makes this show great is you guys know that. You see the left right paradigm and you stop playing that. Now you see them both. Like they do a little bit on both sides, right? So you have to be discerning. You have to look at all the evidence. You have to weigh it for yourself to make informed choices, decisions, judgments in life. These sort of things come to salient conclusions that reflect reality. And in order to do that, I advise, like the way I've done it over the past couple of decades, is I like to get the artifacts from reality. What is the evidence? Right. So I brought you guys a special piece of evidence today, but before I can show you this, I got to tell you a short story. Ooh. Once upon a, once upon a time in the late 1800s, there was a, a very powerful press magnate in journalism uh, over in Britain. His name was William T. Stead and William T. Stead became famous not only for being in charge of newspapers and being influential, but he did the first ever interview something we see and take for granted every day. He, his interview with the, was with a British general named Gordon who had subjugated India. And in like 1886, they get together, they publicize the results of their interview as total propaganda on their part to build the empire. But that's the origin, right? So William T. Stead, he then becomes friends with this guy, Cecil Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes was someone who was uh, funded by the Rothschilds, goes down to South Africa, takes over and consolidates all these mines, makes De Beers, which was a monopoly, has some gold mines, dies at an early age, uh, like 41, and he's friends with Rudyard Kipling, who was an imperialist, Freemason, spy type guy. So um, uh, Rudyard Kipling, Rhodes, William T. Steed, Stead, some people say it's Steed, uh, they're thinking about how to serve the empire. 
Now, Freemasonry has a goal. British Empire has a goal. So what Rhodes did was he became uh, useful to those bigger, larger groups, a secret society and an empire, and maybe even the financing family behind him, the Rothschilds. So he's satiating the he's kind of like Machiavelli helping the the Medici's. So Rhodes is facilitating not his goal. He believed in it. But he heard it from John Ruskin and Oxford and Conan Doyle also had this goal. So there was a lot of British people that wanted America back into the empire. And Rhodes said, let me take my immense wealth and create the Rhodes scholarships and a secret society for the purpose of bringing America back into the empire so they could take over the world. This started in 1902. Now, William T. Stead died in 1912 on the Titanic. There's a memorial to him in Central Park, even though he's a British British press magnate. I have William T. Stead's own copy of the book called The Last Will and Testament of Cecil Rhodes with elucidatory notes added by the, uh, to the text by the editor, who is William T. Stead. So I'm going to show you an artifact. I bought this from the guy who bought Stead's Review of Reviews library, and this is something you can find online. So even though I'm just going to show you a rare book, you can find the PDF readily. So let's try like oh, this. Here we go. Nice camera angle. Yeah, I got this too. Let's see. Let's see if we work like that. Whoa. Right, oh, oh. Oh. Yeah, see? Somebody's hat, Fancy. I'm setting a new bar. All right. So Last Will and Testament, Cecil Rhodes by William T. Stead. Someone once paid 75 bucks back in the pencil days. And then here's the... Uh, Here's a picture of Rhodes. That's what he looked like. Here's the title page. And there's a lot of juicy quotes from here. And I'm not going to bore you guys with all the evidence of the new world order, but I'm just going to read like from this one page right here. I think it was because I, I found this. Here we go. No, that's not it. I might have to go to the, the standard. There was a, the interest excited by the publication of the daily papers, of the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes justifies and explains the appearance of this volume for the marginal like notes in the margin and footnotes, as well as for the chapters describing the political and religious ideas of Mr. Rhodes. No one is responsible, but the editor and that's William T. Stead. So this is Stead's book and we can check out Rhodes's writings, conversations, correspondence. He has his last will and Testament on page three. So let's go to page three. You guys can actually see here's the last will and Testament. Here's his burial place. And when you go through this book, now this is one of the few books I haven't highlighted because of the the value of it. Usually I just mark up a book. Um, He created the scholarships at Oxford. When we get into page like 70 or 65 up here is, uh, here we go. On this page, like, so if you did a freeze frame or I could even, uh, let's go back full screen and zoom in for you. Damn, Right, they're starting to work. Workout. Rhodes stated when he got to Africa, he read out his ideas, and he got influenced by Lord Rothschild. And this is William T. Stead, Review of Reviews. So the guy that I got this book from, he bought the entire library when that went out of business and had it. And I found him. And so here, page 64. This is Rhodes in his own words. Please remember the key idea discussed with you is a society copied from the Jesuits as to organization, the practical solution, a differential rate, and a copy of the United States Constitution – for that is home or home rule or federation. So they're saying we can be in charge or we can federate America in and have the house of commons in America and like split it between there. And then the world that America is in the forefront. So they're saying America's in the forefront of developing tariffs 
And then he goes on to develop the plan. Now, Stead is his co-conspirator. So this is literally a conspiracy because Stead, in his own words, he's like, yeah, Rhodes and I came up with this whole plan. So you have some of it in those, his own words. And it, here, here's a, like a money shot. Page 73. What an awful idea. Well, I'm sorry. What an awful thought it is that if we had not lost America or even now could arrange with the present members of the United States Assembly in our House of Commons, the peace of the world is secured for all eternity. So what he's saying is, like, if we could just get America back into the empire, we could take over the world and secure peace. That's a good reason. That's why a lot of people get into this plan. They're like, we want world peace. This is what they mean. They mean an English speaking world. They called their idea the English-speaking idea. They wanted the English everything culture to be spread around the world. And Rhodes uh, contributed heavily to this endeavor. So uh, they're talking about American rule and still building up the case for bringing America back into the republic. And then there's more writings where he talks specifically about the uh, the Jesuits. Yeah, bro. That, that marker fell out. So my point with that is, like, that's an artifact. It's hard to dismiss. It exists in reality, right? There it is. You can read it. Now, Rhodes Scholarships. A hundred years later, almost, you get this book by James H. Billington, Fire in the Minds of Men, The Origins of Revolutionary Faith. This is an excellent history book, and it is just as big as one of the volumes from Gulag Archipelago, right? It's a good, thick book. The important part is this guy, he's credible because he's taking these records from the Library of Congress. He was the librarian of Congress, He's also a Rhodes Scholar. So this guy, Billington, has impeccable work. You want to learn about the occult origins of organization and the Illuminati and what actually exists and the Pythagorean secret societies and all this sort of stuff. That's great. But he also tells you about like the origins of America and the secret societies and all sorts of other things. One of my favorite references in here is like right about here. Damn, dude. The, The origins of the word intelligentsia. Right. So like that's a word and here it comes into our, our language. This is romantic globalism. This is 1800s. They haven't <laughs> they haven't figured it out yet. But um, globalism. cybernetics, technocracy, all the origins of all this stuff are in this book. And here's another. This is one of my favorite ones on 231 here at the top. In 1843, B.F. Trantowski invented the word cybernetics to describe the new form of rational social technology, which he believed would transform the human condition. In his neglected work, the relationship of philosophy to cybernetics or any part of, or or the art of ruling nations, right? Get get what they want cybernetics for. It's the same thing that Plato had cybernetics in his book, The Republic. These people have been working on this stuff for thousands of years and they're getting really close to extinguishing freedom. So I'll continue. Uh, or the art of ruling nations, he also invented the word intelligentsia. So back in 1843, you got cybernetics and intelligentsia, all the things that they've used in the 20th century being developed. So this is a fantastic, like you want to get someone a good gift for Christmas, you go find, they don't sell them new anymore, I think. You get them a used book like this, start marking up some of the pages. I'll show you one more, just real quick. I sent a copy of this. (laughs) I sent a copy of this to Luke Radowski a couple months ago. Because they're always talking they're always talking about civil war on the Tim cast, right? They're talking about civil war. I'm like, Hey, here's the letters right before the civil war. It's called a casual view of America. The home letters of Solomon de Rothschild, 1859 to 1861. He was here. Solomon de Rothschild was a 27 year old scion to the Rothschild banking family. They were interested in opening a bank here in America. Their current representation was 
uh, August Belmont. And August Belmont's son is also called August Belmont, so it can be confusing when you research it. But the point is that August Belmont uh, was the Rothschild handler in America, their, their influencing dealmaker, and he was in charge of the Democratic National Party, which also was supportive of slavery at the time. Now, the conservative party, the Republican Party, comes around like 1858 or something like that because they're an, they're an abolitionist group, right? So there's a culture clash between the Democrats and the new Republicans right around this time. And this young Rothschild kid goes and stays with all the elite families of the North and then all the elite rich families of the South. And he really sides with the South. So in his letters, he calls Lincoln a thief. You can see why they would have a motive to possibly move against him, right? So uh, Confederacy had the favor of the Rothschild banking family. They were not funding the union at that time. Abe Lincoln had to make his own greenbacks because he had, fa- like he did not uh, take up the international bankers on their offer. And that was part of how the Civil War created. So when you read the letters in here, and when I have a couple episodes where I've done so, um, there's things like the North and South, here, here it is right here. Let me zoom you in real quick so you can see it. Bam. Johnny, you need one of these. So this is uh, April 28th, 1861. Right? Do you guys know when the Civil War started? Xavier? I think it started uh, maybe March 1861. I think it was already going on a couple weeks right now. That's the correct answer. But No, I don't don't know. It could have been 1860. No, I think you're right. Uh, Let's see. I'll just read the... 1861, guys. I, right, I, cool. I, you know, give you guys enough rope. You hang yourself. That's what happened. There. All right. I didn't like hey. letting you do that, but I had to. <laughs> so, so when I sent it to Luke, I highlighted all the pages. I marked all the pages, just like I have in my own copy, so he could readily avail himself of such uh, evidence and information. So this is New Orleans, 28 April, 1861. I'm just going to read the highlighted parts and leave out some of the fluff. Having been in both the North and South, having heard all the conceivable arguments in favor of each side, I had the desire to form a completely independent opinion. The abolitionists were the extremist Republicans, the fire, I'm going to get it up on screen, the fire eaters or secessionists, the extremist Democrats. Fanaticism in the extremist parties always win out. And exactly as I expressed in my forebodings to you a long time ago, he's writing letters home to the Rothschilds in Europe and Britain. So he wrote, wrote home a long time ago. He's been telling them this abolitionism on one side and secession on the other dragged along the moderate neutrals despite themselves. So he's saying this extremism brings people who even don't have a political opinion into the fray. Yeah. The two. Yeah. The two reasons pushed uh, pushed the people of the north and south to seek to destroy slavery by any means. I'm sorry. The people of the north to, to destroy slavery at any means. The first, which was advanced by those who wished to dazzle, to win over the chivalrous hearts and to gain the sympathies of Europe was a simple humanitarian reason. In a free country like America, there must be no slaves and complete equality must reign in all ranks of society. That's how he perceives it as a European royalist. The proof of this reason was not sincere uh, is that the proof that that's a reason is not sincere is that the abolitionists spent millions to incite uprisings among the slaves or to induce them to flee their masters, but let them die of hunger when they were free and gave oh them no means God, and dude. gave them no means of improving themselves morally. This is 27 year old Solomon de Rothschild. And this book is printed by Stanford university, 1961 on the centennial. It's by Sigmund diamond who also wrote uh, Compromise Campus about how they corrupted schooling. But the real sentiment that guided them and that they did not dare to admit at this time 
was the spirit of leveling. Everyone must be equal in abjection. Is that going on today? I don't know. They cannot tolerate someone in the South having 200 arms for his use while they only have their own two. This sentiment was the first seed of social revolution, which is at this very moment taking giant strides behind the political revolution. The cause of the South had many supporters. Uh, the cause of the South had many supporters in the North, but these supporters were more inspired with self-interest than one belief. They knew that with the support of the southern states they could never retain power the state of affairs might still have lasted for years if the two so they might not have gone to civil war if the two divisions north and south democratic party had not split the convention so rothschild's guy belmont is running the democratic party splits the convention and kicks off civil war solomon knows this he's just not he doesn't write that part but that's provable in history that he was their bag man here each supporting a different candidate they abdicated power to a third thief lincoln the choice of the Republicans, right? That's motive. They also have money hold on, and opportunity. Hold on, break yeah. that down. What? So the the Rothschilds purposely yes. split up the the Democratic side and allowing yeah, according the, the, to Solomon de Rothschild in his own letters, which is why Stanford published it a hundred years later. Let me show you like the more. This is I'll show you the money shot for this. Holy fuck, bro. It's yeah, like it's all dividing cotton. And that's what I'm saying with all this shit going on right now. These guys don't understand what is happening. They're, uh, they are being mentally manipulated into yeah. infighting. 100%, 100%, and you see it clearly. Page 123, this is the last quote. If 12 million people want us to see, you can't stop them. So the war that the North is going to wage against the South is an unjust, barbarous, and fratricidal war from the side of the people that support slavery, because that's what side Solomon's on. The North and South will attack each other like two locomotives under a full head of steam meeting on the same track. Nothing will be able to satiate their brutal passion for vengeance, but death and destruction. When the two sections have exhausted all their resources, like the fighting fish in the beginning of Dr. No, no, I'm sorry. When the two sections have exhausted all their resources, when they have seen the flower of their youth die, when millions have been engulfed into the bottomless pit of civil war, they will find themselves again at the same point from which they started now, moreover with a yawning gap between them and they're broke and they've lost the flower of their youth and next generation. It'll be necessary to end the war, to write a treaty, to grant mutual concessions for no matter who the conqueror will be, there will be no vanquished. Each side will struggle, struggle to the bitter end for the rights it claims to have. Right. And so seeing clearly from the banker's perspective as they foment this whole civil Holy war in America. Shit, dude. Can I just say that this is so interesting because at this point, you know, if it, 1861, nobody thought that the civil war was going to be what it became at right. that point. Right. None, none, none of the generals. I mean, right. there were a few there were a few generals that had the foresight to imagine it, but none of the politicians. I mean, you see at Bull Run, the, you know, the first major battle of the civil war that We've talked about this before. There were there were uh, people come down from Washington to picnic for the battle. You know, they thought, oh boy, we're gonna have the big battle, and then it's gonna be all over. Everybody's gonna go home. Uh, the idea that he, I mean, this tells you that this person really really had some understanding of of you know the nature of America at the time that they had. And the he died shortly after that. He didn't live beyond his thirties, I don't think. So yeah, they're like, dude, power. you don't write this book, bro. What are you writing this book for? Now we know everything. Now you're telling well, them Well, they were the private letters. They were the private oh. letters to like Lionel de Rothschild and the French Rothschilds. So 
the interesting thing is here's one of the most valuable things I can share with your audience that they can get access to right now. The Rothschild family has an archive. It's online. You can go read these letters for yourself. You can find new, interesting stuff. You can write new books. There is so much to be. So it's rothschildarchive.org. I believe just type in the Rothschild family archive. You're going to see the English speaking one. You're going to see the French one. Uh, it it's, it's fantastic what they have out there. And, um, the ability to just like cruise through there. I used a, a timeline from there recently in a presentation called the underground history of America. And I just use the Rothschilds timeline in their own words. And I'm like, here's what they say about themselves. So I just think that needs to be more widely recognized and known. And I'm not uh, attaching any accused accusations or anything, you know, I'm just saying they exist. They're doing these things. You should be up to speed on what the history is of the people behind currently inclusive capitalism in the world. Right. You know, inclusive capitalism, uh, ESG, all these things that are being supported by The Economist and London School of Economics, that's all their sphere of influence. And they, it's like top down. Reuters, they've been working with Reuters since the 1840s. They had um, the Rothschilds had their own courier pigeon network, which allowed them to translate uh, money across seas, like the first kind of bank transactions they can send from one bank to another bank. They would write in Yiddish, they would attach it to a carrier pigeon, they would send it over the corporate front of that, what became known as Reuters. And then Reuters from that quickly within like 10 years uh, started to telegraph. And then that became the preferred method of transit. But prior to that, the Rothschild carrier pigeon network was used by Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, like all the highest echelon people. And that also gave them strategic advantage in financial transactions of the international variety, which they really kind of pioneered. Which is unbelievable. It's just so freaking crazy. It's right there in your face. And it's just like, if you fast forward to today, you see what's going on. My question to you is this, Richard. Like, I keep hearing about this civil war, this race war, all this stuff. And for me, it's like, it just seems like one side is way bigger than the other. And what's going to come down to this, and it always comes down, is to... Who is like the right versus left? There's way more right than there is left. There just is, man. There just is. You have L.A., New York, and and San Francisco. Maybe you throw Chicago in there. That's a lot of people. Wait, right? what do you what do you, mean, you mean? Voters? But not in terms of voters. But if you said there are more registered Democrats, right there are more registered Democrats than there if are. If you had a war right now, I mean, let alone who's got the guns? Who gives a fuck how many people well, there? Are? Who's the got end, the guns? Yeah, I. You know, it's, so my whole thing is it, it, it's going to come down to. You know, police versus like, right? Or like military and police versus the right. Is that kind of how you see it? Play? And like, and I don't see. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think you, if it really came to Civil War. Let's say it's going to about to pop off. How do you see well, it playing I, out? I think if it really came to Civil War, you would see a lot of the police and the military go home to their families. Uh, just, I mean, they would, I think they would, they would, they would. Uh, All the pretenses of wokeness would be dropped. Yeah. Right. Would, so who is on the left? That has this war happen. Well, you'd have a few people, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying there'd still be people that would, you know, see it as their, you know, following their oaths to, to, to do right. that. Right. There's but not enough black people, people. There's not enough gay people. There's not enough, like, the, the, the elites. Well, they kids would use international are, troops. The, the answer to that question was defined back with the Red Dawn days, that you want foreign troops that don't speak our language, that don't empathize with our screams and pleas and begging and all the things that goes on in those types of gulag archipelago situations. They would use a United Nations force first. Yeah. They would say, economy crash, good. 
They would say civil war better. And then that gives them an excuse to send in an international peacekeeping team. And the United Nations needs to become a global union. And I'm sure it'll be English speaking just like it is now. Like 40 votes in, in the United Nations are countries with the queen on their money, man. It's a rigged game. And if Amer- like Trump got it, like for better or for worse, he got us out. He was talking about getting us out of United Nations and World Health Organization, these sort of things. And I didn't vote for him. And I'm not on board with that. But that was a good stroke because those internationalist organizations, United Nations, World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg Group, Trilateral Commission are all working under the guise of Cecil Rhodes's last will and testament. That's the inner circle that's tying all those things together. And there's a lot of great scholarship on this. Like my buddy Jay Dyer could rap to you for hours and hours about like analysis of the pages and tragedy and hope. But I just tell people like, that's a good thing. First off to have that knowledge. But I tell people read tragedy and hope one-on-one by Joe Plummer. He'll, he'll summarize the Anglo-American establishment and this sizable tome tragedy and hope, the history of the world in our time by Carol. That book is insanity, dude. 10 pages, man. You're like, holy fuck, bro. Okay, so the guy who wrote this book, he has a funny name, Carol. His name is Carol Quigley. He taught at Georgetown's uh, uh, School of Foreign Service, the Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service. He was trained by a Rhodes scholar. He was in contact with a whistleblower from the inner circle, the Rhodes Roundtable. He then mentored Bill Clinton while he was going through the Council on Foreign Relations archives for 20 years to write this book. And this other book that he wrote, The Anglo-American Establishment, clearly has America in distress being overtaken by the British empire. He would not publish his book during his life. He would only let it be published posthumously. He died in 77. This came out in 81. This came out in 66. He wrote this in 1948. Okay. These are real people doing real things in the world. And he was really that scared. But if you read this book, you get all the names and places like, or, or a great place to start out is James Corbett's world war one conspiracy. And the official story of World War I is a conspiracy anyway, so just get over that. Get into, like, the facts. Like, World War I, from my perspective, is Lord Milner's second war, and Lord Milner was the chief guy carrying out Cecil Rhodes's last will and testament. There's Lord Milner and Lord Curtis. And you can hear Quigley himself talking to uh, a 1976 uh, New York Times reporter named Rudy Maxa, where he admits all this stuff. So it's not even, like, conspiratorial or vague. or It's just that people don't know. So I've made it my job for the past 16 years. So everywhere I go, my 9-11's not an inside job. It's a multi it's an international job. And it's like the United States, Britain, Israel, NATO. There's a whole bunch of groups that are in it, plus all the corporations, AIG, Kroll Associates, Marsha McLennan, a whole bunch of places for people to dig into these things. But as long as they keep using conspiracy theory as the excuse not to actually read a book or start to think for themselves or start to map out reality, they're going to continue to make decisions that do not pan out. They're going to continue to do things that do not add up to happiness or success or safety, yes, security or dude. health. Yes, yes, We have to be properly yes. informed, and we know they undermined our school system. Yep, It's not an education system. They undermined us, and now we can take it back. Learn how to communicate, learn how to listen, learn how to think, learn how to take strategic actions that add up to your goals and do that consistently. And that's antithetical to everything that globalists or new world order types of people want us to be doing. They want us to be scared. They want us to be inactive. They want us to be fighting with each other. And I refuse to give those pricks the satisfaction. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with all this, man. I agree with all this. Uh, the U.N., is 100% going to be used to to fucking go to war with us on our soil 
Everyone needs to wake up to that. That and is, they've been trying to take away our guns since like 1960s, Sammy. Yeah, 100 percent, dude. And they're pushing it real hard now. Hey, surprise, surprise. Ten Republicans <laughs> voted for gun control. You guys got to get out of this fucking R's and D's. You got to yes. stop thinking these people. Anybody that wants to run for public office on a federal level should be stared at with skepticism. And then the ones who all run on state level should be stared at with skepticism, okay? You should question all these people. You know, I'm a libertarian. I'm now officially libertarian, right? I, I, I signed up for that. That I, I, You know, I'm an old school liberal. I think if you look at old school liberal values, it's very much into what liberal libertarianism, man. For uh, And Johnny, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that's my real belief. No, you, that's true, and it's backed up. Backed up with facts. The, the origins of the word liberal... Liber comes from Latin. It means book. And it also, so it's a noun and it means book. You learn stuff, but it's also a verb and it means to free. So um, I got this freedom uh, sweatshirt that I designed and it's like the Ramones with the, the presidential seal, but I changed it all around. So it says freedom. And in there it has um, the book. And it has uh, like the, the, the magnifying glass and the writing, the things you would have to do to learn to make yourself free. And then it has a bird, you know, in the logo, it has a bird, but it, the bird's escaping a cage. And you're doing that through learning. So liberalism uh, originally, like 100 years ago, was a really great thing. And it meant freedom for people, respecting yes. other people's freedom. And you yes. get freedom. And it's a very libertarian idea. Yeah. And, they are, you know, so these ideas, these concepts, they have been, our definitions have been changed in the 20th century all throughout you could go back to Frankfurt school type of influences, but they just did it throughout the pandemic with the definition of pandemic definition of a case definition of all these different things. And it's like, when they change the definitions that should alert people right there, they're taking control of the game. That's an offensive move. That's a, that means war when they're doing that and people have accepted it and accepted it and hope that it would go away, but it's not going away. They have plans for the next couple of decades and it doesn't involve America being a free country anymore. It doesn't involve people being able to drive themselves around freely. All the American values, all the great things of our way of life are being scuttled. And there's been people like Charlotte Iserby, uh, worked in the Reagan administration. She wrote a, a book called the deliberate dumbing down of America. It's like a 700 page book. She just passed away recently. Her book, remarkably predicts right where we are right now. The nonprofit international foundations Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie got together to bring America into uh, changing its attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs to be in line, to be merged with communism. That's what you see outside every 100%. day. 100%. Yeah. And I yeah. also believe that this whole McCarthyism was done purposefully to demonize people who call, call out all this uh, Marxism and communism. They did that purposely to make it look like you're stupid. Right. So then you get into also you, you start to get into this satanic panic shit. Right. Of the 80s where everyone was like, oh, getting accused of Satanism. And everyone's like these stupid Christians. And you're like, if you actually look back at what they were saying, they're spot on. Even Tim Dillon, a gay man, said that the 80s. Christians were fucking right 100% in it. And it's all useful idiot shit. It's all these people don't realize they are being used to do 
the hard work. It is my theory. Um, like your average Israeli, right, is being bombarded with propaganda that everyone around them hates them so that they do they fight this holy war on behalf of the bankers who are trying to control the land bridge that fucking Israel represents. The easiest way to get goods from Africa and, and Asia into Europe. It's all be it's all manipulation, man. It's all yeah. manipulation. There was a good documentary a couple years ago called Defamation by a documentarian who was Israeli called Yoav Shamir. And in there, he kind of shows like the trauma-based mind control that is projected onto its own citizens. And that's not even oh, talking I about the Palestinian. This. I saw this Dude, doc. It oh, was, it's wild. Yeah, right? it's so revealing. Talks, yeah, his grandmother, like yeah, there was a whole bunch of people in there that I remember kind of viscerally because I was like, I had no idea, but it yeah. makes a lot of sense. A lot of false no. events, right? And 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 trumped up uh, yeah. shit. To Dude, make, I mean, like, I mean, yeah. I'm not getting into any Holocaust shit, League but in, in, just in think about how much the Holocaust is a part of the identity of judaism today man just how big a part of that is i mean you have people i, I talked to i uh, my buddy's wife was on who does only fans we were talking about that she's jewish and she's like yeah you're raised up is like have two one for you one for your mate and then one for a person lost in the holocaust i mean like think about that yeah slavery is the same thing for it's black mental america, slavery it's, no i mean it's the same as slavery for black america you know that's yeah. brought up as 100 like it was yesterday 100 you know? percent this beating down of this whole thing that these group of people all hate you and it happens to white people as well you have these people who are just like you know white people always racist all this stuff and it's just it's just like it's kind of crazy right now dude it's just it's crazy times and it's all being done purposefully to break us all up and get us all to fight with each other man and i for me it's just like you know i, I want to get into this because i you know my parents were both teachers and they used to go to work and, you know, they, Mike can tell you that my parents, for as crazy as they were, loved helping children like learn. That mm. does, and what we've done now is we've taken away money and making any money in teaching right now. And what these people do is they basically become teachers because they have the thought of helping kids. They get into the system and they're getting paid 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year in modern day so they could have summers off. And no, no, no supplies. I remember my teacher literally like, telling me that she would that. go out of her money and waste money to buy yeah. us markers. That would be like, I mean, that's dedication. Think that's love. that. And why that is done. Yeah, even if you want to be a teacher in the system and help kids, they've got common core. And if I could just uh, just take you over here for a minute, I got, I got to show you this. Uh, I'm going to type in uh, common core real quick. You guys can't see that box, but I'm going to bring it up. Common core, common yes. cards. There we go. Standards initiative. All right. The guy who came up with common core, let me stretch this out a little bit, uh, is a Rhodes Scholar. So when you start to understand that key to the Anglo-American establishment and then you look into these things, and I'm not saying uh, this is not, uh, you know, recognizing a pattern that's not there. There's like, uh, there's names for those types of phenomenon. This is like evidence-based. So his name's David Coleman. Here he is right here. David Coleman. He's a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, and Bill Gates is also in on Common Core. So you can't even get away from these people who are trying to change the world. They're involved in all these areas, you know? They're taking over the educational system. Now, uh, the rock, the, the Rhodes scholars are based out of Oxford university. I have a friend he's on in years now. He's probably all, almost 80. He's from South Africa. He was a political prisoner in South Africa. He was a mentor in medical school to Steve Biko, 
who helped to create the black consciousness movement. There's a famous movie called Cry Freedom uh, with Kevin Klein and Denzel Washington. And if you don't know who Steve Biko is, that'd be a great treat for yourself this week too. Um, Biko had this idea that the greatest weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. And that idea rings true today. Now, my friend who, who helped to mentor Biko, um, being a political prisoner in South Africa during apartheid is not an easy thing to do. He finds a way to get out. So a lot of people make excuses, and I'm not saying those who make excuses are bad people. I'm just saying this guy had no excuses in him. He's from India. His family lives in South Africa. His political ideas got him into political prisoner status, just like Steve Biko. And spoiler alert, the British government tortures and kills Biko at the end. You should know that. That's why maybe why you should watch that movie. You should find out that story. My buddy, who is a political prisoner, gets out of South Africa. He finds a way into Oxford because he wants to learn what is this empire that's ruling over us and making us slaves. He wants to know it from the inside out. He graduates from Oxford. He then went to Cambridge, graduated from there. So he's got a big brain, but he's pretty socialist. He's like communist leaning. He's against empire, though. He's pro-freedom. I can relate to him on these aspects, right? So I've interviewed him several times over the years. And what we think the American flag represents here is totally different how, than how people have recognized it around the world. Of course. Once upon a time, America's flag, I mean, it starts with the opium trade and us copying the East India Company's flag so we can go into Canton and get opium still because Eastern establishment families in America, all their wealth is based on opium. But beyond that, our flag through the 1800s was a sign, a symbol. It was a symbol of hope, freedom, liberty, all these sort of things. Rhodes's buddy, Rudyard Kipling, Get, helps to get America into internationalism in 1898 with Spanish-American War. And he writes a poem called The White Man's Burden. And it says, hey, uh, America, you're white too, and it's your job to subjugate the brown people of the world. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of his poetry, right? And he's a good imperialist friend of Cecil Rhodes. They're both Freemasons. they got a lot going on. So he's, like, writing this to encourage America to kind of – and there's cartoons about it too. If you look up the political cartoons about the white man's burden back then that they ran – there's some racist shit, but it's not America. It's the institutionalized racism of the British empire that never went away. They never fought for their freedom. They never got a constitution. Neither did Canada. You just see they got, they got their guns taken away last week. No more guns because they don't have a constitution. This country was founded differently. The mentality of the people here is something that the people trying to oppress us do not understand. They don't understand freedom. Otherwise, they'd probably embrace it. They only know monarchy. They're like the people in China who have been bred as slaves. They're not yep. freedom minded. They think freedom's a threat. So if freedom's not going to be extinguished Damn. now or in the next 10 years, we all got to raise our game. We got to up our intellect. We got to have better communication and we got to be making stronger offers to the world more consistently. Otherwise we got to go to them and beg for a paycheck and some golden handcuffs. And maybe we can eat the, the white trays of mold and the bugs they're growing for the UN Listen, food, food drives right now. You are on fire right now and you're totally right. And I want to go back to what Cecil Rose represents to me and what we're really yeah. getting away from, which is, you know, it is of my belief that I had a I had a, a relative who wanted to be a cop at one point, you know, and he would go and he's the nicest guy and he would go take these psychological tests and he would fail them to become a cop. And I'm like. Why aren't they want this kid? He's the nicest kid in the world. Level-headed dude. Why does he want that? Well, because they don't want that. They yes. want red line instantly fucking chaos right there. Because that's who they want to send out when they're coming for the rich people. Right? Yes. 
That's what they want. So we, and like, I take a look at these in Hollywood all the time. I look at a lot of these people that are fucking flourishing right now. I go, why are these fucking psychopath, fucking scumbags killing it right now? Because that's what they want to push. They want these people doing their dirty work. So these Rothschilds see the Cecil Rose closet homosexual, which they could fucking manipulate, right, to control... And they know he's a psychopath that wants that will do whatever they want him to do. He'll do, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing across all these boards, and that's why you know Eddie says all the time, everything has to be exposed. And you know, sometimes you go, okay, what are you talking about? And then I go, you know what? He's fucking right. He's fucking right. All this shit is being exposed. We are living in a time, and I, I was watching Jimmy Dore the other day. He's like, dude, I think it's turning, and I think he's right. I would, I'm going to recommend you, Richard, to uh, Jimmy Dore. I'd love to see if I could help make that happen. Cause I yeah, think we watch Jimmy all the time. We play his clips. He's, he's he, hysterical. And he's he better love, news than all those other places, like a guy in his garage. And he's coming to got, our side. Yeah, he, you'll never brain, get him into moon landing, and that's this probably isn't your stuff either. But the moon landing and all that stuff, I I do. I, he asks me to do a show all the time, and I'm always like, five years from now, Jimmy's like, explain to me how they got that golf cart on the fucking moon. Explain to me that. But the point is that he's more and more opening. Like he sent me, he's the one who sent me the whole thing about the 31 year white supremacists that were on their way to the gay pride parade, oh, and dude. luckily the FBI, who seems to let everybody else. I was able to stop it. Yay, FBI. Thank you for helping us. Right? They were able to stop We just them. told our 28 undercover agents to turn the turn the van around. That was that's how we stopped them. Yeah, right, right. And you, know, like, you know they were at least And he's going to Instagram and you just see all these fucking outlaws going, Can you believe these guys are going to gay pride? It's like, dude, how do you like are you a goldfish? Are you a goldfish? Do you not retain any information from what's happened over the last six years? The, the fucking Michigan governor case should have you question anything you ever see on the news. But you don't because you're too busy fucking keeping up with your favorite OnlyFans. And, and they repeat it so much. That's the other thing, Sammy. They repeat it so much. It's just It's like... Even if you had the knowledge, like the, the Michigan thing, that's serious, where the FBI basically had like 14 out of 17 people involved were their informants. <laughs> that's a long train of abuses. I can go back. I mean, we can go back a long way, but let's go back to 1992 or 1993 World Trade Center bombing. There is a tape that exists. You could listen to it right now between Imad Salem and his FBI agent handler, John Antisev, Agent Antisev. It's like 24 minutes, and in there – the guy who uh, was the informant says, you told us to use a fake bomb, but you gave us a real bomb, and what's up with that? And he's also trying to collect his expenses. And the FBI is pretty tight from that call on their expenses for such things. <laughs> so there's a, it was introduced in court. Um, uh, what's the, I forget the, the lawyer's name, Kuby. Uh, I think it was that Ron Kuby, K-U-B-Y. There was a case in New York. This is all on the record. You can go to Wikipedia, type in E-M-A-D-S-A-L-E-M, Imad Salam. You can hear the call yourself. I learned this from my buddy, Jason Burmis back in 2006. I was incredulous. I came home, I listened to it and I was like, wow, but that's one dot. Now let's up our ante. There's a, a book you can get on Amazon right now called terror factory inside the FBI's manufactured war on terror by Trevor Aronson. Who's a journalist down in Tampa in that book. He shows that almost every 
terrorist event after 9-11 that they used to scare us where FBI informants all involved and they were all created so they could advance their budgets. Not my argument, not my opinion. That's in Trevor's book. He's a journalist. People can check it out. So there's a lot of these things that have happened over the years, but I also wanted to touch back on your comment on Rhodes. Uh, I got no problem that Rhodes was a, a single man who was uh, pensioned for homosexuality, buggery, whatever hey, who they call got, it. Hey, dude, banging ass all you my want. Problem, I don't care. My problem is that he created something called the Lavat Scouts because Rhodesia is named after Cecil Rhodes. They were training soldier kids in the woods alone with these older guys. And when you look into the people who founded the Boy Scout scouting movement, oh, international movement, God, Boy Scouts dude. of America, you're going to get back to Cecil Rhodes and his close group of friends and that's also a, a hallmark of Damn. british intelligence using people's sexuality to compromise them yes. and it's always used what they can't stand is when people use it for power they like it but when you use it out of love they hate it so if you're using homosexuality in your life uh, out of love great but th that's how they, they they would see that as a threat i don't see that as a threat they would see it as this is something you control people with with blackmail 100 can, can you explain what you mean by using it out of love? You know what, I mean? yeah. what, what do you mean by that using it out of love it's i don't understand it. just just normal like love, if you're right? just yeah. a gay guy yeah, gay they're guy. like oh, okay. i mean like dude if you yeah. listen to bill cooper he breaks it all down like like their whole goal was to turn everybody gay and then kill the gays that's it's right there in like all this paperwork that bill cooper talked about hiv and all that stuff and we get into whatever that really represents but the whole thing was get people to buy into the gay lights homosexuality and then fucking tell them they have aids and make them take fucking act that kills them it's a hard it's sell well, I got Cooper's Jam right here. This was one of the first books I read back in the day. Like After I became a whistleblower and I started looking for myself and not depending on my education to tell me where what, like, what was the terrain, I bumped into this book. Everyone talks about Behold the Pale Horse, and if you buy it, you're going to be put on a list. And one day, <laughs> you know, right after probably 2001, so it's 10 years after this book's been out there, I finally was like, I need to read what's in this book. Now, I never, never refer to this book as like evidence. I just know that it, it, this book exists and he made some claims in here and I dismiss the messenger and I look at the message and what's the veracity of the artifacts. And when you first read it, you don't know, you don't know heads from tails, but I can tell you that after looking at this book for past 20 years, there's a lot of stuff that Bill Cooper talked about in here that seems to come to fruition in some way, shape or form. I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying like he got everything right, but he got killed on November 5th, 2001, right after nine 11, and he was shot by police in his front yard, defending his home. He had predicted, as well as Alex Jones, he had predicted 9-11. He said they're, they're going to do this thing. And if you were watching geopolitics back then, there was a lot of signs. There I have a Council on Foreign Relations, Foreign Affairs from November 1996 or 1998, in which the people who wrote the PNAC report that most people point at, like, hey, these guys wanted to do 9-11 and they did it, they wrote, uh, Council on Foreign Relations Foreign Affairs article. It's John Deutsch, who was accused by Mike Rupert of uh, drugs and CIA cocaine, uh, Philip Zalikow, who ran the 9-11 Commission report, and Ashton Carter, who later became the, the Secretary of Defense running the Pentagon. So the three people who write this article presciently, right before 9-11, pointing out uh, World Trade Center and New Pearl Harbor and these types of ideas in the same magazine as bernard lewis's osama bin laden new enemy number one right he wasn't you know, so like you put these political articles together and look at their agendas ahead of time it wouldn't be so hard to extrapolate what they're trying to do back then so 
I don't think they had crystal balls or magic powers. I think they read the documents that are easily findable and readable. I agree, man. And it's just, once you realize it, it's all a haunted house. But I want to go back to this thing again. It's just like with this guy. I mean, you have to understand, man. Like, they've got this stuff down. They got the data. They're crunching the data. They know who's crazy. They know who's not crazy. They know how to position certain people in certain places. You know, for me, man, like, you know, when you take a look at, like, the rise of Pornhub, right? Pornhub skyrocketed. They used to brag that they got the 50 million subscribers faster than any other website in the history of time, right? And so you go... We take a look at all these other giant tech companies and we go, wow, they have weird intelligence connections, right? You go Amazon. His grandfather was uh, started DARPA. We have Bill Gates and Microsoft and how, they're, how, they, how the Gateses are related to the Maxwells and all, all of that and how the, the Microsoft's whole logo is a swastika. We get into Facebook and LifeLog. I mean, Google and the CIA. Okay, so why wouldn't, why wouldn't Pornhub be right there like that. If it's the quickest moving fucking website ever in the history of mankind, why wouldn't there have, why wouldn't have some fucking connections? And just think about this, dude. They know what you're watching and they know what, who's commenting on this and who's, they know how long you watch it. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's no other website. Well, what other website is there? There used to be a bunch back in the day, like all those whole. Now it's just everyone just goes straight to Pornhub. Now Pornhub and OnlyFans has a, a eerily similar kind of feel to MySpace and Facebook, where one just sort of showed up out of nowhere and the other one kind of faded to the side, bombarding Pornhub with all of these fucking all of this these lawsuits and all that stuff because there was such shady shit on there people are like why are you letting that happen well because that's how they found out who was in the weird shit yeah. <laughs> all right so uh, this is the first time hopefully it's the only time this episode i gotta claim ignorance because i've never been to Pornhub. i have a hot wife i haven't seen anything like that i no one's I have a crippling my, sex addiction so, so but know. but i can tell you i'm not surprised and here's why i'm not surprised when i worked back in high tech at the turn of the century, everybody wanted to put everything on the web. And I knew all the best web clients were coming out of Maryland. They had these porn server farms. I didn't have a Maryland tech, uh, tech territory, but my buddies who were raking in just p purchase orders thrown over the wall, they need more servers. They need more licenses because they couldn't, they couldn't build the servers and assemble them fast enough for people's porn satiation. There has never been anything on the internet make, that makes as much money as that industry. And this, the whole internet as we know it today was formulated and companies had money to do all these things because of all those successful porn servers down in that part of the world back then. Now you can ask me, do you think that was government porn servers? And get, yes, I do. I think the whole thing, the internet, soup to nuts, ARPA to DARPA, man, it's all the same thing. They've got one purpose is cybernetics, transhumanism, technocracy forever. They're doing it. So, so, you know, on this show, a lot, I push back on a lot of things. And, and one of them is that, you know, gay people are like some kind of demon people. And I push back on that because 
What that does is push people deeper into the closet, okay? And when you have people like we've had people on the show that are very famous for their Instagrams and their and their Twitters, call, you know, calling out this gay rapper or that gay rapper or this gay person and that gay person. And I go, when you do that, man, you make it easier for people to blackmail people. That's what that's what it is. Now, are gay people evil? I don't think so. Are there gay people in positions pulling some bullshit? 100%. But it's not because they're gay. It's not because they're gay. They are blackmailed. Like Will Smith. The, all these rappers who are undercover gay that are pushing certain agendas. They're manipulated, dude. They are manipulated and they are used and manipulated because they don't want their secret out. That's why they're used. And you see it happen all the time. I'm sorry, man, but this whole thing with Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland football is a giant example of how people (laughs) are manipulated for what they do behind closed doors. All right. We live in a country where this mainstream media is pushing on that feminism is chicks doing OnlyFans, right? Oh my God, flick your bean is this like sex positive stuff. Flick your bean, flick for bean. But once a man engages in it, these people who have been telling you that, hey, we don't want to slut shame, now are shaming people who work with sluts. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you go to Houston, most of the people in Houston will tell you that the Houston Astra, the Houston Texans owner is fucking behind all this. And now it's kind of blown up in his face. Because now it. we found out that Houston Texans. All right, you can find Sam Tripoli on tour currently in Florida with Eddie Bravo. And he does not look like that in reality. That's, that's a poster. He's a comedian. All right, check it out. Sam Tripoli, tinfoil hat, uh, broken simulation. He's got the conspiracy social club. He's like a podcast magnate. Mr. Tripoli is. All right. So let's go ahead. Let's go to some more clips uh, from the show. Uh, Let's see. The show card expresses this. I want to go to the vaccines, lockdowns, therapeutics section, please. Control room. And let's get this. uh, Rand Paul exposes Fauci's lack of science on child boosters. Now, they go out and they promote the, the injection for the past couple of years, you know, the experimental, uh, non-informed consent, gene therapy, and, and this sort of thing. And that was one thing. Those are, those are adults playing the game. When you get children involved and they don't have informed consent and their parents don't have informed consent and they tell you it's safe and effective and then you wait a six months or a year and then you start finding out maybe it's not so safe and effective. Maybe the, the cure is worse than the ailment in many such cases. So let's go ahead. Let's check out uh, Jimmy in his garage. He's going to bring us this clip of Fauci versus Rand Paul. It's like part seven, like the next Rocky movie type of series. I can't wait to see part eight because I know it's not done. This is not done. No one's fired Fauci yet. There's been no hearings. There's been no investigations. There's been no examination of evidence. I think we'll go to the Russell Brand clip next because that's going to talk about the lab leak theory and these sort of things that are still kind of lurking just off screen (laughs) in American culture. It's like it's right there, but it's like they won't put the camera on it. Uh, There's been some good memes on that. But first, let's go to uh, Jimmy. Shut the garage door. 
and uh, let's check out this Fauci versus uh, Rand Paul clip. It's news. So you know that Dr. Fauci is a criminal, and if you don't know, you should read RFK Jr.'s book because he's a criminal and a liar, and uh, they funded the gain of function, which a lot of people believe led to that virus being created and escaping from the Wuhan Viral Institute or Institute of Virology. Uh, they are now pushing vaccines on kids, on children under five, over five. And boosters, right? Th- what's that? It's the boosters now? The for boosters. Kids? They're, they're, even, yeah. they're even pushing boosters. Uh, and now they have no, well, there's no science to back this up. And the science that they have is very weak. And here's what Dr. And, so Dr. Fauci goes up against Rand Paul. And Rand Paul, again, is able to reveal that Dr. Fauci uh, is basing his stuff on nothing. Here we go. Dr. Fauci, the government recommends uh, everybody take a booster over age five. Are you aware of any studies that show reduction in hospitalization or death for children who take a booster? Now, that's a good question because there aren't any. So let's see if he answers. Let's see how he answers. Let's see if Dr. Fauci is going to be forthcoming and give a straight answer to a straight question. Let's see. Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. The I believe that the recommendation that was made was based on the assumption that if you look at the morbidity and mortality of children. So he just said, so basically what he should have said was no. What, what they're recommending those for is based on an assumption, not science. He just said it. They're basing it on an assumption, a, a freaking medical treatment for children who are at almost no risk from COVID. Again, remember, children are at almost no risk of COVID. It's so low, you can't even quantify it. That's from being hospitalized, you mean? Yes. Right. From hospitalized, hospitalization or serious illness. Children's risk of that is so low, you can't even quantify it. within each of the age groups, you know, zero to five, five to 11. So 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 there there are no studies, and Americans should all know this, there are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster. So now you just saw the number one medical official in the country dodging a direct question from a senator about are there any studies scientific to back up this stuff you're recommending? And he just dodged that question. And again, no comedians are going to have a joke about that except me. None of them. No late night comics are going to be upset about that. Jimmy Kimmel and and uh, the rest of the, Stephen Colbert. None of them are going to give a shit about this. That they're pushing medicine on people with on children without scientific studies. And the news is going to report this as Dr. Fauci stood up for himself against Rand Paul. That's how they're going to report it. And that's how my jag off fucking comedy friends are going to fucking report it too. Who do you hang out with? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's jokes, by the way. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, here it is. Oh. 
So let's play. I want to play that again. And there's more to this. Dr. Fauci, the government recommends uh, everybody take a booster over age five. Are you aware of any studies that show reduction in hospitalization or death for children who take a booster? Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. The I believe that the recommendation that was made was based on the assumption that if you look at the morbidity and mortality of children within each of the age groups, you know, zero to five, five to 11. So so there, there are no studies, and Americans should all know this, there are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster. The only studies that were permitted, the only studies that were presented were antibody studies. So they say, if we give you a booster, you make antibodies. Now, a lot of scientists would question whether or not that's proof of efficacy of a vaccine. If I give you 10, or if I give a patient 10 mRNA vaccines and they make protein each time or they make antibody each time, is that proof that we should give 10 boosters, Dr. Fauci? Uh, no, that, I think that is somewhat of an absurd exaggeration. Okay, uh, he's, he's going to say that's an absurd exaggeration. So the next logical so the next logical question would be well if it's not 10 boosters would it be 9 boosters 8 boosters when are you going to stop with the boosters because you're telling people to give boosters every few months so it's not absurd and it's not ridiculous it's actually a, follows a logical projection and this guy's lying like a used car salesman he's dodging obfuscating he's pushing medicine that there's no science for and nobody's outraged. And the, just the, the, the non-exaggerated part is absurd. Yes. <laughs> Without before the non-exaggerated part is absurd that you don't have any scientific studies for this booster for children. No, not at this time. Not at this time. And I would like to think that something's going to come of this. <laughs> Nothing is going to come of this because the news media isn't going to cover that. Why? Because they're paid by Big Pharma, just like Fauci. Just like the FDA. The FDA supplies like 70% of FDA's budget. I mean, the Big Pharma supplies 70% of FDA's review budget. So, and let's, let's, let's watch more. Well, that is the proof that you use. Your committees use that. That's the only proof you have to tell children to take a booster is that they make antibodies. So it's not an absurdity. You're already at like five boosters for people. You've had, you know, two or three boosters. It's like, where is the proof? Now, I think there is probably some indication for older folks that have some risk factors. For younger folks, there's not. But here's the other thing. There are some risk factors for, for the vaccine. So the risk of myocarditis with a second dose for adolescent boys, 12 to 24, is about 80 in a million. This is both from the CDC. So if you give a million vaccine shots to a million kids, boys, 80 of them are going to get heart trouble. 80 of them. Well, how many of those kids would have developed heart trouble if they just if they never got a vaccine? Was, is it 70, 75? I mean, how much more heart trouble are we getting? There's you no ready? studies at this time. You ready? There are studies. Here we go. And from the Israeli study. 
It's also in the VAERS study, remarkably similar, four boys, much higher from boys than girls and much higher than the background. The background's about two. 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 So from two in a million to 80 in a million. And they have no scientific studies and they're telling you to get it. Give it to your kids. And this is not going to be covered on the news. They might even yank this down from YouTube. I don't think I'm supposed to be able to say this. I think you have to add that there are studies. (laughs) I think I have to say the the opposite, opposite, whatever I'm saying. So there are plenty of studies, even though Dr. Fauci said there aren't. Per million. So there is risk and there are risks. And you're telling everybody in America just blindly go out there because we made antibodies. So it is not an absurd corollary to say if you have 10. In fact, you probably make antibodies if you get 100 boosters. All right. That's not science. That's conjecture. And I don't understand why kids need protection from coronavirus in the first place. Again, we've already proved even with the more deadlier strains that kids were at a very, very low risk from coronavirus becoming serious illness or them being hospitalized. During Delta, which was a much more serious strain, it was less than the flu. The flu was more dangerous to children than coronavirus. Why are you fucking doing this? We all know why they're doing this. I can't wait for my shithead comedian friends to come around to finally stopping repeating propaganda for Big Pharma and they're not even being paid for it. What a dupe. They call Trumpers dumb. They're the dumbest people I've ever seen. Shithead comedians repeating Big Pharma propaganda for free. But, Jimmy, when they come around, are you going to feel a little bit bad for them because their face is paralyzed? (laughs) Honestly, I won't. If a couple of those people got paralyzed, uh, partially, I'll say partially. Uh, Let's get back to this. Pause, Jimmy. (laughs) We should not be making. Just real quick, real quick, before he plays the rest of that uh, Rand Paul Fauci exchange, he just mentioned uh, paralysis as a side effect of these injections. And recently there was someone who's uh, like a very famous celebrity whose work I am not familiar with at all. Justin Bieber. Yeah, that was that was that big trees. Yeah, opening he's got facial paralysis. Yeah. And I thought it was like people joking around, people yeah. morphing pictures. But apparently he got the booster. And the booster took away, and he's he made he's a singer. He uses his face and his mouth and these sort of things, vocalization for a living. And he can't, I don't think, do that when half your face doesn't work anymore. Can we go to that clip real quick, and then we'll go back to the Fauci? Yeah, yeah. Del Big Tree did a really good opening monologue about it, and his wife also suffered a very serious blood clot as well. And they're very young, they're healthy, they're fit. So he does a really good. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, I got that. That's. Okay, so let's go ahead and let Fauci uh, and Rand Paul finish. Then we'll do the Dell Bigtree monologue, and then we'll go back to Russell Russell Brand Brand. because there's also the lab leak studies research going on that's juxtaposed to this other stuff. Because without, 
like if it's if it's natural zoonotic then okay maybe boosters but if it came from a lab in the first place and they've been covering up i don't trust them too much none for these boosters or the shot in general uh that they're offering well especially so, if the booster or the shot produces the spike protein that was manipulated in order to cause all these very strange conditions which the number one thing we're seeing is that they're really causing the immune system to shut down and that's what dell big tree does a good job of getting into that you know i know there are people that will push back but you know, not only is it shutting off with the P53 gene in regards to uh, killing cancer cells, but then he gets into some other mechanisms as part of innate immunity that the researchers that carried forward um, Robert Malone's research utilized in making sure the mRNA stays in the body for a long time because mRNA doesn't typically stay in the body very long, which is why Robert Malone suggested it be used for that instead of gene therapy. It should be used for vaccines, but Dell Big Tree does a good job of breaking it down. Um, it was very interesting. I'm sure there will be some pushback, but I thought it was a, um, a good logical take. He does. Uh, now, this book was just mentioned mm-hmm. in my interview with Sam Tripoli, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get to the part about the immune Dr. system. Dr. Aurelio Pacei. So we're at Club Yeah, Rome. but this part, this part oh, right yeah. here talks about Club Rome, yeah, Club which Rome. Uh, oh, had this Death. agenda that spawned Klaus's. Hold on, he advocated that a plague be introduced. Hold on, that would be the same effect as the Black Death of history. Oh, it is. Oh, you're talking about this is a. That's William Cooper's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen that. Right, right. So I'm not offering it as evidence. I'm just saying he wrote this book one time, and it talks about subjects that are still going on today. And you might want to weigh them uh, for accuracy over a 30 year period since the book's inception. But I was looking for there was a reminds me of this uh, Fritz Springmeier book a little bit. Uh, Bloodlines, oh, Illuminati. Like, it sort of reminds me of that type of book. All right. This is what I wanted to show you. Because this is not William Cooper. This is American mm-hmm. Library of Congress. Yeah. You can get this record. Right? Subcommittee hearings. Uh, this is from what year? 19... 1969. Okay, I can't see it. Yeah. Uh, DARPA, ARPA. This is ARPA at the time, yeah, before it was DARPA. And what are they trying to do? Let's go to the transcript. Synthetic biological agents. This looks like it's from page 129, right? Uh, There are two things about the biological agent field I would like to mention. One is uh, the possibility of technological surprise. Molecular biology is a field that is advancing very rapidly, and eminent biologists believe that within a period of five to ten years, it would be possible to produce a synthetic biological agent, an agent that does not naturally exist and for which no natural immunity could be acquired. What was that acquired immunity deficiency We'll get to that in a second. So this is like a precursor. This is the document that people have pointed to that says, look, the the DOD wanted to and invested money into developing something that's very similar to AIDS. Right. And there's a there's a summary up here in 1969, three years before the World Health Organization's request to the United States Defense Department requested and got ten million dollars to make the AIDS virus in the lab as a political ethnic weapon that be used mainly against blacks. This is reading from a book. This is the the quote here in William Cooper's book, page 446. This is not my opinion. I'm just reading a quote that exists. The the feasibility program and labs were to have been completed by 1974, 1975. The virus between 74 to 79, the World Health Organization started to inject an AIDS-laced smallpox vaccine into 100 million Africans' population reduction in 1977. That would match up with the Kissinger NS... Uh, National Security Memo 2000, 
and over 2,000 young white male homosexuals, Trojan horse, in 1978 with the hepatitis B vaccine through the Centers for Disease Control in New York Blood Center, and now the AIDS virus is on the streets in the drugs. So this is in Cooper's publication. This is not my claim. I was just reading to you from a book that Sam Tripoli mentioned. So take it for what it is, right? It's a book you can find at Barnes & Noble, and uh, you can you can examine it for yourself. It has many different artifacts in there. Um, just wanted to offer it for consideration. There you go. Boom. Not to mention the uh, uh, was SV forty, simian virus forty that was worked on in a military lab in Africa right, like, in the Congo. Like, you know that. The, like the, that sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. Good. A, a book like that is good for. Bill Cooper makes a claim investigate that claim is that a real government document did they really have that conference is the transcript accurate to the government transcript on file at the library of congress right there are artifacts offered take away the messenger and look at the artifacts offered and weigh them I, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there i think is nonsense there are some things in there that you'll notice 30 years later like oh that's kind of going on just like the aurelio pache uh club of rome comments that are in that book they actually had those plans and did those things 30 years later you can see that clearly so you know he's right on some things and wrong on other things. So you have to be discerning. You have to consider the evidence. You have to observe the landscape, weigh it, remove or, or identify, and then remove the contradictions. And then you're left with, oh, these artifacts exist. They re accurately reflect from rea reality. So therefore, we can infer from that and make judgments, conclusions, decisions, and take action in life with a lot more clarity. So let's get back to uh, Rand Paul. And uh, Dr. Fauci, let's see how it ends up. Let me bring that up here again. Thank you, sir. Okay. Doing that. Making public policy on it. So, Senator Paul, if I might respond to that, uh, we just heard in his opening statement uh, Ranking Member Burr talk about his staff who went to Israel. And if you look at the data from Israel, the boosts, both the third shot boost and the fourth shot boost, was associated with a clear cut clinical effect, mostly in elderly people. So this is what doesn't he sound like a vaccine salesman? Because that's what he is. What a straw man. Like, that's such a straw, man. I'm sorry. I just had to pause it real quick because, like, the vaccine is producing antibodies that last less than six weeks. So he's immediately dis. I'm sorry. It's just he builds and it up. Can't and they get that guy a microphone? Why do we have to hear all that room echo? From I know. Dodger? I was thinking the same thing. Right. That's right. The guy in his garage can afford a microphone. Why not Dr. Fauci, the highest paid employee who's not elected in the United States government? Surprise. Where's all the uh, paraphernalia of himself? Maybe they in don't the want him to be heard clearly. Because the people who love Fauci, Honestly, they don't hear him anyway. You know, Rich, that's a good point, actually. Um, <laughs> And let me put myself on camera. It wouldn't surprise me if this was actually his PR team behind him saying, in order to make Making himself him folksy. Yes. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Yeah. So keep it simple. And the, he's he's talking about country. a booster. Yep. And they, and then we showed it. It helped elderly people. It had a big response in elderly. We're talking about children. And he knows he doesn't have any data on that, but he just keeps talking. And he's already been outed. He doesn't have any science behind this. 
but he still keeps talking like he just hasn't been completely humiliated, which he has. But he knows morons like the people who watch The View or MSNBC or CNN or read the New York Times and the Washington Post. He knows morons like that are easily propagandized and will have been told to never question him. So he knows he can just keep talking and nothing will ever happen. But also, as they gathered more data, even in people in the 40s and the 50s, so there is clinical data. But, but not in children. Well, uh, well see, again, here's the thing is, you're not willing to be honest with the American people. So, for example, 75% of kids have had the disease. Why is the CDC not including this in the data? You can ask the right. question. You can do laboratory tests to find out who's had it and who hasn't had it. And if you look at their vaccine trial data, they never mention natural immunity. And what he's saying is they all have it. What is the incidence of hospitalization and death for children who've been infected with COVID subsequently going to the hospital or dying? What, what, are, what is the possibility if your kid has had COVID, which is... Now, don't you think Dr. Fauci should know this? What is the likelihood of your kid, if your kid already contracted COVID, which most people have? Your kid already had Corona. What are the chances of him contracting it again and then being hospitalized? What are the chances? What's this? What's the percentage on that? Don't you think we should know that number before we start giving them boosters? Giving them more shit? 75% of the country's had COVID. What is the chance that my child's going to the hospital or dying? If you look at the number of deaths in pediatrics, Senator, you can see that there are more deaths of people who have had it. But people have had the disease. Senator, we also know from other studies that the optimal degree of protection when you get infection is to get vaccinated after infection. And in fact, showing reinfection in the. You ever heard of that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just about to ask you to pause it anyway, man. Like you ever heard that after getting infected, you should get a vaccine. I mean, obviously, he contradicts himself when he was asked that question on the news all those years ago when he said, should my, that the, I forget who it was, but he's like, my mother, he just, she just had the flu. Should she get the flu vaccine? No, no, no. Natural immunity is the best thing. I'm, that's unbelievable. That's a complete, that's a complete changeover in the world of epidemiology in regards to what has been established and understood in that realm of knowledge. Imagine if he took that argument back in time and argued with himself about it, they like, they would totally have a shakedown fight. <laughs> right. That'd be funny. Celebrity deathmatch. Again, looking for skits. There it is, right there. Uh, okay, so I wanted you to pause it because, um, listening to Fauci is like listening to one of those AI bots when you have to call for customer service and it just keeps sending you in a circle and a circle and you're trying to do this and it sends you back and it's like, it's just you can keep doing it or you can just hang up the phone. And with Fauci, I just want to hang up the phone when he's doing that. But Rand Paul, like he can sit through that. He's like continuing to ask questions, even though, I mean, he's, he hasn't been getting answers for like a year and a half from this guy, right? This has been going on for a long time. Those Fauci versus Rand Paul interactions. And, uh, I got to hand it to Fauci. He sticks to being a broken record, like pretty well. He does it does it all the time it's, be, like, it's because like he knows record. he's not, he's immune to, 
being sort of indicted, having some sort of consequences brought forward for his actions in regards to promoting the vaccine, his relationship to the vaccine, putting down the lab leak theory, his connections to Peter Daszak. And I mean, it's just it goes on and on, you know, so it's just he knows at this point, what are they going to do? I mean, that's that's what the sad thing. Like, it's like it's, act, typical gangster shit. Yeah, right it's there. literally t- this is as gangster as it gets. I mean, you can't be more conspicuous than this. Should I continue? Yeah, yeah. Let's let let's hear him the out. Era of Omicron and the sublineages that vaccination. But you can't followed. answer the question I asked. The question I ask is how many kids are dying? He keeps dodging questions. Does that make you feel confident that the head vaccine guy won't answer straight questions consistently and has no science to back up what he's saying? That doesn't bother anybody. Go to your comedy club, local comedy club. Go to the comedy store. Go to the improv. Go to the cop. Go wherever you want to go. You're not going to see a comedian be fucking critical of this. You're going to see them be critical of me for pointing this out like good adult children of alcoholics, which is what most comedians are. I mean, in fairness, most of them are talking about sex. In fairness. (laughs) And poo poo. Yeah, not really. And how many kids are going to the hospital who've. In fairness, Kurt, <laughs> in fairness, Kurt, most of them have a joke in their act shitting on people who question the vaccine policy or the COVID narrative. Most yeah, comedians that I know go up yeah, and right. say something fucking stupid about yeah. COVID or vac- stupid, meaning pushing the propaganda, the establishment narrative, stupid, not fucking poking holes in it like they well, the, should be. The joke is the joke is like, yeah, I'm stupid. So I do the thing and you're stupid like I am. And don't think you're not stupid. Just do the thing I did. Like, that's the gist of the joke is I choose to not know anything about this. That's the, the gist of the joke is I choose to not do my research or get informed <laughs> yeah, about this. Like, and I'm trusting the government and the corporate media. That's the gist of it. I'm going to a comedy club tonight in Burbank, and I guarantee you, if there's five comedians on one of those shows, four of them will have a fucking stupid joke like that. They're not even trusting the media. They're trusting the person they know who trusts the media, who yeah. just tells them secondhand. Yes. So here, watch. So, so again, he can't tell you what risk children are who already had COVID. 75% of America's already had COVID. And it's hilarious. People who haven't had COVID, they think they're better than you. That's just, I'm not kidding. But they think they're more safe or something. Like it's some somehow it's a moral failing that you got COVID. I had two shots and I never got it. And I do feel better than everyone Here we go. right now. Here we go. Already had COVID. The answer may be zero, but you're not even giving us the data because you have so much wanted to protect Everybody from all the data, because we're not smart enough to look at the data. So he's saying we don't know that number of what the risk is for children who've already had COVID because you won't even give us the data. Just like they wouldn't (laughs) release the data on the Pfizer vaccine trials for 75 years. 75 years. (laughs) That's unbelievable. I know. You released data earlier. When the CDC released the data, they left out the category of 18 to 49 on whether or not there was a health benefit for for adults. So when they released the booster data, they just gave you the booster trial data of freaking people 50 and over. They didn't give you to people 18 to 49. They didn't give you that data. Why do you think they didn't give you that data? Do you think it's because the data showed the vaccine worked really well for those people? (laughs) Now, I got to be careful because they'll take my channel down. 
So I got to be careful. The time the, the people resigned, the heads of the vaccine department. By the way, did you know that yeah. the two heads of the vaccine department at the FDA resigned over the booster program? They resigned and they got replaced. Replaced with who? People who are more pliable to this fucking f- big pharma narrative. They got the squeaky wheel gone. The people who were standing up against corruption and lies and criminality, they got rid of them at the FDA. So now the booster program's run by somebody who's completely corrupt. Here we go. 18 to 49, why was it left out? When critics finally complained, it was finally included because there was no health benefit from taking a booster between the 18 to 49 and the CDC study. Another question for you. The NIH continued. They left that out. These people are criminal liars lying to you for big pharma profit. And you're uh, and people out there are still upset at people like me who are telling you about it. When are they going to actually get pissed off at the people screwing them and lying to them about vaccines and covid? When are they going to get mad at those people? Never. Never. Just like the people who pushed Russiagate, they're going to try to pretend they didn't. Or like Bill Gates is doing now, pretending he's thought this stuff all along. Bill Gates is now pretending, oh, he always knew that the vaccines uh, didn't last a long time. He always knew that the vaccines weren't going to stop a contraction or uh, uh, transmission. He always knew. He's saying that stuff. I always knew it was uh, a, a disease that affects, it has a low fatality rate and mostly affects the elderly people, like the flu, but a little. Di- Bill Gates is saying that now. He's trying to seem as smart as a fucking pothead comedian. And none of those people are ever going to admit they were wrong about it. Ever. People who called me anti-vax, even though I'm double-vaxxed. It's like Larry Elder being a, he's a white supremacist. That black guy. News <laughs> to refuse to voluntarily divulge the names of scientists who receive royalties and from which companies. Over. Do you know that they, they don't release that? They don't tell you the people working at the FDA. They don't tell you how many of those people are getting royalties from drug companies. Period of time from 2010 to 2016, 27,000 royalty payments were paid to 1,800 NIH employees. We know that not because... Not the FDA, the NIH. Correction. You told us, but because we forced you to tell us through the Freedom of Information Act. Over a hundred. So how did they? Yeah, how did they find out how many thousands of royalties were paid to how many people? They had to frickin' file a Freedom of Information request because they wouldn't give them that data. That data is protected. Hundred and ninety-three million dollars was given to these eighteen employee, eighteen hundred employees. Can you tell me that you have not received a royalty? from any entity that you ever oversaw the distribution of money in research grants? Um, well, first of all, let's talk about royalty. That's the question. No, that's the question. <laughs> Have you ever <laughs> overseen it? Okay. That doesn't bother you that every question Rand Paul has asked this guy, he's lied, obfuscated, and tried to dodge? That doesn't bother you? Doesn't well, bother first you. Of all, yeah. Let's talk about a different thing other than that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how January 6 hearings are it's like a pilot, like a mini series. 
and they're hoping it gets picked up for the fall season. <laughs> Personally, I think Rand Paul interrogates Fauci is a lot better of a show. That's the show I would I'd want to watch. But either way, I'd still get all of those celebrities' autographs if I saw them at a restaurant. <laughs> hey, are you Tony Fauci? Wow, you were great as the criminal doctor on that thing this summer. It's, it's, is, it, is it scary acting on live TV like that? Because, oh my God, I could never do that. I'd be too scared to be acting like that. <laughs> and you know, I also forget that Rand Paul is a doctor. Yeah, right. So that's why he does his own research. <laughs> I was going to tell him, hey, Rand, what's with all the reading? You're not a doctor, but he is a doctor, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And I like how Dr. Fauci, not sure if he's getting royalties on one of the biggest billion-dollar opening blockbuster drugs of all time. I don't know. First of all, let's talk about this other fucking thing. <laughs> There's a thing called Dr. Royalty's Confidentiality. It's a sacred <laughs> oath. <laughs> I you both. have to have a freedoms of information, Zach. You, if you, wanna... you gotta love his incensed, self-righteous indignation. That is Jimmy Dore. It's legit, man. He's got it on tap. You just turn it on <laughs> and it's, it's, it spouts out. All right, so uh, LD, we're gonna go to the uh, the Dell Big Tree next, then we'll do the uh, Rusty Rusty Brand, and before we do that, this also involves you, LD. This is Audible. Uh, I wanted to let everyone know who's watching Grand Theft World, whether whether you're watching it live on YouTube on the Pirate Stream, or on Odyssey, or Rockfin, or you're watching the replay someplace else. GrandTheftWorld.com doesn't just have this podcast. We got a whole lot of liberty and freedom independent producers being represented on the front page you can go and find their daily outputs we have it automated so it's supposed to be like a place you can check in every day and see what your favorite producers are doing and that's where we get suggestions of who to have on the show these sort of things um also there's a members area for grand theft world and if you're ready for that you click that little blue button at the top of the page there's a whole bunch of amenities that open up with the monthly membership. Now, let's say you're new to the show and you're like, I'm not ready to invest in myself and get more out of my time, but I'll take something for free that's valuable. We have something called the Freedom Vault. And the way to get this, and what with the Freedom Vault, you're gonna get a one month free trial to Grand Theft World's community and the membership and get the taste of those resources. So if you got time and you don't have it better structured, consider this offer. The, the website for the Freedom Vault is get autonomy.info forward slash freedom vault all one word and you can uh download the uh, amenities and check them out uh have access you get like i said there's a whole bunch of things in that package uh educational uh productions of like the ultimate history lesson john taylor gatto i think is in there um but you also get the one month free membership subscription to grand theft world and then you can see the <clears throat> sit in on the sun or the Tuesday night town halls that happen every other Tuesday. There's a freedom vault. There you go. LD's got it up on screen. And uh, what resources in there, LD? Can you list them off? Oh, that's all Tony. He's I'm doing, oh, it's I'm all doing. Tony. He's yeah. on that. Sorry. sorry. It. It's all good. Uh, I know you're used to saying LD. Is my mic I'm on? handing off to like the not the running back. That's what I was. I can read right that there. off though. We got yeah, go bonus ahead. course contents. Richard's Anarchapoco 2022 presentation richard's ultimate history lesson with john taylor gatto a link to richard's history blueprint brain model 
uh, Toward a New World Order by George Soros, a 1993 document. You got a PDF in there. The Global Strategic Trends Summary, 2040. DARPA Drastic Dayzak Documents. Access to Richard's Slow Your Scroll vlog series on self-reliance. And one month free subscription to the Grand Theft World podcast community. And there's a whole lot more. <laughs> we could keep going. Yeah, because then they probably get access to what's on screen right there, the uh, Agora Marketplace. And um, that has a whole bunch of different things that you can get into either for free or at a low price point. So if you've heard about, you know, for instance, autonomy and you're like, oh, that's out of my price range, but you want to invest in yourself, get some learning on, get some new skills, do some growth over the summer. There's a whole bunch of courses that are uh, synergistic and complementary to autonomy and they're good to get you started. They you know, give you a little taste of the community aspect in some cases, all these things to build your networking, to build your knowledge, your skills, your offer, because as you might have noticed, gas prices keep going up. Real estate prices are going up. All these sort of things are going up. And the only way to stay buoyant is to up your skills so you can make a stronger offer to the world. Or if you already have some skills, learn how to better showcase your, your offer, your value to the market and be able to maybe get a more upwardly mobile path going for yourself rather than waiting for things to change or hoping for the best or all these kind of passive positions, lean into it. You, if, if you've grown out of your learned helplessness just a little bit with this episode or with this entire podcast series, then consider something that you know in your heart that you've learned things since you learned how to walk, talk, read, write, you can learn. And if you can learn some new things and you learn new things that apply to the goals you're trying to reach, you can make a lot of progress while a lot of other people are just sitting like deer in the headlights. So that autonomy Agora page is marketplace.autonomyagora.com. Autonomy Agora is all one word, but it has marketplace and a dot before it. Yeah, marketplace.autonomyagora.com. We did post it in the chats. Thank you to uh, Biscotti and thank you to uh, LD for doing that. And uh, we have plenty of courses on here. Uh, Stefan First Appens, the complete guide to forming communities. Getting talking about. Uh, All right, so let me let me talk about that. Stefan First Appen is an autonomy graduate. He has uh, published many books, but he had an offering to the public he had yet to do uh, to make. He was finishing a book, and in order to finish the book, I said you could teach a course on what you're putting in the book because then that gives people a better reason and understanding to to do the book. He conducted the course and uh, it's the essential elements. If you wanted to actually have uh, an intentional community, you're going to need a charter and a covenant and rules of engagement. And he has consulted and helped other people do similar things. Basic so laws. Stefan yeah. Verstappen en encapsulating that knowledge that could save you thousands of dollars of mistakes and years of, you know, not getting what you're looking for. It's like it's a condensed version. That's why you have someone who's been there and done that show you how to do it up front for a small price. I think it's a, a nominal fee to get into his course. And then what else do we have on there on the autonomy Agora? Sure. We have uh, this one I'm very excited about because I've taken her course before, but revolution disguised as gardening an introduction to permaculture. Uh, this is Melissa miles who I've talked about before. And uh, we actually talked about her quite a bit last week. Uh, an incredibly knowledgeable individual. Um, she's been doing permaculture for, I don't, I don't know, 15, 20 plus years now. And she's been teaching uh, for about that time as well. Yeah. For about 15 plus years. And uh, she just finished up, I think for the autonomy students, her pilot course, 
which she sort of digitized it because traditionally she always taught it in person, obviously, because she wanted to get people's hands quite literally dirty, get it in the ground, teach people how to do uh, permaculture, how to do organic gardening, how to sort of re-envision the property around them, no matter how difficult that might seem. There's always something that can be grown that could be useful to you. And so that's uh, the newest offering, I think, up here alongside my logic course. We've known Melissa for over 10 years. She's got a solid offering. And look, for less than one trip to the grocery store, you could learn how to turn your property into something that grows food in not so far distant future. And as I hear food prices are going up, you know, seeds are cheap, but you got to know what to do with them and, and when to plant them and these sort of things that Melissa eventually goes over in the course. But she also gives you a good contextual history of why we have lawns of grass in the first place. That's only been around for a hundred years. It's an artificial process and it's part of the Anglo-American or it's part of the British agenda. Anglo-American is the Anglification of America and get us away from our natural pioneer days when we would use our property to grow all our food and be self-reliant. So there's some history. There's a lot of practicality. Get your hands dirty, actually turn your property into a food producing source. Also maybe to help your neighbors too, who aren't so prepared, you know, when you're planting a lot of times in gardens, you're going to produce more than you need. And that enables you to give to others in their time of need. What's next on the list? There, yeah, Tony? I just want to also state yeah. that sometimes it's, you know, it can seem daunting. You go online, you'll see these wonderful or like no-till organic market gardens, beautiful and amazing what these people are doing. But to start small, you know, spend one year just farming a little bit of your land, see how well you do, sort of start building it up. Next thing you know, become an addiction. And then all before you know, you'll have, you'll have so much abundance that you'll be able to trade with your neighbors or trade with your family or, you know, give it away for free, be able to, you know, maybe, uh, or if you don't want to give it away for free, you can also make some money off of it, but just start small. I mean, a lot of times we, we, we get in these patterns where we don't want to take initiative. We don't, uh, get started because we see, we see the end product. We don't realize the steps it takes to get there, but break everything down into smaller projects, you know, find ways to get your feet wet, get started and don't worry about, yeah, yes, you need an end vision, but don't, you know, try to believe it's all just going to manifest in one year. Start small, have a vision for each year, for each small project and start building up. And before you know it, after a couple of years, all of a sudden you could, you know, you'd be quite amazed at how much one can build if they put a little bit of love and labor into what they have it's, available to them. It's the creation of a new habit. You start yeah, that's small, really what it is. That's right. And you just keep investing time. So it's like an investment of time in yourself to get some skills. And then it's an investing in time to grow food, mm-hmm. uh, which is something we're all going to need and appreciate as they try to like choke out liberty and freedom by when the food's scarce. And a lot of people are going to give up their guns to keep their family fed. A lot of, they, I've seen this in other countries. I'm just talking about history. So I'm not no, saying they would right. do such things here. <laughs> They'll also say you want to, you know, uh, get some food, you can get this vaccine, you can get this booster, you can get this uh, digital passport, you can get this insert that they just came out with where you can swallow this pill and they have like a Bluetooth tracking on your body. Albert Borla just talked about it at the World Economic Forum. I believe he was talking about. They're also talking about implantable cell phones. Yeah. Like we live in an exciting times out there. And if you want to meet the challenges of the modern age, we're going to need to bring in some old world traditions and some new world skills combine them with some other people who are trying to do likewise and gain some momentum and some synergy. What's the next course in the Agora there? If you'll notice all the courses we've produced, we've gone to people and said, we need this piece. Will you help us get this piece for our audience? Because these are the things you need to survive what's coming. These are the things you need to create a parallel society. Mm -hmm. For instance, not necessarily these ones. You can go find similar other places, but we have them all nicely produced and organized and 
there's yeah actually if there. i if i may say because i know we've been yeah, a, lately been sort of accused of you know uh blackpilling or at least in the be, behind the scenes in regards to presenting off, history I'm a white pill optimist maybe you should watch my work more closely but to the bigger point is that what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we study history when like I'm uh, certainly my pension is for philosophy and psychology. We bring those factors together. There is a lot of uh, tragedy in regards to that narrative. Uh, what this, uh, James Joyce said in this famous book, Ulysses, from Stephen Daedalus, uh, history is a nightmare from which I am trying to awaken. Yes, but we have to find ways to move forward. And although, because this is a history show, we try to we play clips uh, from the mainstream and we try to bring context to why things are as crazy as they are, it doesn't mean that we support a black bill narrative. It doesn't mean that we believe that humanity is inherently doomed or that we're inherently evil or some obnoxious and, 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 and meaningless, uh, uh, you know, um, artifacts of what we're trying to to get across that's not true at all we're just pointing out that this is essentially the history of our situation we need to find ways to learn and outgrow as rich would say the status quo and better ourselves it starts with the individual not necessarily with an end goal of some sort of uh, brilliant community we have to better ourselves we have to gain skills for ourselves better habits time management you know all these different things and so it's it's not so much we're promoting a black pill we're what we're doing is it's going over history that's all it is. So like what, you know, what we've it's done a time and- capsule for people in the future that reflects what happened in news this past week. Right. If you want the context, I worked 10, 15 years on the context and published in my works, all the history behind the stuff that's going on today. So we did the history part. Now we're doing the current events part. And this is only 15 percent of my work time during the week. This is like the hobby time. The rest of the time, I'm fully engaged with people who take action, invest in themselves, and want solutions in the world. That's what I was going to say. And we like, don't have, to, yeah, we don't have a whole lot of time. But you can watch, you know, any of the, we have a Do It Live podcast on Saturday where the, all that work every week about the solutions gets showcased. So there's a different podcast. It's only solutions oriented. But this is the time capsule of this is the crazy stuff that these people ha- are enduring in the absence of a good system of logic and removing contradictions. And holding to the line of reality and that which exists. And here's they, the they evidence call for it. the post factor a post truth world. Yeah. We're I mean, documenting he... what they're doing as a way for people in the future to have an accurate picture of their history because we didn't, we were denied that. Right. It took me until I was almost 30 to discover Tragedy and Hope, this book that unlock, helps to unlock the people actually shaping the world. It's still the main time. reference I use right. for so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it's, it's just, you could. Anyways, I think the bigger point, too, is like throughout the 10 plus years I've helped you and I've worked with you. Go ahead, hit your camera. We'll do it that way. There you go. Uh, I think just to bring up an important point is that we've discovered very meaningful and pertinent solutions that we provide on the marketplace autonomy agora. So like the, the issue here is we can't necessarily some many of them are actually free offerings, um, but some because of the amount of information, because of collating all that uh, information to something that's useful and meaningful that takes a lot of time effort and we're just trying to exchange value for value so some of these courses do cost some money and, way so that we can't just give away to free right right it's, so we it's not us it's the entrepreneur who produced that course who now takes their product to market did they right. make something free that you can consume did they make something low cost or do they only have a high ticket offering that's up to the entrepreneur that's part of freedom that's yes. part of the marketplace that's correct. So what, and so I let one last thing. I just yeah, wanted yeah. to make one more last point is uh, in regards to this podcast, the reason why Rich and I, we don't support it. I don't support any 
pill, white, red, black, whatever pills are floating out there to support individual freedom. The point is to bring context to uh, the, mo the mainstream narrative by utilizing artifactual history, philosophy, and psychology to understand the predicament in which we find ourselves. And hopefully the individual can then realize for themselves how best to move forward. We're not there to hold someone's hand. We're not build there to build a, a community necessarily beyond what we're trying to do here uh, that is outside the bounds of what, you know, um, what other people envision. We're just here to try to give try to give some semblance, some sort of context to what they're experiencing so people have a better idea of how best they should move forward, knowing that they're crashing the economy, uh, they're po possibly uh, weaponizing biology, um, you know, they're, uh, they've weaponized schooling, and they're Making in a situation, food weaponized fooding, like food, weaponized water in regards to fluoridation, and, you know, just uh, there's so many different elements of, by which we're being attacked. And so it's just important so, to bring context through history and uh, their philosophy, what these people believe that have enacted these sort of policies that we see uh, hurting individuals. And so now you have the uh, initiative, you have the will, you have the agency to take matters into your own hands about how you're going to handle that. Don't allow the sort of the avalanche of negativity that sometimes can be you know, presented through this show just because that's what's happening you know, allow it to inundate you to a point where you feel as though it's hopeless. It's not hopeless, but it begins with taking initiative yourself before we then jump into the larger, how do we build communities and how do we find, how do we maintain individuality while at the same time building meaningful communities of like-minded individuals that can come together and resist and mitigate the worst outcomes of what's coming in regards to history. So that's yeah, the there's just layers to action. Like there's passive audience, there's active audience, there's active audience to become members. And then there's active audience who become members who then say, maybe I need to up my skills so I can play in, play in this game of life at a higher level. Right. And then there's other offerings. Okay. So there's the, the stuff that's uh, the widest distribution is, is the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's not for everybody. You right. know? Nicholson said in uh, that movie, you can't handle the truth. And a lot of people can't. And I'm not saying you have to listen to the entire episode, but you have to understand that there's concepts expressed in each show that are going to not be available in the future they are going to be censored and when jimmy Dore, for instance like, like a you know comedian in his garage has to be worried that youtube is going to crack down and censor he says his video some negative or, things you know, about the vaccine like, that's a real thing yeah there's there's people that show up on his show they get demonetized on paypal all these different platforms there's Correct. a big crush crackdown against freedom over the past five years and it's only getting worse until people understand this like where did all these people go it started with alex jones and he was bad man so and there was orange man bad and that was okay. But then they started like censoring, you know, people that are legit journalists that are like accepted by the left. Right. Yeah. So it's like these people on the right cannibalize their own. Like they, they aimed it, but now they're aiming those weapons at their own people because there's no one left to take out on the other side because they've already censored and deplatformed everybody. And I've seen this pattern in history before. It happened in Nazi Germany and it wasn't a good outcome for any of the people who were around it. That's correct. Yeah, it's exactly right. So I just wanted so, to clarify any we're not confusion. We're going to wish our way into parallel society. We're not going to hope our way into parallel correct. society, but we can brainstorm, get some skills together, learn how to overcome obstacles in a systematic way. So we, days don't happen to us. We can happen to our day, right? We can start accomplishing the things we want to get done in each week instead of living at the whim of what can I do? Where can I go? And travel limitations and high gas prices have a lot of people in a holding pattern 
And speaking of holding patterns, you try to get a flight lately. It's like everything's understaffed. Everyone has help wanted signs. Nobody wants to work. The work ethic that could should be in the American system destroyed by the school system. Well, people destroyed, yeah. obliterated by the schooling system. That's not an education system when you make everybody that comes out of it lack the, uh, the work ethic to support themselves or to better themselves in some way toward a goal. I just want to point out that a lot of people, as you use the term uh, uh, holding pattern, a lot of people get called into. Tony's just, he's got a lot of responsibilities. So I have to remember, I have to help him remember to like click back to. There you go. You got it. Um, I just want to point out that uh, this concept of the holding pattern, uh, it's important to note that fear can become its own form of addiction and excitement. It releases cortisol, norepinephrine, epinephrine. So it releases essentially your adrenal hormones. And so you have to be very careful. It's sometimes exciting, at the same time terrifying, and people get caught in a situation where they're just passive observers, allowing this sort of uh, in, this torrential sort of inundation, uh, you know, flow over them. And then all of a sudden they realize that they can't breathe and they can't swim and they don't know what to do. And they're sort of caught in a, a riptide situation. And that's you know what we're trying to do is say no. You know there is what there are ways forward. And you know if we go back here and look at the Agora marketplace. We just mentioned permaculture. We mentioned, you know, Stefan Verzappen talking about survivorship, talking about how to form communities, charters, bylaws, you know, how to understand some basics in human psychology, how to screen for those that would be bad actors in those communities, how to become self-sufficient, share knowledge, support each other. Really fantastic course. Melissa Miles, I can't spe uh, speak uh, highly enough of her work. It's just absolutely amazing what she can do to transform your lawn or even a very small property to make it uh, meaningful and productive in the case of uh, for, uh, producing food. Copywriting with excellence. This is a Kara Shepherd poet. This is the idea of... Um, Digital marketing, being able to, you know, become, develop a skill in the digital world um, that is useful, that is easy to get into, um, especially if you're good at writing and uh, start learning sort of to leverage uh, what we all have in front of us today, which are computer screens and, you know, getting the message out there for individuals that are marketing themselves on the Internet, which is most everyone these days. We have the autonomy. And, and well, just real quick, uh, Kara, I think she graduated season two. Uh, when correct, COVID yeah. came around, she was still waiting tables. She then was like freelancing part time at copywriting. She wanted to get out of that. So she started freelancing full time as copywriting. She's an indispensable uh, member of a team that depends on her, values her, appreciates her. And now she's training and mentoring other people. And then it was appropriate for her to have a course to help other people uh, under her tutelage grasp those very useful in-demand skills. That's that. There you go. Yep. That's what, well said. The next one we got. Uh, the autonomy criti critical thinking trifecta. I think this is your free course you offer. Is that correct? In yeah, order, it's free. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Because people need logic and you could use a little stoicism to help manage. Do I mm -hmm. need to worry about this? Oh, I can't control it. So no, I'm not going to worry about that. Can I control this? Yeah, I can do something. Let's make a plan. I will put some concern, energy, attention into that. But otherwise, people are like, uh, you know, the getting in fear, getting overwhelmed. That's a very beginner stage of looking at all this information. And once you're able to parse it and dismiss that which is arbitrary and focus on that which is folk, uh, su substantial and prioritize accordingly, then it's just, it's something like cranking a widget, something you just know how to do. So I'm always encouraging people like get out of the novice, passive, I'm scared by this information all the time. That's, that's not the, that's a phase. You should move through that into the place where like, you can process it, parse it, 
find out, prioritize what you need to do next. What's important now? What's important next? Who do I need? What resources do I need? The questions you need to ask and answer, right? That's part of the five W's plus how you got to ask and answer some questions to do some learning to move forward. There's no time, energy, attention invested in like having like fearing the message or whatever's going on with the crazy situation out there. So it's a way to uh, emotionally extract yourself from the situation so you can view it from above at a much more objective and less subjective uh, situation where you're at the whim of whatever happens out there. So it's about growing. It's about knowledge of self. It's things that secret societies hid for thousands of years. And I think people should have the opportunity to like do it of their own free will and check it out. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's exactly the 30,000 foot view, the sort of dispassionate being able to analyze things logically before we get too emotionally involved with things that was where the idea is to turn everyone into plato's philosopher's king not just have a a, a small coterie that are the philosopher king so the next that's a good primer course for then what i offer which is the trivium method this is a course in the trivium it's uh four lectures uh dealing and would you say if they can't make it through my free course then they should do that like you know if you can't make it through my free course then don't like don't take tony's course because you're not going to be able to get through it yeah, you no, need to be able to build your mental muscles so yeah. the free stuff is like this is like a couple you know stairs See if you're interested and you can work yeah. out tony has a treadmill it just goes yeah yeah <laughs> you gotta I, keep up with it if you can get through the autonomy critical thinking trifecta course which is sort of a primer into what then i get into which is the trivia method four lectures uh three of which are going over grammar logic and rhetoric the subjects that make up the trivium so what richard's talking about in regards to helping individuals teach how to learn for themselves uh how to understand what logic is how to utilize it in their own life how to have uh, you know um uh, more sound discernment and the judgments they make when they go through reality that's what this course gets into. It's a primer into the subject, each of the three subjects. And then I have a sort of preface uh, lecture uh, discussion on consciousness and cognition that is a prerequisite to get into then what grammar, logic, and rhetoric actually is. And then after that, I just recently completed, as people probably know, my logic course, which is a fantastic success. Um, both are made available. We'll have a package deal that will have a discount if you want to buy both. Together, that must be, I don't know, 14 to 16 hours worth of it no, probably much more than that actually i think each lecture i'm not, not even close each lecture in the logic course went five hours and there were seven lectures so we're looking at like 35 hours of just the logic course so it's a it's a dense you know it's sort of like um if you're able to get through these then uh, you most certainly would be able to get through rich's course which is the creme de la creme as i mentioned last week in regards to autonomy which is sort of the overarching course out of all of these of what we offer. But yeah, if you're interested in, if you take the Trivium course and you find value in that, the logic is the next course I teach to help uh, train people on how to use fallacies, how to understand essential definition. We don't get how into- to avoid fallacies. Well, I teach people what the fallacies you, are, like you how they're- to use them though. Are you gonna be using fallacies? I thought the uh, idea was not to use them. I, I didn't realize that. Maybe I that. need to take your course. But anyways, point- <laughs> teach people what the fallacies are how they're being used is probably how i meant to to be said and how not to use them or recognize when they're being used against you and also definition what is an essential definition this is all in the aristotelian uh tradition uh formal logic this is not your symbolic logic of uh wittgenstein and uh, norbert or not norbert wiener uh bertrand russell or albert north whitehead as well so these individuals 
This is the uh, traditional understanding of how the human mind works and comes to understand its reality. And I don't go over an induction and deduction. I may offer a course on that later on, but I think this is the, out of the four subjects that make up logic, these two are the most important. And these are what you see Rich and I utilize all the time on Grand Theft World and recognizing what fallacies are being used against us and how they're constantly changing definitions, either making them too narrow or too broad and how difficult it is in order to actually properly define something based on the essential characteristics of what something fundamentally is. So we get into all the, that in the logic course. It's at least 35 to 40 hours of content with just the logic course. The trivium course is another four, so that's probably about 16 to 20 hours. Together, you're looking at you know anywhere from 50 to 60 hours worth of content. you got lots of books, med tons of media, uh, and... Um, lots of great and fantastic discussion the the individuals that frequented my logic course and my trivium course both were just so knowledgeable um uh, had such uh, asked so many great questions the conversations that were stimulated from those questions were just uh i'll never forget and i really can't thank enough those individuals that found a found it a value to join grand theft world be a part of the pilot course and i hope to host more in the future um so for people that are interested or other courses in, that are related to the trivium sorry go ahead rich what you're going to say so really it's all the nerdy stuff that public schooling could have taught you about critical thinking but they didn't correct and it's it's now available and if you pick it up it's going to be valuable every day for the rest of your life and if you don't pick it up it's like you're going to continue to wander meander procrastinate all these great things that come with being overwhelmed with all the different inputs these days all right so the next uh i saw the next one on the page was michael bidnarix mm -hmm. uh I, I would take the course to or i took the course and said uh it's not so much about the constitution it's about the nature and origin of our rights which are then enshrined in the constitution Yeah, the idea of more natural and, law ideas in a way yeah, yeah i mean just the, the he's 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 an excellent writer he wrote a book uh good to be king and uh, a couple other books, uh, The Lighthouse, Philosophical Lighthouse is one of his books. But uh, his course brings it all to life and helps you understand, like, what are the limitations of your freedom? And is it being encroached on? And if so, how might you uh, thoughtfully respond in a peaceful, nonviolent way uh, to defend your rights and stand your ground? These sort of things. Uh, the next course on that page. And again, the page is Agora. Dot com. Yeah, it's up and at the these top are all here. courses in the University of Reason. Autonomy is the flagship course. So that's yeah. like the framing of it. We got Wealth Battle with Lisa Manfredi. She's in the house right now. <sighs> she I got like be. a dozen students yeah. over here, dude. Well, grad, they're graduates now. And they're all camped out, ready to go. And Very uh, appreciative of Lisa. Experience. I've utilized some of her financial uh, suggestions and to great effect. And, you know, she teaches you like Kiyosaki, but in a much more holistic and meaningful way and with much greater uh, personality behind it and uh, integrity, I should say, much greater integrity. Um, she teaches you the ways to get out of the rat race, how to produce passive income, how to leverage your own unique skills and talents, how to, he, she works with a, a business partner of hers, Kaysen, teaches you how to budget and she teaches you how to, some investment ideas in regards to, you know, uh, getting yourself in a situation where you have the ability, have the money to invest in the things you want to do to be autonomous. So she recognizes that money is, um, you know, is a form of energy and that flows between individuals and she wants you to have more of it. So you then be able to do the things you want to do in order to be, you know, free, prosperous and autonomous in reality. So she does a fantastic job of taking 
uh, some of her course. I've also uh, spoke, done a lot of stuff with her in the background in regards to uh, investments and understanding, you know, how to leverage things like whole life insurance and other investment vehicles to, you know, better, better one situation. So can't speak. Now the course that. above wealth battle right there, Pat Narek, mm-hmm. he was season one, uh, yeah. Manfredi, she was a season two platinum student. Mm. And, um, she also, if you guys do the blueprint strategy call, you get to talk to her on the way through. She has the attention of people all over the world. Yeah. Seek her out for her consultation, her advice, due diligence, fiduciary commentary, all this sort of stuff. So That's you correct. are not just talking to an autonomy graduate. You're talking to someone who's one of the best networking and connected people that we know who thoughtfully uh, taught that wealth battle course and continues to teach it, to teach people anything from the basics of budgeting all the way through investing. Again, these are parts of the education that you should have gotten in public school, private school, university. At some point, if you want to be a responsible adult, we notice they're missing from the public. Let's create them and make them public what would america look like if we all understood how to do the budget and the investing and the 401k and how to be your own bank infinite banking she teaches all that stuff right so you can get to know her through her course or you can go through the autonomy obstacle course and do the uh the blueprint strategy call and get some better options going for you before you even drop a dollar to invest in yourself to get in the course you could get that call that's part of the free offering we 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 use the to provide transparency and make sure people's questions are answered to the full extent before they take any action. So this is all generated from the concepts of liberty and freedom are important. They need to be defended. Why are they weak in the first place? What did they take out? That means we have to put that stuff back in and we can't just go to Amazon or Target or Walmart and get this type of information. So we have to go to the best sources that we know and ask them, will you go through a series of weeks with the graduates and other students and encapsulate that information so people now in the future can have a one-to-many learning experience very quickly? Because we don't have like multiple decades to figure this out. We better start figuring all these things out now. And I don't expect other people to do it. I expect people uh, to take it upon themselves if they want to, but I'm doing it. And everybody I work with all all day, every day is in the midst of improving in one-to-many of these areas all throughout the year, every year, year after year, because we have a lot of growth to catch up on. That's, that's, that's correct. Yeah, because we lost 15,000 hours of our youth where we were educated. Well, not Go educated, but I don't know. That just, bra- one one, one, this like breaks things. my that this breaks my chain. Okay, one thing I, I, I like I want to point out though, Lisa's a Good. wonderful woman. She's a has incredible integrity. She's very personable. Uh, she, she has uh, so many life, so much life experiences, so many stories, and she's just someone you can sit down with and just uh, have amazing conversations with. I also want to point out that her course is free. So it's another free course that she offers. Um, and then she has a community of her own where she teaches people. I think the, she and Case have been trying to build out a sort of board game to sort of uh, bring some some enjoyment around teaching people around the idea of budget, the value of budgeting and investment strategies and to understand how they can leverage this in their own life. And, it's, you know, by playing a game, which I think is one of the best ways people uh, can understand and learn uh, things they are sort of able to see how you can then translate it, superimpose it onto reality. So she does a fantastic job. I met her in your autonomy community, Richard, and um, she, you know, uh, had immediate impact on me, and we became fast friends after that. So I recommend what she's teaching and uh, her community as well that you'll get by either 
going through possibly uh, discovery calls in regards to joining Richard's autonomy course, or if you're interested taking her course and signing up for her mailing list and uh, they can get into her community. So next on the list is holistic self-assessment. This is Derek Bros. Uh, Rich, you probably know more about um, this one. Yeah, Derek had a book and uh, knowing that people don't read books too often, not enough, it, he would have a wider audience if it made a course and he's right. Uh, so that's a uh, get to know yourself. Uh, Temet noske is an ancient phrase that means know thyself. Schooling is about nothing about knowing yourself. So you need to take some time. It asks some questions. You find some answers. It's on your own time. Check it out. And then uh, what was the one I saw right below that? Oh, Benny Wills. Benny Wills. Yeah. That's headed into season four. Uh, doors for enrollment are open now. Next season kicks off in just a couple of weeks in July. And uh, Benny's course works like this. There's like a VIP level, an advanced level, and a basic level. These two top levels are the first ones to sell out. So if you're interested in that, don't procrastinate. Go ahead, get yourself in. If you are, uh, you know, I'd like to like to do it, but I'm not. I don't know how much I'm going to participate. General admission, sit in the sit in the bleachers in the balcony or something. Uh, those those tickets are always available i think up to the day that he starts the course uh he keeps small classes he has a lot of personal information uh and personal inner inner exchanges and coaching and mentoring that goes on with like a small intimate group of people in those situations his his graduates rave about his course and uh parhesia is the notion that you should learn how to speak freely that which you are thinking and it's about expressing your soul through your consciousness uh, uh, of use of rhetoric. Yeah, almost in a words, spontaneous fashion. Phrases, yeah. You know, how do you conduct yeah. yourself in an interview situation or meeting new people? These are all useful skills. Again, not taught to us in schooling. Right. They teach us kind of the opposite things, like how to divide and conquer is what they taught us, like how to spread rumor and innuendo and fight with each other. Benny's teaching the, the tools of communication, and uh, he's doing an excellent job. I'm very proud of him. And he's now got two kids. They got a thriving family going on. So if you're interested, uh, check out Benny Wills's Parhesia. And it's right there on marketplace.autonomyagora.com. There's a free sample there as well. And I just want to point out that I was uh, lucky enough to be one of the individuals interviewed by him for his community at the end of his last course. And it was an amazing interview. Uh, he is he has an electric personality, a magnetic personality. He's very charismatic. He has fantastic questions. He spoke with Parhesia. And we I had one of the best conversations I've ever had in regards to uh, interviews I've done. So I just want to thank. Uh, I was on the, I was on there like a week or two before Tony was. And um, like a week later, there's three students from his Parhesia that got into autonomy. So uh, I was happy to send Benny a check and say, here's your referral. Cause that's, that's the best way to find qualified people mm -hmm. is through personal communications, not trying to fish online from Facebook or YouTube. That's not really effective. So I appreciate when, uh, you know, Benny and Sonia are graduates of, I think season three. And, um, there's a lot of people that have come through that, uh, were referred by Benny. He's, he's good at his social contacts and communication and, He's able to communicate readily the value that he's gotten through uh, Autonomy Unlimited and Autonomy. And uh, like I said, I, I love to send my colleagues affiliate and referral checks for finding the right people for the next season of whatever course we're doing over here at Autonomy. All right. And so with that, uh, it's one last course. And we got emotional 
Uh, oh, two courses. I'm it? sorry. Emotional, ment or mental, emotional kung fu. This is Daryl Becker's course, isn't it? This is the one that's finished. Daryl's gonna be in New Hampshire next okay, week. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, he's so, flying in from Hawaii. It's a and, it's a uh, rhetoric course. Yeah, it's, you know, it's right. A, it's yeah. a rhetoric. Course. It's another rhetoric course, but this one's a bit more uh, focused specifically on interpersonal conflicts and interpersonal communication and relationships. And I think he's leveraging probably a lot of the positive uh, values that can be taken out of concepts such as, uh, and, and methodologies such as nonviolent communication, but taking out of the sort of uh, mind controlish sort of fashion in which that was sort of derived in regards to Marshall Rosenberg and those types. So, you know, he does a really good job of showing the language that can be used when there's, there's, conflict between individuals or groups and how best to communicate without creating enmity polarization that can ultimately lead to violence he does a really good job of you know fi finding how to be empathetic and compassionate and reminding ourselves of the humanity that we all share and re and you know, reflecting that or juxtaposing that to the language that we should be using to 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 recognize that what we should end up doing on this page is make like an intellectual self-defense bundle uh, forming your own community and gardening bundle, bundle and these sort of yeah, things yeah. to kind of categorize. Bundles that work together, bundles that work. Because the Barhesia, yeah. mental, emotional, kung fu would work together. Obviously, Stefan Verstappen's and Melissa Miles' has worked together. Yours yeah. and mine work together. And then not last but not least, we have John Bush's course here, Set Up Your Crypto Wallet in Four Simple Steps. Um, this is a free course, so this is for individuals that are interested in and probably not the best time to advertise for crypto, no, but this is the buy time. the dip. Yeah, buy the started, dip. You, sure. wanna, you don't want to buy at the height of the market. Like you want to buy the dip, buy, buy it at the bottom or hopefully it's close to the bottom. I saw it starting to bounce back today. So it's not a recommendation, but if you are ever interested in using crypto, you should learn how to use a crypto wallet because that's mm -hmm. the first step. And I think John Bush's course, is that a free course or is that that's a free course? course? That's a free course. Okay. Yeah, Get started. Save a lot there of time because it's it can be a bit of a headache to you know learn how to set up these crypto wallets and yeah, you the can learn applications. Like these. Yeah, yeah. So and he offers a lot of other, if you follow his work, he's done a lot of- uh, He's a Grant Cardone of the freedom community. <laughs> kind of he kind of is to be honest it's true he's all over the place he does if he's good not work. yet he shortly will be. yeah that's true. Sure. he's got he's got he's a good example of work ethic and what i told the students was like john's somebody who talks himself into things whereas most people are always like talking themselves <laughs> out of things yeah, right <laughs> so i yeah. enjoy being around that's people true. like that i enjoy mm -hmm. being around people smarter than me and people working harder than me because that helps me up my game yeah he's the type that will work tirelessly um, even if it's on a project that maybe doesn't have the best, but he's, he's, he's fantastic in that regard. So he'll make something out of nothing in a way. So, all right, last, before we go to the Dell mm -hmm. big tree monologue mm -hmm. about Justin Bieber's half working face and his wife, I also wanted to yeah. a lot of badness. I, I didn't there. know about that. So yeah, I, it's, I'm it's not, tragic. Not, the family's pretty much about it. Yeah. I'm sorry to make fun. Yeah. I'm not really making fun of it. It's tragic. no, no, it's true. Yeah. yeah. It's um, still Justin I wanted Bieber, to give a shout out to the, to the graduates who made it here. Uh, and they're going to be part of the caravan driving up. So we got Joshua, Justin, LD. Yeah, LD's back there. You guys can see him sometime if he put himself on screen when we're coming up here or as soon as I'm done. Uh, let's see. Lisa, David, Taras, Joseph, Thomas, Erica, Rob, and whoever shows up while I'm here on the podcast. I didn't catch up with the total amount of campers yet. Are they all so, outside camping in the, in the backyard it's, right it's, now? they spread all over the place you got some people uh are <laughs> equipped in their vehicles like justin's got a yeah, justin's ready to he's go in the yeah. machine they're out there streaming 
they they got like a big screen TV. There's hammocks and there's couches. There's all sorts of stuff going on with his his his. Uh, hey, his shout out to Justin! Setup. Shout out to Justin! I mean, he was helping with this show a year ago, and he took initiative and he built his own little bus. And uh, he's been traveling all over the place, from my understanding. So, shout out Justin, miss you, bro. Hope you're doing well. You know, and everyone, and Lisa, I'll, me, and Free, all the all the LD. You know, so. When I met Justin, I did the blueprint strategy call with him. I'm like, so what are you doing for a living? He's like, I'm working at a coffee shop. I'm like, do you want to keep working at a coffee shop? He's like, no. And then he got in, he graduated autonomy, and he's been here several times in person. So he he becomes indispensable. Like he's been busy the last six months in the Pacific Northwest. He's got people throwing projects at him. Uh, good for him. And so it's it's part raising your That's skills, awesome. but it's also part exposing yourself to a network of conscious Networking. professional people who That's are right. like on the lookout for skills and when they need something they ask and they usually find within the network somebody who can help them so you don't have to go through that find a stranger on the internet hope they don't rip you off all these other things it's like we got culture of excellence and integrity and those are the foundational elements and then we build on top of that so it makes things a lot easier and justin's grown a lot over the past couple of years and really matured he's still like i don't know he might be 23 he's now. young yeah. yeah yeah young bucks it's the so. future out there so, in the yeah. ambulance <laughs> very cool though uh, i got to meet All justin right. and ld last year when they were uh making their pilgrimage up to connecticut to then get to lancaster new hampshire so that was a lot of fun they got to go through my little i call it the little mystery school that was my house that i've now moved out of but uh setting up my new mystery school now anyways um yeah so any and last shout comment? out to uh, ld's dad that was a good here. time yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Father's Day and all. Oh yeah. That Happy Father's nice, Day, by the way. That was a nice Father's Day surprise. That was not planned. Oh, cut to LD so was, the audience can see him talking. Oh, how he's got a speaking part. Look. Yeah. Doesn't automatically click on me. You don't need to spotlight okay. your video, Tony. There you go. Now it's good. Yeah. It um, it picks up the speaker view. Anyway, yeah. Happy Father's Day, everybody, with the children. And uh, it was, I you know, all right. Um, <laughs> You're on camera I'm now. Back here but behind Rich. I'm happy Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Teaching studio. Yes, Happy Father's Day. That was a nice surprise. My dad was traveling through, and uh, that was not planned. We had a we had a nice reunion, and uh, I'll add something about the autonomy agora marketplace. There's something that doesn't exist yet, coming later this year hopefully once you've got uh you know you've gone gone through the marketplace uh <laughs> gone through the offerings there maybe you want to put something out on your own platform and you need a little help ironing out some of the details i'm, I'm going to be putting together uh, some sort of mini course we'll see we'll see how it plays out but you know anything from just helping people they want to have a lower third on their screen to more advanced stuff streaming setting up uh multi multi-platform streams we'll see how it goes that's uh, actually a great thing too. live streaming course man it's like how that's... to set up your obs settings all the stuff about the getting the sound mixed up and how to hear stuff in your earphones that aren't going out to the live stream you could fuddle and try to watch youtube tutorials or you could just talk to some people who do it for a living I was just talking yeah. with uh, yeah. Brett Vinan, who's yeah. setting up a new podcast, and he was asking me, how do you guys do it? So there's a lot of people who even have experience with this that don't understand. So oh, Brett, just you could be an LD's first course. You could be, yeah. You can get first, into that. First, like the, so. the beta version. There you go. Sit yeah. in. There you go. 
So. More more details on that to come. I, I'd hope to kind of get planning on that in the past couple of weeks. But um, when I get back home, uh, I'll be digging into that more. So stay tuned. All right, good. He's putting himself on the spot there publicly. Now he's obligated himself in the future. It's about <laughs> accountability. That's I did that with my approach. logic course. Yeah, which I yeah that's how you get things done, man. Yeah. State, state your goal in front of other people. That's one of the things you're going to have to do to get stuff done and meet, meet the girls. That's not it's meet the goals, not meet the girls. That's not the, yeah, so I was like, meet the girls. <laughs> yeah, it's a different thought. All right, so um, let's go to Dell Big Trees. Opening monologue from this past Thursday's HighWire.com featured. Uh, they do like a two or three hour live stream. And uh, so we'll probably get to a Jackson report, but let's hear Dell's monologue and get the gist of what's going on with this uh, Guillaume Beret like symptom going on with people with the booster. Every once in a while, there's a viral video. I and mean, there's viral videos that just go crazy and everybody's sharing it, you know. But then every once in a while, there's a viral video that really lets you know whose team you're on, where you start watching the comments and you realize, boy, this is a heated debate and I know whose team I'm on. Well, this video, I think you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the Beebs. As you can probably see from my face, um, I have... Uh this syndrome called uh, um, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. And it is from this virus that um, attacks the nerve in my ear and my facial nerves and has caused my face to have paralysis. As you can see, this eye is not blinking. I can't smile on this side of my face. This nostril will not move. So there's full paralysis in this side of my face. I'm gonna get better. And I'm doing all these facial exercises to get my face back to normal. And um, it will go back to normal. It's just time and we don't know how much time that's gonna be but it's gonna be it's gonna be okay obviously a disturbing and upsetting video to see you know such a beautiful kid nice young man obviously confused by what's going on but keeping himself calm but you know if you saw this video it's everywhere and the commentary is wild and crazy and of course so many people saying Clearly, that's a vaccine injury. But before I get into that exactly, I want to get into the details of that. But I want to remind everybody, as, as, as many of you already have online and on social media, he's not the only one in the household that has what someone might think is a vaccine injury. Remember, this was his wife, Haley, just a few months ago. I had like a very scary incident on March 10th. Basically, I was sitting at breakfast with my husband, having a normal day, normal conversation, and we were in the middle of talking. And all of a sudden I felt this really weird sensation that kind of like traveled down my arm from my shoulder all the way down to my fingertips. And it made my fingertips feel really numb and weird. I couldn't speak. The right side of my face started drooping. I 
couldn't get a sentence out. Everything was coming out like, not even jumbled, just like couldn't get any of the words out. So obviously immediately I thought I was having a stroke, like a full blown stroke. Um, he thought I was having a stroke. So right away he asked for somebody to please call 911 and get a doctor. Where we were, there happened to be a doctor there, a medic there who rushed over and they, they started asking me questions. They started testing my arms. Definitely the scariest moment of my life. So basically they did some scans and they were able to see that I had suffered a small blood clot to my brain, which they labeled and categorized as something called a TIA. I'm gonna try to put the definitions of everything I talk about under here so that I don't butcher it. Basically, it's like having a mini stroke. It definitely feels like having a stroke. My scans did show that I had a lack of oxygen to a certain part of my brain for a certain amount of time. The conclusion was that I had a blood clot that traveled into my heart and instead of what typically happens if you have a small blood clot is that the heart will filter the blood clot to your lungs and your lungs will absorb because the lungs are so big and they can handle it. What happened with me is my blood clot actually escaped through the flap or the hole in my heart and it traveled to my brain and that is why I suffered a TIA. So the recommendation from my doctors at UCLA was to have a procedure done called a PFO closure, which is when they go through your groin, through the femoral vein in your groin, and they travel up to the heart, and they put this small little button, it looks like a little button, that buttons close the flap in the heart, and then eventually your heart tissue grows back over um, the closure device. So ever since the TIA, I have been on a blood thinner, an aspirin, every single day, and I was also having an issue with the blood thinner medication because it was exacerbating my anxiety. If there's anybody that watches this that has gone through the same thing, I understand how life altering and scary it is. Well, once again, I mean, just a terrible story by Haley there and the idea that she may have to be on blood thinners or pharmaceutical products the rest of her life because of what happened. I mean, first of all, I just want to say my heart goes out to both these two. They're in their 20s. They're vibrant. They're literally at the top of their lives and the dream of what anybody's life uh, would want to be, yet they are suffering these issues. Now, I want to make it clear in this conversation that because we are going to talk about the vaccinations, and uh, but the, of the millions of people that are out there watching, there are many of you that are pro-vaccine, many scientists I know are watching right now, just ready to jump on me. I know you're ready to write your articles. So let me be perfectly clear. There's no way to know exactly at this moment whether either of these issues were caused by vaccination. So let me also say that I'm not a doctor. For anyone that's watching the show, or maybe you're new, or you make a judgment out there, I'm a journalist. I've never gone to medical school, and it's been often pointed out that I have no medical background. That is true. Uh, I've, I've always said, which is why it should be shocking to everybody that I've been so accurate on the high wire when even the CDC and the FDA and all of them have been getting it wrong when it comes to efficacy and the vaccines or the fact that they would said they would stop this pandemic using vaccinations. And I told you that was never going to happen. 
A lot of this is because I have an amazing team of scientists and doctors behind me. But putting that all aside as a journalist, what my job is, is to ask appropriate questions. And I guess the question today should be, is it plausible that these issues could be caused by vaccination? Since we jumped out of the trials early, we had emergency use authorization, and then the FDA decided to just go ahead and let them erase the placebo group by vaccinating everybody that was in it so that we'll never have any long-term data or any understanding what these vaccines are doing in the short-term, mid-term, and long-term to people because they've totally trashed their data, then we're left with trying to figure this out in real time as we're all now a part of this giant experiment we never signed up for. So given those circumstances, when a star or a celebrity ends up in the paper with something that looks like it could be a vaccine injury, I kind of think it's our job to start asking the appropriate question. Haley Baber confirms she suffered stroke-like symptoms due to blood clot. So let's start right here. Has anyone out there ever heard that this vaccine could cause blood clots? Just a question. I don't know if you're in the audience. Just think how many out there have heard that the vaccine can cause a blood clot because that's what happened here. So I think it's pretty obvious if you're in the audience and you're thinking, no, that's not possible, then I'd like to know what island you've been abandoned on for the last two years of your life. The truth is, is the science is there. The articles are everywhere. Americans who received the one-dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine were 3.5 times as likely to develop rare blood clots compared to the general population study finds. And in case you're not about the Johnson & Johnson, thrombocytopenia following Pfizer and Moderna, SARS-CoV-2 vaccinations. Here's a study about that. Recognizing vaccine-induced immune thrombotic cytopenia, COVID-19 vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia. I mean, we could do this all day. I could show you there are countless studies, another one, thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome associated with COVID-19 vaccines. There is studies all over the world dealing with the fact that they know that these vaccines can cause blood clots. What do blood clots do? They run up your arteries, and if they get to your brain, you can have a stroke and you can die. Luckily for us, Haley did not die. But if we're going to ask the questions, are we sure that it, you know, there's no way you can say that it was a vaccine that caused it? That's a ridiculous statement. It absolutely has to be under the table, uh, on the table under these circumstances. Studies all over talk about thrombocytopenia and blood clots. And if you go to the VAERS, open VAERS system, there it is. These are the reports to VAERS on vaccine injury. 6,781 reports of thrombocytopenia low platelet count in the blood, all of this being that very unique situation that's putting people in hospitals after vaccinations. Um, I want to point out that uh, they will always say that these are not accurate numbers because this is a passive recording system. I just want to say that is true. That number is far below what it probably should be. VAERS is always underreporting. But, you know, this new case with, with Justin Bieber is a little bit more complicated because, you know, we really haven't heard of this syndrome a whole lot, but many of us started looking into it, and guess what we found? This was a, a tweet that went out. In the span of a few weeks, I saw four cases of Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. Three were recently boosted. I had never seen a single case in 32 years of my ophthalmology practice. Okay, is it backed up? Yes. Here we have the British Medical Journal, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome following COVID-19 vaccination. Some cases were attributed to the reactivation of herpes simplex virus and varicella zoster virus. Reactivation of the VSV at the facial nerve leads to RHS type 2, herpes zoster otticus. Uh, here's another study, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome following mRNA SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. 
Ramsey Hunt syndrome typically manifests with a vesicular rash on the concha and external auditory canal associated with peripheral facial paralysis. This is caused by reactivation of latent varicella zoster virus within the geniculate ganglion and associated with factors that influence immunosuppression, including immunosenescence. Uh, and then we have VARES. Let's just look at on VARES. We talk about these issues. Here's the open VARES. This is the report of vaccine injuries skyrocketing. And I want to point this out. This is 13,997 cases of shingles. Why am I pointing out that there are so many people reporting that there's shingles? In fact, there are tons of studies looking into this issue, that the vaccine is somehow causing shingles. We've done shows about this. COVID-19 may increase your risk for shingles. The AARP, adults age 50 and over, should look out for this. This is the Lancet, herpes zoster-related hospitalization after inactivated coronavac and mRNA vaccination, a self-controlled case series and nested case control study. We estimated that there has been an excess of approximately five and seven cases of hospitalization as a result of herpes zoster after every one million doses of COVID vaccinations. Uh, so that's the Lancet. That's AARP. So they are obviously raising the flag that we're seeing rises in cases of herpes zoster, which is a latent dormant virus in your body. Now we're talking about mechanism here. This is what this is all about. If we're going to really look at this again, I'm saying I'm a doctor, but as a journalist, I understand the mechanism. The mechanism is if you're going to get Ramsey Hunt syndrome, it has to be a virus that attacks, you know, the nerves in your ear and in your face that are causing that issue. What does that? We know that herpes zoster does that. We also know that the vaccine brings about and seems to allow for herpes zoster infections to take place. Herpes Zoster after COVID vaccination, International Journal of Infectious Disease. Now, this is the conversation. So we now have a mechanism by which a vaccine could have caused Bieber's Ramsey Hunt uh, syndrome. But, you know, to understand what is the mechanism that would cause that, we've actually covered this on our show again. These are all reasons. If you haven't been watching all the episodes, go back and take a look at it. This is an article we brought to your attention many, many times. Folks, we are now seeing how this could be coming into a realization in the world around us. This was from the UK column, Stabilizing the Code on Sunday the 12th, September 2021. And yes, we reported on this all the way back then, I think within a week of this paper. It goes on to say, in 2005, doctors Weissman and Carrico discovered a way to protect foreign mRNA from the body's immune system. That scientific milestone would be key to the advancement of the mRNA vaccines in 2020. Their key discovery that by modifying the RNA code, modifying the nucleoside uridine, resulted in ablating the innate immune response involved toll-like receptors. Let me show you. Can we bring up what that looks like when we modify the uridine? So everywhere where you should have seen a U, they've put this psi symbol. This is the mutation. So there should have been a U every time you see that weird symbol there, but they changed the genetic code of the spike protein. In fact, I've been um, on stage with Dr. Robert Malone a lot, and he's been talking a lot about this. He's saying, look at the spike protein is deadly. It's dangerous. It causes blood clots and, and, and brain I mean, all sorts of issues, but there's an even bigger problem. They didn't just take that spike protein and put it into the vaccine. They
They put it on steroids. They gave it long life. The entire concept he had when he invented the mRNA technology was that mRNA would be really good for a vaccine because it gets killed so fast by the immune system. So you don't want things. You don't want foreign DNA and RNA floating around in the body too much. It could cause autoimmune disease and other issues. So he thought, look, this would be genius. He was looking at it for gene therapy, saying, let's take mRNA and use it as gene therapy, but it just wouldn't splice in long enough to make a difference. You couldn't make the changes you wanted to because the immune system would attack it too fast. That's when he went light bulb moment. You know what it would be great for is a vaccination. If we had it go in where it's only there for a moment, just long enough for you to create an antibody response, but not too long to make, you know, your body go into some autoimmune reaction, then it'd be perfect. Then it disappears because the immune system kills it off. That was his genius. Well, these two geniuses that are now taking credit for the vaccine said, no, let's change that. Let's make it so it lasts. Let's make it so the immune system never attacks it so that it can last for like for God knows how long in the body. Therefore, taking the entire reason Malone thought this would be a good idea for a vaccine and turning it on its head and make it probably one of the worst bioweapons the world will ever see. Now, let's get back to this. How does that simple removal of one letter of code from mRNA achieve that? It does so by affecting toll-like receptors, the alarm signal of the innate immune system. The key toll-like receptors affected are TLR3, 7, and 8. They act as sentries whose job is to recognize foreign invaders by way of their form or patterns, a bit like an aircraft spotter in World War II. If the wrong type of shape is recognized in the sky, then alarm bells sound and anti-aircraft fire kicks in. In the case of toll-like receptors, the immune system gets activated. What if you could bypass those spotters? No alarms, no immune system response, and your payload for an mRNA is the example gets through safely. Then your drug vaccine is a much greater chance of working. At that point in the original experiments to discover how to turn off toll-like receptors, the question should have been asked, but what would be the consequences of switching off that important early warning system? This was the question asked by this article. The answer may be what we're seeing in Justin Bieber. When we see herpes zoster reappearing, and I've talked about this, the toll-like receptors, when we think about, just for those of you that don't understand, herpes zoster is dormant in your body ever since you had the chicken pox. Okay, so it's always there. Your body is keeping it dormant. What's doing that? Probably your toll-like receptors. That's the belief that that's what's monitoring your immune system. So every time a particle pops up that it doesn't like, it goes back and attacks it again. It also attacks the cancer in your body. The toll-like receptors are always looking. It's really simple. They're looking for what is self and what is not self. What is foreign and what is my own body? Anything that's not my own body, the Tolek receptors send out an alarm signal, bring in the forces, kill this thing dead, we have an invader. So cancer, disease, viruses, bacteria, all of that is what the Tolek receptors job is to do, is to look out for it. And when these geniuses made this vaccine, they said, well, those Tolek receptors are getting on our way of the vaccine, getting all the way to the cells of the body. So let's Let's just turn them off. Let's literally turn off the guardians of our entire immune system. That is the mechanism by which it is possible that Justin Bieber has a paralyzed face because he got the COVID vaccine. 
Now are we going to at least argue, well, it's super rare and too bad for Justin Bieber? And then I would point to the other member of his household saying, well, these issues aren't so rare that they're having a 100% disastrous failure rate potentially inside the Bieber home. Now, Again, do we know that the vaccines cause either or both of these issues? We do not. But what I'm saying is the probability is there. Both of these issues are listed, are listed as side effects in studies all around the world of the COVID-19 vaccines, which leaves us as journalists to only really try and complete one more part of this job, which is, can we prove that Justin Bieber and Haley Bieber were vaccinated? Well, we did the best we could. We tried to see if they ever promoted the vaccine and we didn't find any of those videos. And maybe if you're out there and you can look deeper, go ahead and supply us with that if you found that. But this is what we did find. What we did find was this article talking about Nicki Minaj. Now, Nicki Minaj reveals she is not attending the 2021 Met Gala due to vaccination requirement. Obviously, this is that big gala where everybody dresses up in crazy clothes, looks completely rich and wears a bunch of jewelry usually they can't even afford. Um, and the articles, it does appear to be true. It was public that the Met Gala 2021 COVID-19 vaccine requirement and mask rules revealed. You can't get in. The must-have accessory at this year's Met Gala from the Rolling Stone is a vaccine. Why does all this matter? Well, because the cameras did catch Justin and Haley Bieber at uh, the Met Gala. And here they are. So either they had some fake vaccine cards uh, or somebody snuck them in through the back door, or we can make the assumption that they probably were vaccinated. And when we ask ourselves, how well is that going? That should be a question every newspaper is asking, not attacking those that are asking the question. And how much of this are we seeing all around the world. We are all starting to see so many articles, people dropping dead, you know, of the spontaneous, sudden adult death syndrome we talked about last week. Or what about the illness? How many of your friends keep getting sick? Or the cancers that are coming back like crazy? People that were, you know, had, had beat cancer and had it on the run. And now all of a sudden the cancer's back and it's really bad. This article really came to my attention. And I think that uh, it says a lot. Everyone is sick. Illness in 22 has medieval vibes. Bridget Delaney, this is in The Guardian. Is this our new normal? Is this what we're really going to put up with? When they promised us a new normal and the Great Reset, is this it? Is it we're all going to be on blood thinners and on medications and trying to do facial exercise to get our faces moving if we live through whatever experience we've gone through, all while pharmaceutical industry sits there raking in money, billions for the vaccine they made, billions for the drugs that will take care of the injuries that their vaccines cause? And for what? For what? I guess... I guess so that we could reduce infections so that we could end this pandemic just and, and really one of the cornerstones and one of the leaders, the generals of this movement to use vaccines to stop infection, stop transmission, therefore stop this pandemic. None other than Canada's Justin Trudeau. I mean, this guy has really gone for it. Hook, line and sinker. And yet. What headline do we see this week? Once again, Justin Trudeau tests positive coronavirus for a second time this year.
We've already reported on this. You know for a fact that the vaccine is now making people more vulnerable to being infected. In fact, this was something we pointed out long before COVID with the pertussis vaccine. This is one of the side effects of vaccines. It's called original antigenic sin, where you are vaccinated with a singular specific set of antibodies that are only looking, and I've done my football analogy on this, go back and check that out, but where your body is only looking for a specific version of this virus, and if it's mutated at all. It doesn't recognize it. So you just keep getting sick over and over again. So Justin Trudeau is over there taking away the rights of citizens, trying to stop bank accounts on people questioning whether or not they should vaccinate and supporting things like truckers that are standing up for their rights to keep their jobs. And meanwhile, he is as infectious as it gets. Everywhere he goes, he spews COVID on everyone he knows. Why? Because he was vaccinated. All right. Well, in the end, this is the full story as it is starting to unroll. I will tell you, as we've been looking at this news this week, I keep saying to myself, we have been putting out a dire prediction by several different scientists, including here at Vanden Bosch. But also there's Dr. Robert Malone. There's Michael Yeadon, who is the ex-Pfizer uh, vice president in immunology. All of them warning of side effects of these vaccinations. And I don't know about you, and maybe it's just me, and maybe it is true that social media has somehow just sort of got us in our own little thought bubble, but it does seem like more and more people are getting sick. More and more people are dying in their sleep. And we only have to continue to look at the all-cause mortality in America, in Germany, in Israel, all around the world to start recognizing that something is afoot. To me, it is the destruction of confidence in the science that is being done by our regulatory agencies and our governments, the destruction of our faith in government, the destruction in our faith in doctors, the destruction in our faith in hospitals, and certainly the destruction in our faith in vaccines. Is this our fault or has somebody made a grave error? Maybe it's time for them to get transparent Step up and tell the truth before all is lost. All cause mortality up across the board, across the world. And yet most of that will never be associated with the vaccine. I think that's the tragic but honest truth in regards to how it'll be understood. Etiology, tracing the cause and effect of some sort of disease or uh, malady emerging. Um, oftentimes will not relate it back to what at least a catalyst is part of that. We have to at least consider the vaccine as a catalyst, which is kind of what's happening here. Del Bigtree is mentioning mechanism. Um, it's sort of catalyzing the, the loss of the, what TL is a toll like receptor three, four, seven, or three, seven, eight, something like that, uh, that are sort of your innate immune response to disease. So if you're shutting this down, that you, you have viruses and bacteria and a whole host. You're, you're, you're made up of all the different uh, biological kingdoms, actually, that exist compl com sort of uh, in, a, in a balance, in a sort of complexified balance. So if you allow for your shutdown part of your immune system, inherent opportunistic bacteria or viruses, in this case viruses, uh, can emerge and cause all sorts of problems. And this is check, kept in check by having healthy gut flora, by having a healthy microbiome, by health, having a healthy body with a healthy immune system that keeps all of these things in a sort of a homeostasis and a balance. And uh, if anything, they're seeking to disrupt that balance 
psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually, so forth and so on. And, you know, we see it most conspicuously, conspicuous, conspicuously with the vaccine now, tragically. And we're just, this is just the beginning of the fallout of this. He talked about original antigenic sin, uh, which can cause things like antibody dependent enhancement, which can cause a cytokine storm in the body. Uh, another effect is essentially what we're seeing here, where they're shutting down the immune system. You're not really having any sort of immune effect, um, immune system response. So it goes both ways. And there's probably many more different strange effects that are going to emerge and manifest themselves as we continue to understand the fallout of this, the tragedy that is the vaccine rollout, especially now that they're trying to voice this on kids. And we're probably going to get to a clip in that in a little bit um, younger than five. So maybe foist and that's their goal. Voiced Everybody it. on the planet has got their little patented gene therapy inside them. It goes with that X-Files clip last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Ryan Cole has been screaming about this in regards to the pseudo-uridine. That's, that's that issue. It's where they changed it to the psi figure, where the U would be this now psi. Where it's, so then, it, mm. in other words, they, they made it so it shuts down the toll-like receptors uh, or bypasses them, one of the two. And he, he's been talking about that for a long time. And so there's also the issue of the suppression of, like, I think it's uh, gene P53. That's like your cancer terminator gene, essentially. Um, but there's something else with that gene. So, like, uh, they, they go in and mess with the gene because it does X, Y, Z. But mm -hmm. then they find out, oh, there was a side effect. And there's this other thing that that gene also does that we didn't know when we told you. That, oh, right? yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They've only been doing this since after Hitler openly right <laughs> molecular biology because up until then it was eugenics and they could just do whatever they want it was racist well, when was the foundation of the jonas salk institute when did that begin uh cold springs harbor yeah it's long island racists that inspired hitler cold spring harbor the harriman family, and that was around that time of Annex. nazi germany right yeah. the 30s 40s so it's like the it. same people were funding nazi germany oh yeah so, yeah, yeah. There you go. No argument you want there. to look for the root of institutionalized racism. Let me point the way. It's right over there. And those people, uh, they're still maybe in influence and control today. Their their lineage. The, one know? of the big problems I have um, is I have a friend that works in genetics and in brain disease. And he, he pointed out to me that one of the problems now, he's pro-vaccine. I just want to make that point. But he when talking about genetics in general, if you affect one gene... They're all interconnected. You're affecting hundreds, if not thousands of other genes. It's a domino effect, a cascading effect, as he said. And that's why he has such ethical issues with people using CRISPR technology, for example. When he first heard yeah, about... They're, they're experimenting on people. Yeah, don't we don't know, know the, the effects. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so. they can't know the outcomes. They, they can't. Right. That's right. Yeah. So um, I mentioned the Russell Brand clip where he mm -hmm. talks about the lab leak theory hypothesis and the real origins and this sort of thing. And I think that would go really well before the Greg Reese on the biological. Mm -hmm. I was trying to highlight it here. Yep. The biological materials. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should get that on there as well. Yeah. yeah let's do uh, the lab back leak. Back? Yeah, we can do that. All right. Russell Brand and then Greg Reese. Is, it, is this the one released today? Big. No, the Russell Brand's from like three days ago. I think that i'm talking about yeah let me find that one lab leak now makes sense here it is okay yep yeah yeah now it makes sense two years later <laughs> you were called a conspiracy theorist and potentially banned for social media simply for asking if coronavirus emerged from a wuhan lab well now the who is finally 
asking the same question. Hello there, you 5.6 million awakening wonders. Thank you for joining us on this voyage. Thank you for staying true to yourself, for continuing to awaken with us, for refusing to falter and fail when there's so much temptation to be ordinary, dumb and normal. Well done for staying awake. If you ain't turned on the notification bell yet, turn it on right now because we need you with us. And if you want to do a live day with me, Wim Hof and Vandana Shiva, them two great teachers, I consider them elders. On July the 10th in the UK, you can camp there and every everything, come along. Join us. Let's get into this story. The WHO are investigating the Wuhan lab theory after dismissing it as twaddle. What? That? It come from that wet market near the lab, admittedly near the lab where they're doing gain-of-function research into coronaviruses from bats. But over there, they're eating slimy old bats, the perverts. Over two years after the coronavirus was first detected in China, I remember that, and after at least 6.3 million deaths have been counted worldwide from the pandemic, the World Health Organization is recommending in its strongest terms yet that a deeper probe is required into whether a lab accident may be to blame. What do you think when you hear the word probe? Grow up then. The stance marks a sharp reversal of the UN Health Agency's initial assessment of the pandemic's origins and comes after many critics accused the WHO of being too quick to dismiss or underplay a lab leak theory that put Chinese officials on the defensive. I think a lot of the conversations around the pandemic are about the willingness to have a discussion that includes more than one side, the condemnation of certain perspectives, the immediate allegation that you're a conspiracy theorist or you're a crackpot, when you're simply ultimately questioning the incentives and the intentions of powerful organisations, whether they are government bodies, corporate bodies or non-elected bodies, such as actually, ironically, the WHO, who are now investigating this story. Of course, on both sides, there are perfectly reasonable arguments. And of course, on both sides, there are extremists. There are people that have got some really out there views. And I'm up to hearing the entire spectrum of debate. And then I can decide for myself what I believe in. That's how I like to go about life. And I know you do too. Let me know in the comments below if that's exactly how you see reality. The trouble is, of course, that during the pandemic, there were various issues that were shut down, issues that were mandated, people that lost their jobs, people that had their social media accounts closed down, and even saying, oh, this might have come from that lab in Wuhan that's named after this disease, that was considered a controversial statement still much too deep into this crisis. And then you have to ask the question, well, why would that be? And even here, and this argument is talking about Chinese officials on the defensive, I would say, well, what kind of corporate interests, what kind of financial relationships, what kind of international relationships exist in that area? There are so many questions that come to the forefront. And now we know one thing for certain. They shut down debate and they censor questioning. The WHO, who I'm going to call who for the rest of this because I've seen other people doing it. Who concluded... What? No, I said who. We're getting a bit too Abbott and Costello, aren't we? Who concluded last year that it was extremely unlikely that COVID-19 might have spilled into humans in the city of Wuhan from a lab? Why? Why would they have concluded that? Well, because there's economic and political interests that would be challenged by that discovery. Allegedly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in a report released Thursday, whose expert group said key pieces of data to explain how the pandemic began were still missing. The scientists said the group would remain open to any and all scientific evidence that becomes available in the future to allow for comprehensive testing of all reasonable hypotheses. In other words, actual science rather than we're going to shut down avenues in case it says something inconvenient. Like, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That is what... I'm going to underline that. That's what science was always meant to be in the first place. 
look at all evidence and come to some conclusions. Or oh, that conclusion's not very cost effective. That makes us ask some embarrassing questions of the people that are in charge in the United States. Oh no, now we're going to have to look at where the funding in Wuhan came from. Now we're going to have to ask why their databases went quiet in 2019. It's called science. It's called being properly responsible with investigative principles. It's called transparency, honesty, openness. And otherwise what you've got is a kind of tyranny. You've got a technocracy where you've got a cabal of experts saying, this is the truth, don't question us. Science has to be a dialogue. It has to be a discourse. Not to mention cultural life has to be that. Political life, social life. It has to be a conversation between all of us. Identifying a disease's source in animals typically takes years. It took more than a decade for scientists to pinpoint the species of bats that were the natural reservoir for SARS, a relative of COVID-19. It says with SARS, it took 10 years to work out where it came from. How come with uh, COVID-19? No, it has come from bats. And we know exactly which bat as well. This little bastard. They were so certain, weren't they, about that wet market? See this? It's come from the wet market. How'd you know that? You science, didn't we? Views science. Down the old wet market. Mm, yeah, that looks like a wet market. Oh, yep, wet market, that one. You sure you're not saying that it's from the wet market? Because if it came from that lab in Wuhan, not only does it embarrass potentially the Chinese government, it points finger at the pharmaceutical industry, irresponsible lab practices, the very agencies that are coming up with solutions to these problems are the same bloody agencies that caused the fucking problem by funding it in the first place. No, it's not that. It's just using science. We know that it come from this bat, in particular bat. It's Barry the bat, dirty little bastard that's come out of his bum. We can show you the exact bit about what caused coronavirus? There you come out of that. That's the coronavirus hole. Dirty little bastard. Whose experts also noted that since lab accidents in the past have triggered some outbreaks, the highly politicised theory could not be discounted. It's already happened before. Right, even though it's happened before, it takes ages to identify it, we're totally certain it come from this dirty little bat down the old wet market. And if you say anything other than that, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's what you must be. Well, it's just, here's my conspiracy. It's happened before. There's a lab over there that's working on bat coronaviruses. You have a vested interest in not revealing that it comes from that where my... Oh, yeah. oh, what's next? The moon's made of cheese. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Don't be stupid. Jean-Claude Managuera, a co-chair of the 27-member International Advisory Group, acknowledged that some scientists might be allergic to the idea of investigating the lab leak theory. It's not an allergy, is it? Right, come on. Let's get on and investigate this lab leak theory. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm coming out in transparency in truth and honesty. I can't cope. To the idea of investigating the lab leak theory, but they said they needed to be open-minded enough to examine it. Yes, science. The report could revive accusations that Hu initially was too accepting of Chinese government explanations. Don't try and blame the Chinese. The media were involved in this. Big farmers involved in this. Our media, the agencies, the CDC, they were all involved in this. Oh, it's, you know, it's a bunch of Chinese. Do you remember when Donald Trump called it the Chinese flu, remember that? It comes from China. Ah, racist. Now they're doing it. The report could revive accusations that Hu initially was too accepting of Chinese government explanations early in the outbreak, which ultimately killed millions of people, sickened millions more, forced dozens of countries into lockdown, and upended the world economy. I don't worry about it, we're that bad. Investigations by the Associated Press found that some top Hu insiders were frustrated by China during the initial outbreak, even as Hu heaped praise on Chinese President Xi Jinping. 
They're also upset over how China sought to clamp down on research into the origins of COVID-19. Do you notice that when it was convenient to emulate the Chinese model and response to the outbreak, it was like, oh, China, they've done nothing wrong. We've all got to mimic their response, their lockdowns, their drastic measures. Then no one was talking about, oh, China's caused this and they're not telling us the truth and they're participating in the cover-up. Now we move into a new phase where it's like, oh, shit, that definitely come out from a lab. Allegedly. Which they probably knew in the first place. Allegedly. We know for a fact they were having conversations about that much earlier in the timeline than they publicly admit to. You know that they unduly promoted the idea that it could have come from that wet market. Allegedly. Because it was a more convenient, sort of obfuscating, murky, blameless theory. Oh, wet markets, oh, their culture. Can't stop people eating crazy stuff down the market. What are you, a racist? Now it's convenient to blame China because then you don't have to recognise Western involvement in the construction of that narrative. But you remember, and I remember, how the media reported. We remember what Fauci said. We remember what people in Britain said. Now they're not lying about stuff that we don't know about where they could be telling the truth. They're lying about stuff we can actually remember. Like, oh, I remember what you said now. So this definitely is a lie. No, no, darling. You don't remember that. You are mistaken. You're like a little child. They try to force us deeper and deeper into these kind of paternal relationships, make us doubt our own minds, gaslight us into dumb idiocy and constant compliance. Former US President Donald Trump speculated repeatedly without evidence that COVID-19 was started in a Chinese lab, or at least evidence that he could publicly reveal. He also accused Hu of colluding with China to cover up the initial outbreak, citing the UN Health Agency's continued public praise of the country, despite China's refusal to share crucial data. Jamie Metzl, who sits on an unrelated Hu advisory group, has suggested that the group of seven industrialised nations set up their own COVID origin probe, saying Hu lacks the political authority, expertise and independence to conduct such a critical evaluation. Metzl welcomed Hu's call for further investigation into the lab leak possibility, but said it was insufficient. Tragically, the Chinese government is still refusing to share essential raw data and will not allow the necessary full audit of the Wuhan labs, he said. I'm not saying that the Chinese are cooperating or that the Chinese are blameless. I'm sure all of that's true. I'm just saying I remember how this was reported on. I remember how this was set up by Western governments. And I think it was expedient then to exonerate Chinese involvement. And it's convenient now to emphasise the problems that are particular and specific to the Chinese because it stops the culpability train whizzing through stations such as CDC, American government, American media, Big Pharma, all necessary stops on this investigation. In March 2021, Who released a report about COVID-19's origin following a highly choreographed visit by international scientists to China. Yeah, it's choreographed, all right. The report concluded that the disease most likely jumped into humans from bats and that there was no evidence to suggest that there was a connection to a laboratory. Basically, our Batman became Batman is their theory. I think what's happened is people's probably their parents was murdered down an alley. And then they've seen a bat and they've probably gone, well, that would have solved it. So I'll pretend to be that. And then that's how you've got coronavirus. What about that lab? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, after considerable criticism, including from some scientists on Who's team, why are they not listening to valued members of their own team? Scientists that they've employed to do investigation. Uh, sir, might I suggest that we look at that laboratory? We've spent seven hours in the market now looking at all these jellyfish and bats and stuff, and yes, it is one way that it can, but we also we're interested in that laboratory. Could we look over there? You can go and look at the lab, but it must be very choreographed. Sir, I'm having trouble with some of these moves. It goes like 
this. Dun, 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 dun. Ignore the truth, ignore the evidence. Dun, 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 dun. The agency's director acknowledged it was premature to rule out a lab leak. Why did you rule it out? Because we didn't look for that connection. Yeah, that is a bit premature. If you've not investigated it, that's a type of premature. It will be mature when you've looked for it. In its new report, WHO said the experts were given access to data that included unpublished blood samples from more than 40,000 people in Wuhan in 2019. The samples were tested for COVID-19 antibodies. None were found, suggesting the virus was not spreading widely before it was first identified in late December that year. So, if it wasn't spreading widely in 2019 in those 40,000 samples, that means there was a period where there weren't no coronavirus. Yes, yes, I follow you, I follow you. Then all of a sudden, there was coronavirus. Not like it was circulating in the market or some naughty little bat with a leather jacket turned up like a little Fonzie bat. That's one theory. Yes, that is one theory. But could there also have been maybe something like, I don't know, an accident in a lab? Whoops! Is that possible that something like that happened? Oh no, it's not worth investigating that. Let's just really focus all our time on finding a bat in a leather jacket. To investigate whether COVID-19 might have been the result of a lab accident, whose experts said the interviews should be conducted with the staff in the laboratories tasked with managing and implementing biosafety and biosecurity. Wouldn't that be like, I don't think I'd have even got down to the wet market before I went, right, so there's this lab where they're doing what? They do uh, gain-of-function research to make bat coronaviruses more aggressive and contagious. Right, and this pandemic is a more aggressive and contagious version of a bat coronavirus. I think we'll probably start there, talking to the people in biosafety. Oh, no, don't worry about that. This is disgusting-looking jellyfish. We'll get around to talking to the staff down the Wuhan lab, tasked with biosafety. But first, let's take a real good look for a bat in a leather jacket. Maybe sunglasses, a really naughty bat. Bat Fonzie. China has called the suggestion that COVID-19 began in a laboratory baseless. Yeah, because you won't let us get a base, you and your partners in Western media, government and apparently neutral scientific bodies, and countered that the virus originated in American facilities. You done it. Who smelt it, dealt it. It's not a fart. It's a pandemic. You caused it, supplied it, denied it, smelt it, dealt it. Mmm, it's a stalemate. Pooey. Which were also known to be researching coronaviruses in animals. The Chinese government has said it supports research for pandemics origins. Wow but other countries should be the focus. We do support it, but just go and look over there like Honolulu and that. Search the entire globe, and then, then we, as a last resort, we'll talk to the people at the Wuhan lab for coronaviruses in the biosafety division. Scientists connected to WHO lamented in August 2021 that the search for the pandemic's origins had stalled and that the window of opportunity was closing fast. Oh, what a coincidence. They warned that collecting data that was now two years old was increasingly difficult. Oh, but to suggest that that was part of some plan where people came together, that would be a conspiracy theory, right? I'm beginning to think that the old adage is true, that the difference between the conspiracy theory and the news is about six months. So there you go. Stay true to your beliefs. Continue to investigate things with an open mind, even if it's within the limitations of you just being a person in the world. And don't just automatically trust authority without questioning from where that authority is derived. That's just a simple principle that we should be applying in every aspect of our lives. Who's telling you it? How do they benefit from what they're telling you? How do you know it's true? Is it possible they're doing it for financial gain? Is it ever that they have your best interests at heart. You can apply that to the pandemic. You can apply it to anything, and I suggest you do. But that's just what I think. I care more about what you think. You are ahead of us. We get our information from you. That's why it's vital that you hit us up in the comments and tell us what you believe. It's vital that you turn on the note. The 
The evidence of vaccine death and injuries is overwhelming to anyone capable of seeing past the mainstream media's hypnotic lies. The numbers tell us that the vaccines have already caused a 20% increase in deaths. Now we have a, r a run rate of about 20% excess mortality. That's confirmed by uh, the CDC numbers, the funeral home numbers, and the insurance company numbers. And then somebody did an independent study I saw recently suggesting 20% is the number. So we're running at 20% excess deaths. And a 10% increase in disabilities. This is a stunning number. You're telling yeah. me that things been flat for five years of 29 million and all of a sudden out of the data, they got three million people are disabled out of nowhere. Correct. And now we are beginning to understand that this is just the beginning. Things are going to get much, much worse. Many of us have already seen the mysterious objects found in the vials of COVID vaccines by two separate independent groups using electron microscopy. We are also familiar with the rising number of strokes heart attacks, and other side effects experienced worldwide after the biggest experimental vaccination in history. And now we are getting a first glimpse of what is causing all this. Something in the COVID vaccines seems to be growing within the recipient's vascular system. Anomalous objects are being discovered in the dead bodies of the vaccinated by embalmers and coroners. Horrific things being grown inside the veins and arteries. These are not blood clots, and they appear to be some sort of organic material with small crystals and extremely thin wires made up of what looks like reptilian scales. This internal blockage growing within the vaccinated would certainly explain all of the deadly side effects we are seeing today. What the mainstream media is currently spinning as sudden adult death syndrome. We do not know what these things are, but they are being found by embalmers and coroners everywhere, except pretty much all of them are too afraid to speak out or they don't care. Only one has shown the courage to speak out so far. And this is the real tragedy. For those who remain silent, things will not get better. The FDA is poised to authorize these deadly vaccines to children as young as six months old. And humanity does nothing. Today, we want to provide an update on a topic that I know many parents and grandparents are focused on. The potential for the first COVID-19 vaccines for kids under five. We have waited a long time for this moment. Well, guys, uh, here's some good news. The Biden administration has finally announced a vaccine rollout plan for children under five, and they've ordered 10 million doses. That's great. Right now, kids are like, oh, my gosh, we can finally meet up for drinks. Yep, as we speak, everyone in the lollipop industry is like, we're buying a yacht. Here we go. You get a lollipop, you get one. It's very exciting to hear a four-year-old scream, Facebook told me Bill Gates controls the vaccines. You go, okay, shoot. Why should we deserve anything other than pain and suffering if we do nothing to protect our own children? Once those afraid of speaking out begin seeing their coroner tables filled with dead children, it will be too late. But it's not too late now. If you are an embalmer, a coroner, or a funeral director, and you are seeing these things, there is still time to save the lives of our innocent children. You can start now 
by contacting Dr. Jane Ruby at ProtonMail.com. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Very extreme claims. Uh, tragic, strange, um, mysterious. Well, more research will have to be done to see the veracity of what are behind those claims. It looks like obviously some some sort of organic material, very tissue-like, uh, almost like a parasite. I don't know if people ever saw pictures of people that pass these long parasites. It reminds me of that. Um, but right now it's just pictures from embalmers that refuse to uh, share their identity, except for one that went on the Alex Jones show. I think it was through the, uh, Mike Adams' Natural News. So it's sort of like it's tough to verify the claims, but, you know, it's, it seems like there's more than one. And so it's something we should be on the lookout and see if there's, you know, that where there's a pattern, we should do research and see if there's something more uh, going on uh, in regards to that whole self or self-assembly organic matter situation uh it's strange saw that earlier this week didn't know what to make of it greg reese always does a great job condensing it down to essentially what's going on with it what to understand about it and the context around it in regards to uh how it might be associated with the vaccine and how the vaccine might be not only changing genetic structure but also causing the self-assembly of very strange organic material inside the body could account for blood clots but then again we have a mechanism for blood clots that doesn't associate with that so we'll have to we'll have to wait out and see if these claims are true or if these are just sensational yeah, I mean, that, that's the gist it's like these are claims offered for inspection mm, that's, that's uh, all. greg reese you know is doing his best to research these things he's telling you what's going on out there what mm -hmm. people are saying what's being reported these sort of things now just because it's offered for inspection doesn't mean you have to consider it to be true I have a client or we have a client that uh, specializes in uh, micros microscopy, microscopy. Yeah, no, you got That's it, microscopy. It, right? And in some of these cases, you know, he's looking at these things critically with a huge library of experience behind his, his perspective. And he says, okay, they're claiming this, you know, uh, this piece, this particle that's in there represents this, right? And that it comes along with the vaccine. So if you find similar slides, like you find that same material, that same texture, that same fiber, and it existed 10 or 15 years ago, right? then you can infer that it's probably from the environment, from the food supply, bad quality control, vaccine, right. right? So I'm sure self-assembling systems, nanotechnology, eugenics, biological, molecular, bio, they're doing all this stuff. We we have the documents of the DARPA and all this stuff. The and we put them on the record on. before. Right. So it's not that they're not doing that, but it's also that not every picture or video that makes that claim is going to be substantiated by evidence and reality Ultimately, when you examine right. it with scrutiny. Right. So take it with a grain of salt. Don't go leap into conclusions that all, all that stuff's like exactly what's going on. Reese is doing the best he can. And the, that, that evidence has to be put out there. And then people can comment on it, right? And but this is already so like rah rah because they're like, oh, we have more evidence of this thing. It's like we also have to be careful not to take the bait. Can't jump to of, conclusions. Of somebody's jump to conclusion and everybody else just doesn't ask the questions to verify that, right? This is what this is part of what this shows. This is why I teach logic. Such things 
Yeah. And then right. you can, you know, to observe something is not to become it. Right. But to make a judgment before observation is the epitome of ignorance. Correct. So we have to be able to look at these things and be able to separate ourselves from them and inspect them. Like, I, you know, just because I pick up this cup, I don't become the cup. Right. I can put it down. It has certain characteristics. It has certain words we would use to describe it. There's different things. It's a container. Uh, it can contain hot things, cold things, all all those sorts of ideas. Right. But I can put that down and I can now say DVD, book, papers, all these different things and move around. I don't uh, get consumed by that. Rather, I consume what's in it. Yeah. I just want to point out this has been brought to our attention probably over a year ago by many people researching potential um, sort of nano structures, the self-assembling nanostructures in the vaccine. What was the, uh, what was the material? Um, the graphene, oh, the graphene oxide. Yeah, That's yeah, what, yeah. That and, you know, yeah. I looked into that and I remember Richard Fleming and Dr. K uh, what's his name? I know it's Karen, Karn, K-A-I-R-N. Uh, um, I forget his first name. Um, it'll come to me in a second, but either way, they did a, they did a segment showing that a lot of the claims being made about that are really just really poor quality control and that it's really from a lack of a sanitized environment. So you, they saw a lot of very strange structures as well, but they didn't really correspond to anything that would be that would look like or be graphene oxide. So it's hard to say that is it some batches that maybe had graphene? Was it graphene that you saw? You know, you, it's just not enough consistent evidence that graphene oxide is really utilized in the vaccine at all in any capacity. And it's the same thing when I look at these structures. Like, this could be a parasite. It could literally just be parasites. That they could have died from a blood clot, and then they could have found a parasite in the body that, that was connected. Because parasites wind themselves, and they're these very elongated tissue-like structures. So it's, it's, it could it's, also explain why anti-parasitics have been working. That's true too. Against the illness. That that's that's and that's what is so confusing. But the you know the point is we can't uh, the fallacy of adding neurantium, in the in the although it's possible we can't say it's for certain until we gather enough evidence that we can make that leap right now there's some evidence there's a pattern here we need to do more substantial substantial research to see if there's anything meaningful behind it right now there's a lot of claims and we need you know more and we talk we need to this. examine this under microscopes we need more scientists involved not just embalmers and we need to get down to what are we need to identify actually what are these tissue like structures? Are they different from tissue that already exists in the body? Or, you know, what is this? Um, we need to identify those structures. The issue is there's a lack of identification around what these structures fundamentally are. So we can't jump to right, conclusion so that it's vaccine it induced, as I guess as that would be the logical like way to understand it. Split that screen. Let's do it like this. It's like a Venn diagram, right? Mm -hmm. Overlapping you know circles. That they're working on nanoparticle mrna type delivery because of pubmed and they talked right? about them they talked about graphene oxide and other ways as um, drug delivery and vaccine delivery so yeah so Not we know from like uh, one of the early episodes of this podcast mrna plus nanoparticles on pubmed and you'll find all sorts of research and aerosolized delivery right mm -hmm. so these things Sorry. exist a lot of DARPA Project over here. Project Diffuse, yeah. Right? But you also have a circle of there's particulates, mm -hmm. there's uh, non-sterile environment. Bad all these QC, things, right? which has been a major right? issue. Bad sample. This bad quality uh, control. sample repurposed as new. 
Uh, there's a whole bunch of these things, but what we're looking for is this area, the Vesica Pisces yeah, of yeah. this Coincidentia Appositorum, where it's like we have here's a, this could be this could be the the graphene, right? It could be a number of things that people find in there, but this is the part that's important right here. And no, that's not some sort of vaginal symbolic type of joke, uh, but that is the history of this Vesica to three. Venn diagram. Ancient fertility religion. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, any of these types of particles Flower that might line. be in there, I'm still looking for evidence that would substantiate Sacred that. Geometry. But I know about this part and this part, and I'm looking for the overlap. A lot of people don't know about this part. A lot of people don't know about this part, and that causes problems. Yes, and it also, I mean, it's okay to. It's not an either or. This is not a false alternative fallacy. It could be, there might not be anything here. This might just be the lack of identification. It could be something that has nothing to do with what caused those individuals' death. It might not be caused by that have anything to do with the vaccine. It might have something to do with the vaccine. It might have something to do with the vaccine that has nothing to do with graphene. It might have something to do with graphene. Like there's so many potential scenarios that could play out. That's why more research has to be done. What we know now, thinking has to be done. You can't depend on other people to figure that stuff out for you necessarily, especially if it's like Tony Fauci. And Mark Zuckerberg and these people and Bill Gates, he's going to tell you about the germ team, right? Like, <laughs> maybe you should think about these things for yourself because you got a brain. You know, your brain is no different than Bill Gates's brain or Tony Fauci's. Brain. And luckily, you have the same degree as Bill Gates does when it comes like, to medical hardware, science. It's similar. It's the software that matters. And Bill Gates proved that a long time ago. <laughs> oh, man. Thank That's you, Bill funny. Gates, for mm-hmm. Microsoft. It was just about to crash on me right there. I had to like press some buttons. All right, so we're keeping it going. Mm-hmm. We're heading into two a.m. time. Yeah. Uh, how close do you, do you think we're to intermission, Tony? Uh, at this point, I think it's the uh, essentials. Yeah, let me bring up the show card here. Let's I th- bring up the show card. I think that we hit many of the highlights I wanted to hit in this section. It's a lot of great clips. Every week, you know, we're skipping a lot of really meaningful clips. Uh, obviously, Brett and Heather had some fantastic. Cl- oh, oh, oh! I want to get something on the show card real quick, Rich. Uh, just yeah. give me a second here. Space Jelly, a.k.a. Maddie, <laughs> and part of uh, James's blog, Manufacturing Reality. She's been doing essays on James's blog here, Manufacturing Reality. We showcased this a number of times before. She just came out with a new essay or blog post, The COVID Collaborators Brave New World, or Brave New Brave Real, new world. Real World. Interesting. Oh, no, or I'm sorry. Exercise. The COVID Collaborators Brave New Real World Data. Oh. So I missed the data one. Okay, very yeah, very interesting, right very intriguing title. Um, let me just read this. Uh, this is from Brave New World. She quotes this to begin um, her blog post here. All right, then, said the savage defiantly. I'm claiming the right to be unhappy, not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow, the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. There was a long silence. I claim them all, said the savage at last. That was Aldous Huxley's quote from Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. So she gets into, okay, Dr. Robert Califf Calif, um, gets into talking about the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Klaus Schwab, WF. I want to do a deep dive into this, but look, Rich... Rich, LD, pretty much the whole team, Joshua. <laughs> They're all going to be at Porkfest next week. 
So uh, I've actually invited Maddie to come on, and we're going to do a deep dive together. So she should be my main guest, one of my main guests next week. I might have Brett on to promote his new show early on. Maddie will come on after Brett. And then I might have a, the headliner will be, if I can get him, Matt Errett, to come on and discuss some of his new research. I've recently been talking to him in email. So it might be a big, even though, and we might have some live footage a little bit. We'll see if we can pull it off. Yeah, we'll if we can if, get the stream going from the Porcupine Freedom Festival in New Hampshire, then uh, I think LD and maybe Joshua have the equipment. We'll see. We'll see if it works. Or Justin, I heard he has uh, the Starlink yeah. or something like that going on. Justin's got the magic bus, man. He's got like, <laughs> a mobile production bus. So we'll see what we can get done. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Next week's going to be a fun episode, even though, and I hope we can capture some uh, live footage from Por- the Porcupine Freedom Festival, get a sense of what's going on there. But hopefully, we get that. We'll have Brett, we'll have Maddie on. We'll do a deep dive not only into to this, the COVID collaborators, brave new real world data, but also a lot of her other essays and blog posts that she's posted uh, on manufacturing reality. And hopefully, we'll get Matt Arid on for sort of the nightcap headliner to get into the connection between the UN and sort of uh, Nazi Nazism and eugenics. And I want to get in a little bit to his article in Kazaria and his, his study into uh, the Venice oligarchy. So, yeah, if you're a reader, if you're a reader, because this, this show is video, you're watching it, right? If you're a reader also, subscribe to Matthew Eretz Substack <laughs> because that guy cranks out such dense, precise, accurate work on such a like it's unbelievable basis like it's every day or so you're getting another solid chunk of what's going on he's got a really tight perspective on the anglo-american establishment yeah. also the anglo-canadian establishment anglo-canadian that's correct commonwealth and, uh yeah he he and his wife do fantastic work so that's that's so. my goal uh, i've been talking to him in email he said he'd be willing to come on just have to coordinate see if it's possible but that's uh so it'll be a full show next week it'll be a lot of uh you know, a little different, a lot of interviews, but it'll also get plenty of clips in. Don't worry. I tend to go long. I was going to say, so. have Stephanie coordinate that because she's the media relations person, but she's going to be a pork fest too. So <laughs> you're on it. You got it. It's all good. It'll, I got it all worked out. And thanks. Uh, thank you, Maddie, for your willingness to come on. I've actually been wanting to get you on for a while because she's been doing such fantastic work with uh, her blog on, well, James' blog, doing all these essays, uh, you know, uh, doing deep dives into the connections, the doing some general grammar and the who, what, when, where of these individuals that are making up the World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, and some of the individuals that uh, we're not really familiar with. We, we're familiar with Klaus Schwab. We're familiar with like uh, Yuval Noah Harari. We're not familiar with necessarily Dr. Robert Califf, you know, North Carolina cardiologist, you know, getting into some of his work, just like we weren't familiar. And I had sent it on a couple of weeks ago talking about Bill Fagey. We weren't like, who is this? Say, yeah, Bill Fagey. <laughs> And like Rich and you and I weren't aware of, uh, I don't know, you might have been. Uh, you were a little bit, but we weren't like super knowledgeable necessarily. Yendo Elliott in regards and we read, uh, you know, Vedmore's article. So there's a lot of no, people. No, no, no. Actually, uh, Sean Stone's whole book, New World Order, is all about. It's Yendo all about Yendo Elliott. Yeah. So I didn't know about that until he asked me to write the foreword for it. And I was like, well, what's the book about? He's like, well, it's my history, the- a thesis for the history degree that he earned at Princeton. And I was like, all right, we'll send it to me. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know, like we were having lunch in New York city and he made, he made this offer in the first half hour. He's like, Hey, I'd like you to write the forward. Cause stuff we were talking about Anglo American establishment, dope Inc, like this whole stack of books here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to get his manuscript 
and uh i read it down uh at the beach over a weekend and um i like to sit in the shade and read i don't like to sit in the sun so i read that and i called him and i was like i'll write the ford because this manuscript is impeccable there's not a single thing like it's an unassailable argument and if you read it you're like oh it makes so much sense and this book goes with tragedy and hope 101 by joe Plummer. so if you read joe Plummer's book then this would be the next book i would recommend reading uh and then you read dope inc after that you got the whole big picture and you don't have to read thousands of books oh yeah i mean these are essentially the, the right the, books, these are the cliff the right notes picture. they're the cliff notes yeah. version it cuts yes. out i mean um if you're a nerd like me and like the larger context of just understanding history from a, a macro perspective that's well, Durand, or I like a Carol Quigley's stuff that's outside necessarily the Anglo American stuff. I think he has some very interesting perspectives. And, uh, you know, other great historians. It's, uh, that's great, but it takes a lot of time. All you got to do is read and, those two and books and maybe the cool. parts of the Anglo-American establishment, and you pretty much are caught up to a lot of the stuff. And then if you really want to do deep dives, you can get in the tragedy. Nope. Or Dope Inc. would be a great, that's one if you really want to extricate a lot of what, how the you, crown rules rules. Uh, if you don't want to go get those books, and you just want a video that has like the story. I'll tell you where I first heard this story. And I was so incredulous. Oops. I was so dismissing of it. I was like, if this is going on, man, I would know about it. That I went out and I, re I took notes. I watched it several times, took notes. I started looking all this stuff up. I got the books that he was referring to. And then I saw, oh my God, this is a legit message from like, uh, you know, it was like a Christian prophecy club forum. They had speakers all the time, right? This guy was one of those speakers. So I was like, this is kind of hokey and it's kind of, you know, churchy and what's going on here. But the guy had a legit message. And it just, as it turns out, the Christians back in the 90s were the only ones giving people a stage to speak freely and kind of blow the whistle about these situations. So yeah. the presentation I'm speaking of specifically is a presentation called the brotherhood of darkness oh Stanley i was gonna Monty, say or is that it yeah sorry who yeah. helped to print the bootlegs of tragedy and hope sure. back when they had banned it and john taylor gatto interacted with him he's a really interesting cat and i like him he's an excellent public speaker he's actually uh, well he tells educated a great story he's a smart and he dude. says he's like you know there are those who think it was the freemasons or those that think it's this group or that group or this group or he's the like, jesuits all of them and that. here's a yeah. plan yeah. and i was like no way man i would know about this so again incredulousness if you if it leads you to but i'm gonna look it up that's learning you are on your way that's turbo boost but if you're like i'm incredulous and i'm not going to look it up you are dead in the water you're stagnant you're not growing in the situation so you know look past the messenger look past the place where the message might be presented or the lack of production value and look into the message and be like what is going on in our timeline here because it seems to be a little corrupt yeah, someone got a hold of a time machine that doesn't have the best intentions. That's a that's a metaphor. I think um, that in the future, at some point, somebody <laughs> good intention comes it's up with a time machine, and you know what happens then? People with ill intention from the future steal it immediately, and that's part of the timeline. I think we probably are in at this point with Biden. The bifurcate, bifurcated timeline of the yeah, yeah, the Biden bifurcation. The Biden bifurcation. <laughs> sure, alliterate that five times fast. Bill back um, Biden bifurcation. Oh, there we go. Say that five times fast, everyone. You can do it. Don't fall off a bike. Come on, there, man. There you go. Come on, man. There you go. All, All right. So, uh, is the, uh, yeah, let's get back to the show card. So, so shout out to Maddie. To We're going to. Yep. Shout out to Maddie. We'll get you on next week. Really excited to have that conversation together. Be a really exciting show next week. 
And uh, yeah, uh, so as far as what's left on the show card here before we get intermission, uh, lots of good stuff, but nothing over. I think we hit the highlights. I really do. Uh, a lot of this stuff. There was one mention I want to. I want. I want to mention uh, Scott Ribunked. He's a member of the GTW community. He did a really uh, fantastic podcast this week, uh, detailing a very tragic story. A um, little heavy to go into here, but I wanted to. It's been posted in the GTW community, and obviously, um, wherever he streams, I don't know if he's on Rockfin and Odyssey, but uh, I have it on here. He's on Band Video, I'm pretty sure. No, yeah, you're right. He is. In fact, he's it was one of the LD highlight ones. Yeah, he's he had LD. To Rockfin. I thought it was yeah, Rockfin. He's had yeah, LD and thinking. Owen Benjamin on his show. Hell yeah. Two of the tallest people in the freedom movement. With, there you go. See, here it is. Yeah, John, Jenna Campal, Campal, brave kids need our help. So it's uh, here it is. So I just want to make people aware of it. It's a really great discussion. Shout out to Scott for having her on. Um, essentially, it's it's a woman had a, is having life, being denied life saving surgery because she didn't partake in a COVID jab, and she's only seventeen years old. So that's the reality. of What's going on? Uh, Tough you know, thank to learn yeah, age. yeah have reality slap someone in the face that quickly so scott out the shout out to scott for doing that uh having having allowing her to have a voice get her message out there and uh you know making people aware that that's going on so i just want to bring people attempt to bring awareness to that and i think that's the main thing so let's go to intermission we have a couple flavors here yeah, I want to hit the Matthias Desmond. Okay, yeah, we can do that. Uh, because uh, he had done that study, and he worked with uh, the guy who did uh, United States of Fear, McDonald, Dr. McDonald. Yeah, the, and, um, Mark McDonald, I believe his name is. I yeah. Think. Yeah, and he's out. Of, he's a psychiatrist out of uh, Los Angeles, if I remember correctly. But Desmond's and, from Belgium, right? Correct. And they both sort of came up with a theory independently. I think he – I think – Mark called it mass formation and uh, Matthias Desmond called it some sort of um, formation psychosis. Yeah. Something like it was something weird, like some mass psychosis. And they brought the, this, I forget who brought the terms together. Probably Brett Weinstein chocolate or Robert Malone. Butter. Yeah. Chocolate. They made the breezes. Oh, I'm bringing in the uh, processed candy now analogies. Um, but either way, so let's get into this. 2 a.m. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Don't have any. Yeah. Reese's. On that. We had Greg Reese's tonight. <laughs> Greg Reese's. Clever. There you go. All right. So, uh, Matthias Desmet, let's hit some of that Burmist. Uh, was it not the transhumanism? Or DARPA, DARPA, bots, DARPA. the black oil AI aliens and the DARPA Moderna <laughs> dance. Origami nanobots, everybody. <laughs> origami bots. Listen to this title. Origami bots. Terminator to like Terminator 3. Yeah, so seriously. It tells you where we're at in the timeline. Yeah, origami bots, the black oil AI aliens, and the DARPA Moderna dance. That is a great title, Jason. Fucking it's fantastic. uplifting. It's uplifting. And, uh, you know, we talked about solutions earlier. So, oh, if it should be too much, go learn something. We probably won't get to this unless we show this yeah. after intermission. But uh, Helio Wave did another fantastic production. We, we showcased him last intermission, last for intermission last week, I should say. He did another one called The Epstein Network, A Tale of Two Bills. 
So hmm. uh, an interesting, might be worth checking hmm. out after the intermission. Um, Who could the other Bill be? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I we'll wonder. All right, so, so let's check it out. Not that many, well, there's a lot of bills, but not that many bills associated. So process of elimination. Either way, okay, let's get to this. All right, so uh, oh. headed into intermission. I'll just real quick. Yep. Headed into intermission. I'm probably going to give command of the ship to Tony afterwards because everyone else here seems to be sleeping. So who wants to have tired Rich all day tomorrow doing the drive to New Hampshire? So, Tony, treat them well and try to make them laugh at the end. That's a good thing. <laughs> Right, <laughs> maybe JP and uh, yeah, yeah, I'll throw I'm some gonna, comedy out there, yeah, and then uh, through intermission, I'll continue to pack up stuff. And uh, we're, we're not going to go super late because LD's still here in the control room, he's got to be able to get some Z's too before we get on the road tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you guys Logistics can uh, you of could... real life meeting in real life is complicated. There's I'm doing the streaming and hosting tonight, so not the hosting, you're All hosting, right, cool. but I'm doing the streaming. So if you guys need to dip out i got the rest of the stream from we here can on hang on so. loosely but we won't let yeah. go until we have to right, yeah because yeah. i'll just go until i only want to show a couple clips afterwards uh, that i think need to be preserved and uh yeah so i'll play about 20 minutes of this matthias and then we'll go with a little bit to burmis and then we'll pop out I'll some commentary and then we'll i'll probably wrap it up so and then we'll see because tony might go record record time tonight no, that'll that might be He's next week. He's got full week. streaming capabilities. Yeah, we'll see what happens. That might be next I'm week. I'm leaving it open because there's th possibly three interviews next week, plus all the clips we have to show. So it could be uh, pretty yeah. interesting. Oh, wow. also, also, we yeah, we got to show a clip of uh, the interview we did this past week with Samuel Rivera. Oh yeah, we got to. Well, we I don't... released the whole interview, but we were supposed to play a clip tonight of the interview. Yeah, but you guys could you guys can go see it right now. That you no, know, not right now, but after the show, it's on my YouTube page. It's fantastic. He makes fantastic videos, but he also is an entrepreneur. He's freedom oriented. Uh, he's a dad and he's a pretty cool dude. I learned a lot and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to him more. So yeah, see if fantastic you can get producer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. LD, if there's the one composer. last thing, actually, LD, if you could do before you dip off for the evening, if there's any clip that's quick for you to extricate that I could show in five minutes, maybe from that interview, let me know. If not, we'll save it for next week. But if there's something that can be, Put on this time capsule for tonight. Let me know. But either Lots way, moving parts. let's uh, let's go to intermission, and let's start off with Matthias, and we'll go to Bermis. Intermission. This is a guest that I have been so excited to have the opportunity to speak with for a very long time. Uh, we talked about mass formation psychosis before. We talked to Dr. Mark McDonald. But Matthias Desmet um, is behind the mass formation discussion out of Belgium. He has written uh, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, which uh, comes out today, actually. So it is my honor and privilege to have him coming up for a sense of what we're talking about. Here is what it's looked like in your news. Well, the term mass formation psychosis trended over the weekend with so many searches it broke the internet. When people went to search for the term on Google, a couple of strange things happened. Some people saw this odd disclaimer from Google saying the results were changing quickly and that it would take time for results to be added by reliable sources. What does this even mean? I thought when you Googled something, it would bring up sites relating to the topic. Sounds like they're censoring search results. Well, a few hours later, when people searched for the term, a bunch of sites began to pop up claiming it was a new far-right buzzword or one attributed to anti-vaxxers. So what is mass formation psychosis? 
Well, the term came recently from the Joe Rogan, Dr. Robert Malone interview that aired this past Friday. And this leads into this whole issue of mass formation psychosis. There's good modeling studies that probably half a million excess deaths have happened in the United States through the intentional blockade of early treatment by the U.S. government but was also heard and explained in more detail during Dr. Peter McCullough's interview with Rogan. We're in what's called a mass formation psychosis. This is very important. I give credit to Dr. Matthias Desmet in the University of Ghent in Belgium. Mass psychosis is when there is a groupthink that develops that's so strong that it leads to something horrific. If all the people who, who, uh, who want to speak out against the, 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 the mainstream narrative if they would unify and become one group, they would be powerful enough uh, to, uh, to change the direction of the middle group. We should continue to speak out. <laughs> yeah. That's the, one, the most important thing we can do. For any of you out there in the world that have been saying, I feel like I'm walking around an insane asylum, or you know what I mean, the, the, the lunatics have taken over the insane asylum, I'm there with you. Matthias Desmet has done some incredible work uh, on the concept of mass formation. It is my honor and privilege to be joined by him now. So uh, to begin with, there's been some confusion in the term, I don't want to get buried here, mass formation psychosis, but you just call it mass formation. Uh, is that correct? Yes, I, I prefer to call it mass formation. Yes, I, I, I never use the term mass formation psychosis because in, in my opinion, both from an ethical and from an intellectual point of view, it's better to use the term mass formation. Okay. Um, now, you know, uh, one of my questions is, is mass formation in a term you've come up with or is this an older term in psychology? That's something I haven't understood yet. Has this been around for some time? The term was used uh, from the 19th century onwards by such authors as Gustave Le Bon. Uh, Freud also used it one time. Uh, Elias Canetti used it. So it was, it was definitely used uh, uh, before I used it, uh, but maybe not in such a systematic way. Uh, that's possible. Uh, okay. Now, for my audience out there, I know you've told this story many, many times, uh, but for there's so many people that still have not really heard, you know, what mass formation is and how it comes about. Obviously, we're talking about this pandemic in many ways, which is why we're having this conversation. But take me through what are the elements? You know, what is is you know, is there a state that 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 a, a population? Obviously, this isn't always the world. It can be a continent. It can be you know a smaller group of people, but. There, there has to be a set of, of, of things taking place, of, of like a climate that makes us vulnerable to this. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mass formation is a, is a specific kind of group formation uh, which has very specific effects at the level of individual mental functioning. For instance, it tends to make people completely incapable of taking a critical distance of what the group believes in. And in the end, the group starts to believe in the most absurd things, such as, to give one concrete example, um, during the revolution in Iran, the revolution of 1979, which was the beginning of a large-scale process of mass formation in Iran, people started to believe that the portrait, the picture of the Ayatollah, their, the leader of the mass, you could say, was printed on the surface of the moon. And when there was a full moon in the sky, people typically stood out in the streets, pointing at the moon, showing where exactly they could see uh, the portrait of the Ayatollah. That's one historical example of how absurd wow. the beliefs of a mass of a mass can, can come. So that's, that's one 
typical characteristic of, of, of the phenomenon of mass formation, one typical effect of mass formation on individual mental functioning, but there is more. For instance, people who are in the grip of a mass formation typically become willing to self-sacrifice. They It is as if they are no longer aware of their own personal egoistic interests. And this, this, this goes very far as well. People become radically aware to sacrifice everything that was important to them before the mass formation started. And a third characteristic that is, that is extremely important is that people who are in the grip of mass formation typically become radically intolerant for dissonant voices. And in the end, they tend to stigmatize the people that do not go along with them, give them a sign, and then start to commit cruelties towards them, and in the end, try to eliminate or destroy them. And even more important or more characteristic, they do so as if it is an ethical duty to do that, to, do, to, mm. to destroy these other people. And this even they even become radically aggressive and, and intolerant towards the people they used to love very much before the mass formation. I will give a concrete example again. Two months ago, I was talking to this uh, woman of Iran, Shoref Ishtari, this conversation is available on the internet, who lived in Iran during the revolution. And she has seen with her own eyes how a mother reported her son to the state and hung the rope around his neck just before he was hung and how she claimed to be a heroine for doing so. That's one concrete example, but it's typical for all mass formations. Uh, whether we are talking about the Crusades or about the witch hunts or about the French Revolution or about the rise of the, uh, the Soviet Union or Nazi Germany, all typical examples, historical examples of mass formation, every time we see this very typical characteristic that in the end, people start to commit cruelties to everyone, even the people they loved very much before the mass formation, and they do so as if it is an ethical duty to do so. That's the last stage of mass formation. And it is extremely important to understand the mechanism, the psychological mechanism of mass formation. Because if you understand it, you know what we have to do to avoid the process of mass formation going to this ultimate terrible stage. Um, and that's, well, of course, I've been explaining this, this mechanism of mass formation. It's indeed, as you already suggested, yeah. uh, the population has to be in a specific psychological state. Yeah, tell me about that. Tell me about, like, what makes us vulnerable as a society, you know, to this type. And, and you're talking about this isn't just, this transcends education levels, right? You're, you're talking about essentially... You know, the majority of humanity are vulnerable to being to taking part in this. I mean, I used to always argue with my friends growing up that anybody could be a Nazi if you were in the right circumstances and socialized correctly. I think for the most part, most of us, it's very rare that we have some sort of moral code or super critical thinking that that breaks us apart from it. But but before we get into like what makes it, what is the what has to be the climate? What has to what what makes us vulnerable to this type of movement? Yes. Well, first and for all, some people are resilient. Some people do not fall prey to mass formation, but it's very hard to know why and which people mm. uh, uh, do not fall prey to it. But uh, as you said, uh, intelligence, uh, 
doesn't protect you from mass formation, not at all. And the level of education is even a counterindication. The higher the level of education, the more vulnerable for mass formation. That has been observed in the 19th wow. century and 20th century, and we see it again now. So, but indeed, the, the most important thing is that, well, a population has to be in a very specific mental state in order for large-scale mass formation to emerge. And the most crucial condition for large-scale mass formation is that many people have to be disconnected from their natural and their social environment. So many people have to feel lonely, have to feel atomized, as Hannah Arendt called it. And uh, what you could see, for instance, was that just before the corona crisis, uh, the number of lonely people really peaked in Western society and even worldwide. Over 30% of the people worldwide reported in a Gallup World Poll that they didn't have one meaningful relationship and that they only connected to others through the internet. Yeah. That gives you an idea of the extent of the problem. In, in the UK, uh, Theresa May appointed a minister of loneliness. And in the, in the US, uh, the US Surgeon General concluded that there was a loneliness epidemic that was around 2017 and the problem only became worse since then. So yeah. that's the most crucial condition is this social isolation of a, of, a, of, a, of a substantial part of the population. And then the second condition actually follows from the first one. Once people feel disconnected, they will typically start to be confronted with a lack of purpose and meaning in life. And that's just because human beings are social beings and they have the feeling that their lives make their life makes sense if they see that they have an effect on the other. So if their relationship with the other uh, impoverishes, if, it, if, it, if, it's, if, it, if there is no strong social bond anymore, people will typically uh, start to uh, suffer or to, to, to be confronted with lack of meaning making in life. So that's the second condition. And also that condition was really fulfilled just before the Corona crisis. Over 60% of the people worldwide claimed that they considered their own job to be a bullshit job. That means a job which they couldn't think of uh, for whom it, it, it might mean something uh, right. or, or to what it could. So that's, that's, there were extremely high figures. Uh, only 15% yeah. of the people worldwide uh, considered their own job to be meaningful. Wow. Wow. So no. they're living they're feeling lonely. They're living what they consider to be a meaningless life. And so those are two of the conditions, right? What else is... Exactly. And the third condition, the third and the fourth condition are, are also crucial. The third condition is that when people are in this state of disconnectedness and lack of meaning making, they will typically, typically be confronted with so-called free floating or freely floating anxiety, frustration and aggression. That means that a kind of anxiety, a kind of frustration and aggression that is not connected to a mental representation or to put it in plain terms, a kind of anxiety in which people don't know what they feel anxious for, a kind of frustration and aggression in which people don't know what they feel frustrated and aggressive for. And this is an extremely aversive mental state, because if you feel anxious and you don't know what you feel anxious for, you feel completely out of control. You feel as if you cannot control your anxiety just because you don't know what you're anxious, anxious for. And under these conditions, if a population, if these conditions are fulfilled in a population, something very typical might happen. If under these conditions, a narrative is distributed through the mass media, indicating an object of anxiety, and at the same time, 
providing a strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, then all this free-floating anxiety in society might connect to the object of anxiety provided in the narrative, and there might be a huge willingness to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety. The reason why is clear. If people can connect their anxiety to an object and participate in a strategy to deal with this object, they feel in control again. And it doesn't matter then whether this object of anxiety is the true object of their anxiety or not. That is the first step of every major phenomenon of mass formation. In the Crusades, the object of anxiety was the Muslims. In the witch hunts, the object of anxiety was the witches. And during the French Revolution, it was the uh, the Ancien Regime. In the, in the Soviet Union, it was the aristocracy. In the Nazi Germany, it was the Jews. And now, in the Corona crisis, it was the coronavirus and all the people that refused to go along in the uh, with the battle to fight the coronavirus. Right. So, it's the first step of mass formation is always the coupling, the connection, of the free-floating anxiety to one object which makes that people become very focused. All the attention is directed at one very small aspect of reality from then on. And the rest of reality disappears into darkness. And uh, the second step is even more important. Because so many people at the same time participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, people have the feeling that they are connected again. They don't feel lonely anymore. They fight a collective heroic battle with an enemy, feel connected again. And we could say, okay, and what's the problem then? People felt lonely. Now they feel connected again. Right. Well, there is, there is a huge problem because this new connection, this new group, this mass that emerges in a society is not formed because individuals connect to each other. It's formed because every individual separately connects to the collective. That means that in a mass, people are typically very enthusiastic and full of solidarity. But the solidarity is not a solidarity with other individuals. It's a solidarity between an individual and the collective. And even the longer the mass formation lasts, the more all the psychological energy, all the love and solidarity is sucked away from the bonds between individuals and all injected and invested in the bond between the individual and the collective. And that explains, of course, why in the end people show a radical lack of solidarity with each other and a huge solidarity with the collective. And as a consequence, they are willing to report everyone, even their loved ones, to the collective. Wow. And that's Yes, that's, that's typically what happened during the Corona crisis. We were all full of solid, or, or most people were full of solidarity. Yeah. And at the same time, they accepted that when someone got an accident on the street, they were no longer allowed to help that person. That was, it was stipulated right. like that on the websites of the Dutch, the Holland government, the European government, and probably also on the website of the US government. And at, in the same vein, People accepted that if their parents were dying, if their father or mother was dying, they were no longer allowed to visit them anymore. That was the kind of solidarity that emerged in the Corona crisis and that emerges in every mass formation and in every totalitarian state, which is usually a consequence of mass, always a consequence of mass formation. That's what I describe in my book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism. The consequence of mass formation is that in the end, people end up in a radically paranoid atmosphere. Wow. I mean, when I think about the, the cycle of that, 
when you really aren't connecting, you are fulfilling what you think is a connection, but has no connection to somebody. It's actually robbing you of that. It's the antithesis of that. You sit more and more isolated, but a part of, you know, a connected ideal, an ideology, it's robbing you of that connection, which seems like it would make you even more desperately involved, you know, sort of like a drug that you're trying to get fulfilled by, but that hole, that chasm just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you get more... I would guess, you know, ferociously involved with this, this mission. So quickly, when you look at mass formations, I mean, I've been saying we've seen world wars. We call world wars one nation against another, you know, things like that. In, in this scenario, uh, mass media and government regulatory agencies in almost every nation of the world took part in this is this the largest mass formation event in the history of the world? That's how I see it. Is there another example you can give where this collectively we all jumped on, you know, at least the, those that believed in it, got involved with a singular thought all the way around the world, a singular ideology to stop this virus? Has that happened before? Never. This, is, this mass formation cannot be compared to any mass formation before for several reasons. The size, it's a worldwide mass formation, and also, maybe even more important, uh, the modern masses uh, are different from, all pre from ancient masses because of one very important factor. Modern masses are so-called lonely masses. That's something that I learned from Jacques Ellul, who, worked, who wrote a wonderful book on propaganda. And he, he said that the most important difference between the modern masses and the ancient masses is exactly that the modern masses are lonely masses. That means masses that form without the, the individuals who are in the mass, without these individuals don't physically meet. They are all isolated in their own homes. Oh. They all share the same narratives. They all share the same beliefs. They all share the same myths because these myths, narratives, beliefs, or distributed through the mass media. So the modern masses can only exist through the mass media. Mass media are crucial. And the modern masses, these lonely masses, are much, much more vulnerable for propaganda and indoctrination of the ancient masses. Just because in an isolated state, people are less resilient to the infusion mm. of ideas. From outside, so the lonely masses. It's crucial to understand what's happening. So, so normally, it, normally I imagine, and I think about this. There was never a stadium filled with people going, stop the virus, stop the virus, like we would see around Hitler, the giant masses that were involved coming together, you know, you know, pamphlets being handed out and interaction is what you're saying in those masses. In this, we all sat by ourselves in our homes being fed information, either via social media or our television set coming to our conclusions, but never having the moment to say, John, do you think this is crazy? Like there's, there was no no physical connection in it. It's, it's totally lonely. It's, that's really interesting. Indeed, it was a lonely mass. And, um, and uh, that makes the effect of the mass formation even more powerful. Uh, mass formation is identical to hypnosis. It's exactly the same process. In hypnosis, in a classical hypnosis, there is someone who withdraws the attention of someone else from the environment and focuses all the attention on one small aspect of reality. For instance, you often see the hypnotist moving with his hands like this and then focusing all the attention 
on one small point of reality. And once the attention is coupled uh, uh, to this one small aspect of reality, all the rest of reality disappears in the darkness. It seems as if it doesn't exist anymore. And this mechanism is extremely powerful. For instance, a simple elementary hypnotic procedure is sufficient to focus the attention of someone so one aspect of reality that the person doesn't notice anymore that a surgeon is cutting in his flesh. I've seen this with my own eyes, how a, a, a professor hypnotized someone in a hospital and how a surgeon, a simple hypnotic procedure, and how a surgeon could cut through the skin, through the flesh, even cut straight through the breastbone to perform an open heart operation. That's the strength of the phenomenon of hypnosis, the strength of this mechanism of the focusing of attention on one point. And that's exactly what happens in a mass formation. In a mass formation, there is first this stage of disconnection from the environment, which can take a few decades, a few years, it doesn't matter. And once all the psychological energy is freely floating uh, in, in, the, in the mental atmosphere, once we, we have this free floating anxiety, frustration and aggression, there suddenly there is this narrative distributed through the mass media, focusing all the anxiety, all the frustration, all the aggression on this one point, the virus, the anti-vaxxers, the Jews, the aristocracy, it doesn't matter whom. And then once all the attention is focused at that point, people are not aware anymore of all the rest of reality. And you can literally take everything away of them. They won't notice it. You can literally, the Corona measures can make as, can claim as many victims as they want people will only see the victims of the virus in the beginning of the of the corona crisis i try to tell people time and time again okay the virus might claim a certain number of victims but the corona measures probably will claim much more victims and no matter how much i try to show people papers all uh, calculating that the number of victims of the of the measures would probably be higher than the number of victims claimed by the by the virus right. They didn't want to see. They just told me things like, okay, and what will you do then? You will just let these people die who suffer from Corona. I said, no, what will you do? Will you let all these children starve in, the, in developing countries as a consequence of the lockdowns? And people stopped talking to me. They didn't want to hear it. Then they, manif they manifested something that is typical for mass formation, a radical intolerance for dissonant voices. And that's the exact, that's the problem. There are several aspects. I explain them in detail in my book, which make that people in the mass formation are just not sensitive anymore to rational counter arguments. no matter how, how well, um, how good they are, these counter rational uh, arguments. people in a mass won't listen. They usually won't wake up, even not when confronted with uh, the most solid uh, arguments against their narrative, but, and that's important, that doesn't mean that we are, that we, that there's nothing we can do. We definitely can do something. When we look at that, you know, when I look at, you know, these measures, first of all, you know, we've had so many discussions on our show 
You know, you had ivermectin, you had hydroxychloroquine, you had studies showing that these products looked like they were working, you were having success. Yet the narrative where these things don't work, the vaccine is going to be our only way through. The only way we can get to the vaccine, we got to make sure that enough of us don't die, you all have to wear a mask. And as you pointed out, it really didn't matter how many mask studies you showed. I brought on specialists from OSHA who fit masks on people, saying the mask is not designed to stop this virus. It never will, it never can end. There's detrimental effects. Now, our audience did grow, but the, obviously the mass chose a different perspective. My question is, um, how much does the does it work better if it's sensible? Because this all seemed so crazy. Like it's it, there was there was no sense to it that you had Fauci saying the mask didn't work, and then he said they did, and we all forgot that he said they didn't, and that didn't seem to matter. We studies that we said that the the, the mask you know wearing it around like I'm afraid of the air. It just seems so unreasonable. Does does reasonability get in the way of mass formation or is it part of it? Is it part of it just the most ridiculous thing they can ask you? You'll do it? Uh, it just doesn't matter to someone in mass formation whether the narrative that leads to the mass formation is correct or blatantly wrong or utterly absurd. That doesn't matter. People buy into the narrative not because they think it's right or correct or something. They buy into the narrative because it leads to this new social bond. That's why they buy into the narrative. For the same reason I, as supporters in a football stadium all sing the same song, not because they think this is the most beautiful song in the world or because ah. the song is right or correct or something. They sing it because it connects them to each other. And that's why people go along with the narrative of a mass formation. And you could even say more. And this... Uh, I, this was, was, was observed by most people, most founding fathers of propaganda. You could even see more. It's a very good thing if propaganda is not consistent, if it's inconsistent. You can perfectly also, Hannah Arendt, if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, she wrote this wonderful book, The Origins of Totalitarianism, totalitarianism which is a kind of state uh, which uh, is based on mass formation and which also is, 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 the, is what my book is all about because I think we are witnessing the emergence of a new totalitarianism, a technocratic totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. But Hannah Arendt, Hannah Arendt also uh, observed already that uh, she, she said the leaders of the masses base their uh, propaganda on the very correct psychological assumption that it is perfect, perfectly possible to lie to the population time and time again. And it might perfectly be the case that every day it becomes clear that what you said be, the day before was a lie, people will still believe the lie of today and they will go along with it as if it is the truth. So, and I could give you several other examples, people, that's something that is very striking and very, very, very remarkable that people in a mass formation just don't care whether it is true or not what they believe in. And even more, the more absurd the narrative is, that leads to the mass formation, the more absurd the narrative is that is articulated by the leaders of the masses, the more enthusiastic they will be. And it is just the simple reason is it's that what I explained in chapter nine of my book. The simple reason is that the narrative and the measures, for instance, the Corona measures, because all narratives that lead to mass formation has to be associated with a certain action, certain behavior, concrete behavior. Well, the measures, the more the measures become absurd, the more they fulfill their function as a ritual. And the ritual is exactly a kind of behavior that is absurd from a pragmatic point of view, 
And that demands a sacrifice of the individual, a sacrifice through which the individual shows that its own individual interests are less important than the collective interest. That's ritual, ritualistic behavior. And that's why people in a mass are really in need of ritualistic behavior. They felt disconnected. They felt lonely. They felt this extreme lack of meaning making. They felt that their life was without sense. And now they found this new purpose. They found something that is worth living for and that is worth dying for. And through the participation in absurd rituals, unconsciously, they satisfy this enormous need that all human beings have to, uh, to transcend their own individual lives. But the problem of mass formation is that it is so extreme. It is an extreme collectivism. Life is good and a society is fruitful if there is a balance between individualism and collectivism. Sure. And that's what is completely disturbed in the process of mass formation. We see this extreme collectivism in which people participate in rituals without being aware that they participate in the rituals and with a, an, an, an absurd willingness to sacrifice everything, their wealth, their health, the future of their children, the lives of their children, everything in order to belong to that uh, mentally intoxicating collective experience that mass formation is. I mean, it's so fascinating when you say it. I just think about, you know, ritual. When I think about, you know, people that lash themselves, you know, as that's getting them closer to God, you know, the more, you know, intense it is, the more I'm committing to my goal to, to, uh, to deliver this connection, to deliver my focus. And, you know, when you think about, when you say hypnosis, I think it really, I mean, I've been throwing that term away like everyone's hypnotized, but if you really take that on, that the hypnosis is the singular thought of stopping the virus, so it doesn't matter if yesterday the, the terms change or every day the vaccine, that now it's now take three shots, five shots, two masks, whatever it is, we'll keep doing it because to stop doing it would mean to go back to that space of being meaningless, which has got to be a horrifying place to be, right? We don't want to go back there. So we'll do anything to hold on to what we think is giving us connection. That's what's taking place, right? So it doesn't matter. We're not going to be derailed from our goal. Exactly. That's what, that's what happens. But that, 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 that is true for a for a rather small part of the population, only 20 or 30% of the population is really into the process of mass formation, is really in the process of hypnosis, you could say. Okay. Okay. Um, the rest of the population, 60 or 70, 75% knows that there is something wrong with the narrative, feels that there is something wrong, but they just don't go against the masses because they prefer uh, the comfort of uh, remaining silent. And they think that everybody will, everything will, uh, will, uh, will change uh, if, if they just remain silent. And there is only a small minority of the people who knows that there is something wrong with the narrative, who really sees what is happening and who also decides to speak out and to go against the masses. And it's this group that is crucial. This group is crucial. This group should know that, one, they won't succeed in waking up the masses through rational argumentation. That's impossible. The mechanism is just too strong. But, and that's crucial, it's not because this group does not succeed through speaking out in waking up the masses that speech has no effect. Their speech has a huge effect. It 
constantly disturbs the process of mass formation, constantly disrupts it, and that makes sure the speech of the dissonant voice, the sound of a dissonant voice, makes sure that the process of mass formation is constantly disturbed. And um, Gustave Le Bon, one of the most famous mass psychologists in the world, or he, he wrote his books in the 19th century, mentioned already that if there are people who continue to speak out in a quiet way, without really trying to convince the other people, but just fulfilling the ethical duty to speak out as a human being, that they will make sure that the mass formation does not reach this level in which the masses and their leaders become convinced that it is justified to eliminate and destroy everyone who doesn't go along with them. By speaking out, by speaking our truth, we have got to hold on to that because if we don't, there's potential that that mass could just say, let's just get rid of that group of people. There's still a humanity in them that we can key into. Now, when you say it's a small group of people that in the opposition side, are what, roughly it was 30%, you said, are just dedicated to the mass. Then are we talking 15, 20%? tend to just rebel against the, or, or be critical thinkers, or is it, is it less than that? It depends on the stage of the process of mass formation, but uh, very often it's only 5% or something. Okay. Uh, but that's enough. That's, that's enough. That's enough. If, if these people succeed in forming a group, a group that is not a mass, that's extremely important <laughs> because yeah. that's, that's the entire challenge, that this small group is also experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration, a lot of aggression. It feels threatened and it might uh, become a mass itself and in that case this small there is a, a strong polarization polarization in society and the small group usually is destroyed in the end just because you have two groups two masses uh, uh, functioning according to the same destructive principles and usually the small group is destroyed and after the small group is destroyed the masses will start to destroy themselves but because so, that was going to be, I'll be honest with you that was the question I was going to have in all the work I've been watching you do is and you just answered, but I was going to ask you, is there a benefit to start using some of these tactics from the from the other side saying, why don't we create ritual? Why don't we use things to start enrolling people in a mass? Is it just one mass against another? So you're saying if that's attempted, that that just ends up you won't get the you won't get the critical mass side. You'll be outnumbered and you'll create a friction that will end up getting the, the smaller group eradicated. Yes, we should not form a mass. Um, we should form a group, uh, a, a, a healthy group of people, and which means that a group that is formed because people connect to each other. People develop strong connections with each other in several ways. It can be realized in several ways. But uh, And also, one major uh, difference between a mass and a fruitful group, a, a humane group, is that uh, this last group, uh, acknowledges and accepts that everybody has his own opinion. So in the small group that doesn't go along with the mass, uh, we should avoid uh, to impose one opinion to everyone. Everyone should be capable of, of, of looking at things in his own way, of having his own opinion. Everybody should speak in his own way. And that will be very effective in the end. It will be very effective. That's so important, yeah. I've, I yeah, have this conversation important. all the time when there's arguments <clears throat> from 
our side, whether you call it vaccine risk awareness or these movements for health freedom, let's call it health freedom, they're always getting together and saying we've got to come up with a common slogan, a singular idea, a statement, something we all stand behind. I've kind of been, you know, not as well educated on the matter, but saying I think it's better that we have different thoughts about why we're having an issue here. I wanted to quickly come back and just, they said something in the beginning that sort of caught my attention that I think needs to be addressed. And that we're talking about these mediated interfaces by the use of technology. Uh, Matthias referenced a philosopher early in the early 20th century. I'm not familiar with him. When I was Le Bon or if it was someone else, it wasn't a psychiatrist, I don't think, or a psychologist, it was a philosopher that mentioned, uh, that sort of distinguished between uh, mass formations of the past and mass formations in the, the, I guess, the late 19th and early 20th century in regards to modern industrial societies, there's an isolated mass formation. And that's a, a novel type of sort of uh, mass movement, mass formation that's taking place where people feel isolated. Whereas before you had an element, uh, at least a social element correspond with the, the idea of a mass formation. This time you feel completely isolated, which amplifies um, the anxiety, the free-floating anxiety, uh, the need to ground that free-floating anxiety to continue this sort of <clears throat> metaphor um, as though it's um, some sort of a static electric field that needs to be grounded, you know, um, <clears throat> or uh, electrical circuit, excuse me. <clears throat> Point is, um, that's an interesting concept. I think it's important to, let's revisit a couple things here that we've already gone over tonight, but I just want to bring to people's attention again. Rich brought this up earlier. I think it's an important quote. This comes from Fire in the Minds of Men, which I have my copy over there. I think I got it out last week, but I didn't share a quote from it. But I don't have one of those fancy book cams, as people know. But obviously, he already played, he already showed this. But in 1843, I just want to go over this again, because I'm going to go over another book here that I think highlights. I want to, I want to make a point here that's larger in scope, um, that corresponds exactly to what Matthias is saying, but gets to the heart of what it means to be human, how what it means to be sort of a, a, a creature that seeks out greater meaning, a meta meaning a, 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 to their life, uh, a greater narrative that's usually um, supplied by religious institutions or, uh, or society or culture at large, our extended families, just being a part of something. It's usually the meaning is mediated by at least feeling as though we are have some sort of influence on someone else's life, either for the positive or negative, usually hopefully for the positive. And that, in some sense, gives us a satisfies an aspect of our ego and keeps it in balance and in check. Now, I want to reread this again, and we're going to go back to an earlier quote from this book. Then I'm going to go to another book. Um, well, it's an essay. It's actually the first chapter, I think, of um, Marsha McLuhan's book. Uh, under, uh, I forget the name of the book, but the chapter is called uh, The Medium is the Message. And it came out in the 1960s, and I'll get into that in a second. But first, I just want to quote this idea of cybernetics. We even get in a little bit into Norbert Wiener and uh, the human use of human beings, because they keep going back to, and Kybernetes be the, the, the helmsman who steers or directs a ship, this idea that you're steering and directing either a, an actual ship or the ship. It can be a metaphor for one's mind. Um, it can be a metaphor for controlling either yourself or large groups of people, but they always saw it as sort of a closed system feedback loop where each part is working to correspond and make the whole operate and work as, as a, as a whole entity. Um, 
So let's go back here to prophecy, the emergence of intelligentsia. This is part of uh, the section is part of uh, a fire in the minds of men by James H. Billington in 1843. B.F. Trentowski invented the word cybernetics, which the earlier term was kybernetes, which was associated with the helmsman of a ship. Anyways, back to the text to describe the new form of rational social technology, which he believed would transform the human condition. In his neglected work, The Relationship of Philosophy to Cybernetics, or The Art of Ruling Nations, and you can see the relationship, at least etymologically, to the idea of controlling a ship, con the, the Kybernetes, the, the, the helmsman of the ship that keeps all pieces functioning uh, in their proper order. Now you're you know, controlling all the pieces that make up a, a nation. Anyways, go back to the text here. He also invented the word intelligentsia in a passage challenging the leadership of the nationalist poet Adam uh, uh, Mikowitz. Trentowski called him out of touch with the new generation and the new spirit. And without getting into uh, that, I want to actually go back here to some of the origins of the idea of sort of cybernetics and how it relates to the concept of um, uh, mystery schools and symbolism and sort of uh, you know early forms of religious and spiritual thinking so this comes from i think this is an early it's probably page 16 here i don't know if that page actually corresponds but when you look up to cybernetics there's a pdf copy online and i can pull out my other book just to verify but this is i've used this before and it's pretty good uh this middle paragraph here is very interesting and this gives an insight into when matthias is talking about this idea of like psychological energy and how we're devoting psychological energy as though it's some sort of like ungrounded energy that is seeking some sort of conduit in which to ground itself and connect itself up to. And that, and by doing so, there's a sort of shared energy, uh, whatever you're giving your energy over, you're receiving back from the leader or the, the group that is, um, you know, uh, leading this mass formation. And you sort of see this inherent feedback from that. Whether it's, you know, Nazi Germany, he talked about uh, the Iranian Revolution in the 1970s. We can talk about the USSR, um, various religious organizations in history, uh, the early formations of Christianity and Islam, for that matter. Um, it goes on and on. But without diatribing too much, I want to get into this. So in the middle paragraph here, we shall deal repeatedly with the linguistic creativity of revolutionaries. Linguistic creativity keep that in mind, who used old words, democracy, nation, revolution, and liberal, in new ways, and invented altogether new words like socialist and communist. Their appealing new vocabulary was taken over for non-revolutionary usage, as in the adoption of Republican and Democrat for competing political parties in post-revolutionary America, or in the conservative co-optation of nation, liberal, and even radical in late 19th century Europe. Revolutionaries also origin, originated other key phrases used by non-revolutionary social theorists in our own century. Cybernetics, intelligentsia, even speculation about the year 2000 began not with the futurology of the 1960s, with a, but with a dramatic work written in the 1780s by the same figure who invented the word communist. So it's, it's as if words have a certain emotional charge to them. 
you know, and and that's what he's sort of getting at, that when words relate to terms that relate to concepts, and concepts are purely immaterial uh, abstractions of the human mind, that we give over enormous amounts of uh, emotional energy to. So he's sort of recognizing that these words, even if they're from non-revolutionary sources and authors that were speaking of them in a philosophic context, this personalized, impersonal, doesn't matter, this passionate, should say, they they're taken over by revolutionaries. There's a cert, there's like the they can consider them in a way the first type of memes that sort of uh, reimagine themselves, reinvent themselves in revolutionary minds. And so how these words become co-opted? They're not quite neologisms, literally new words, but they're sort of older words that have a certain emotional charge to them that uh, are carried forward by revolutionaries, by people that are able to weaponize them in a certain way because of my the sort of man's penchant for symbolism, archetypes, you know, spiritualism, conceptualization, ideological biases, so forth and so on. In fact, uh, Billington goes on to say in the next paragraph here, the origins of revolutionary words and symbols is more than antiquarian interest. For in the contemporary world, where constitutions and free elections are vanishing almost as rapidly as monarchs, revolutionary rhetoric provides the formal legitimation of most political authority. The historian's path back to origins leads, however, into often murky labyrinths and requires a willingness to follow seminal figures in leaps of fantasy to remote times and on long marches into distant spaces. Revolutionaries, no less than prophets of the Judeo-Christian Muslim lineage, seek to find their holy other in historical time. They tend to become more extreme in the present as they idealize an even more and excuse me, an ever more distant past. Those who glorified pre-Christian Druids tended to outstrip in fanaticism those who looked only to the early Christians. And he's just using Christianity or the Abrahamic faith as an example here, that the further in the past it becomes, the more generalized, the more decontextualized it becomes, the more we build up a story in our mind about what actually happened and what meaning we can derive from it and what emotional energy we'll give to it. I think that's very important because there's like a feedback in a way with the past, even if it's not a feedback that's correct. It's a feedback with what we want to believe about the past and how we'll co-opt those terms from the past, give them sort of new life, a new sort of energy to them, and seek to ground them in these mass formations. So I think that's a very interesting idea of like cybernetics, for example. He talks about B.F. Trentowski and the intelligentsia. These are all words that have been co-opted by individuals like Norbert Wiener, right? And here's a man. He wrote a book. uh, When was this? uh, 1954. First published in 1950. The Human Use of Human Beings. And he talks about a number of situations. I've I've shown this book uh, before when I've hosted. I'm not going to get into this one specifically right now because I want to get into a different one. I've really never got on the record that I think is really important. This is actually an essay. And I think this is right. Understanding Media, the Extensions of Man was the book published by Marshall McLuhan in 1964. Um, But the first chapter of that book, and if people aren't aware of who Marshall McLuhan is, I'll just give a quick overview. He was a Canadian philosopher. He was um, a social critic and a philosopher. Um, He was a, a polymath in many respects. Uh, he understood so much in literature, uh, classical literature, and modern literature, and had was a, a futurist in understanding and critiquing the impact of sort of 
<laughs> not to steal Bertrand Russell's title here, but the idea of how science is impacting the way we're experiencing our reality with these mediated interfaces. So Matthias is saying this is the first time he, he got this concept from a, a, this philosopher he referenced, I think it was Lebon, but I can't remember, um, talking about how this mass formation is different because we have this technology that makes us feel even more isolated. This is what Marshall McLuhan has been warning about for a long time. And if I can just read a couple of paragraphs from Marshall McLuhan's work, before I even get into the paragraphs, real quickly, I think it's important to point out that Terence McKenna once gave it interesting, and this is where I first came across Marshall McLuhan like 15 years ago when he was talking about him, like the impact of a mediated interface is like the impact of a drug on consciousness. It changes consciousness. It quite literally changes consciousness. Um, the We know this. It sort of takes you from an alpha sort of consciously aware state into a beta wave state where you're more susceptible and passive to information that you're taking in, no matter how critical and intelligent, critically thinking and intelligent the individual is, they're much more passive and willing to take in the information that's being presented through them through, the, through these, these mediated interfaces. Um, and so, you know, going back to some interesting quotes from, from uh, Marshall McLuhan and the medium and the message, I just want to get a couple on here that I think are really important. Um, this is just the first paragraph. In a culture like ours, long accustomed to splitting and dividing all things as a means of control, it is sometimes a bit of a shock to be reminded that, in operational and practical fact, the medium is the message. This is merely to say that the personal and social consequences of any medium, that is, of any extension of ourselves, anything that comes from the army, anything that represents a technology, result from the new scale that is introduced into our affairs, our affairs by each extension of ourselves or by any new technology. Thus, with automation, for example, the new patterns of human association tend to eliminate jobs is true. That is the negative result. Positively, automation creates roles for people, which is to say depth of involvement in their work and human association that a preceding mechanical technology had destroyed. This meaning there's a change in technology, change in uh, lifestyle, change in the situation, how people interact with it. Technology sort of dictates how people or that I guess we define ourselves by the way in which we use technology. Many people would, that's what he's sort of saying, back to the quote, many people would be disposed to say that it was not the machine, but one, but what, but what one did with the machine that was its meaning or message in terms of the ways in which the machine altered our relations to one another and to ourselves. It mattered not to the least whether it turned out cornflakes or Cadillacs, the restructuring of human work and association was shaped by the technique, this is important, of fragmentation that is the essence of of machine technology fragmentation atomization um you're nothing but a sort of component part of a larger system and not your own inherent system that has that shares in a likeness to the the nature itself that's a separate issue back to the quote or back to the first uh, paragraph here at the end here the essence of automation technology is the opposite is the integral and decentralist in depth just as the machine was fragmentary centralist and superficial in its pattern patterning of human relationships <clears throat> so i think you know and actually i want to skip here to a couple more quotes uh because this is really interesting this is on page 10 uh middle of the page here failure in this respect has for centuries been typical for and total for mankind the subliminal and docile acceptance of media impact has made them prisons without walls for their human users as A.J. Liebling remarked in his book, 
the press, a man is not free if he cannot see where he is going, even if he has a gun to help him get there. For each of the media is also a powerful weapon with which to clobber other media and other groups. The result is that the present age has been one of multiple civil wars that are not limited to the world of art and entertainment. He's speaking about civil war in a very abstract sense here. In War and Human Progress, Professor J.U. Neff declared, Total wars of our time have been the result of a series of intellectual mistakes. And he gets into more of that. Now, I want to see if there's one more quote I wanted to bring oh, uh, to ping up here. This is actually really interesting. And this is sort of the last quote I wanted to, the or last paragraph I wanted to point out about and to highlight the important the the importance of what Matthias Desmet referenced from that early 20th century philosopher that talked about the difference in the type of mass formation this sort of disintegrated atomized individualism or not, not individualism but sort of um uh, lack of individualism from the atomization through that's being mediated through this machine interface where we're more isolated in a mass formation so in, in other words we get in these feedback loops or the clo these closed systems with individuals that we feel we that have a charismatic draw, that we have some sort of penchant for their own ideological way of seeing the world, and we give over all our energy to that. So there's no social component there. It's being mediated through some sort of interface. And that's why they called it lonely mass form or lonely mass formation or something like that. Whereas the first time where people aren't getting together in person and experiencing that shared energy that happens in groups. This is something that's being mediated directly through a machine interface. It's the first time we've really ever seen this in history, whether it's a radio, uh, old transistor radio, or whether it's a TV, or now it's with you know these computers and virtual reality, and God knows. Um, you know. Anyways, getting back to this last paragraph here. If the formative power in the media are the media themselves, that raises a host of large matters that can only be mentioned here. All they deserve, although they deserve volumes, namely that technological media are staples or natural resources, exactly as are coal and cotton and oil. Anybody will concede that society whose economy is dependent upon one or two major staples like cotton or grain or lumber or fish or cattle is going to have some ob obvious social patterns of organization as a result. Stress on a few major staples creates extreme instability in the economy, but great endurance in the population. The pathos and humor of the American South are embedded in such an economy of limited staples, for a society configured by reliance on a few commodities accepts them as a social bond quite as much as the met metropolis does the press. So what he's doing is he's drawing a very complex analogy to the idea that technological media is essentially a form of a commodity or a raw material resource. And essentially, if we're tying ourselves to this one commodity, this one raw material, this one resource, and we focus so much of our infrastructure around this, then any sort of compromise to that creates a dissolution, a disintegration, a, a, a catastrophe, a crisis in that society that relies upon it. So back to the uh, uh, paragraph here. Cotton and oil, like radio and TV, become fixed charges on the entire psychic life of the community. And this pervasive fact creates a unique culture cultural flavor of any society it pays through the nose of all its other senses for each stable that shapes its life that our human senses of which all media are extensions are also fixed charges on our personal energies and that they also configure the awareness and experience of each one of us may be perceived in another connection mentioned by psychologist carl gustav jung every this is from jung now every roman was surrounded by slaves the slave and his psychology flooded ancient italy 
and every Roman became inwardly and, of course, unwittingly a slave. Because living constantly in the atmosphere of slaves, he became infected through the unconscious with their psychology. No one can shield himself from such an influence. That was from his work, Contributions to Analytical Psychology, uh, 1928. And this very last, this gets into Bertrand Russell. I'll read this last small paragraph. And I think it's important what he's saying is there's this feedback between um, what you're relying upon um, in regards to the, the labor of the people you're exploiting and then how much you superimpose the top-down situation, tyrannical hierarchy that creates on the society at large, and you yourself become essentially embedded in that hierarchy and become a slave in your own right in a very different way. And so you end up adopting the, the concept of slavery, ends up the concept itself is like an energetic thought form, going back to James H. Billington, talking about the adoption of revolutionary ideas, becomes its own form of enslavement. This, this feedback with this idea, this concept that we give life to in terms and words becomes its own sort of like uh, egregor, this manifestation that becomes its own uh, feedback that creates the same situation that you're trying to exploit from other individuals. So in other words, you become the very thing you're trying to avoid or exploit is basically what he's saying. Now, just this last paragraph here. It was Bertrand Russell who declared that the great discovery of the 20th century is the technique of the suspended judgment. Free-floating anxiety, suspending judgment. Anyways, back to the quote. A. Albert North Whitehead, on the other hand, explained how the great discovery of the 19th century was the discovery of the technique of discovery. Sort of this meta-discovery, if you will. It's the process of under science is basically what they're saying. Namely, the technique of starting with the thing to be discovered and working back step by step as on an assembly line to the point at which it is necessary to start in order to reach the desired object. And the arts is meant starting with the effect and then inventing a poem, painting, or building will have just that effect and no other. But the technique of the suspended judgment goes further. It anticipates the effect of, say, an unhappy child or not on an adult and offsets the effect before it happens. In psychiatry, it is a technique of total permissiveness extended as an anesthetic for the mind, while various adhesions and moral effects of false judgments are systematically eliminated. This is a very different thing from the numbing or narcotic effect of new technology that lulls attention while the new form slams the gates of judgment and perception. Let me reread that. This is the very, so what he's, he's, he's sort of drawing this sort of, uh, he's juxtaposing these two ideas together and drawing an analogy between them. Uh, this idea of techniques of suspended judgment, that meta-analysis, one could say. You're starting with the thing and you're working backwards to you know, find, how, uh, find inspiration and find how it works, in other words. Uh, like an assembly line process, a process of deduction to get to towards causal or central units. Makes sense. And you do this in psychiatry, you know, uh, psychoanalysis, so forth and so on. But then all of a sudden, Marshall McLuhan comes in and says, wait a second, this whole process is very different. This is a very different thing from the numbing or narcotic effect of a new technology that lulls attention while the new form slams the gates of judgment and perception. For massive social surgery is needed to insert new technology into the group mind, and this is achieved by the built-in numbing apparatus discussed earlier. Now, the technique of suspended judgment presents the possibility of rejecting the narcotic and postponing indefinitely the operation of inserting the new technology on the social psyche. A new stasis is in the prospect. So he gets into more evidence there. He tries to build out his theory. 
I think it's important to note that the reason why I bring this up and I read a number of uh, paragraphs from various works here is how much we become slaves to these concepts and how much these concepts, we, we sort of imbue them with life. But what's even more disturbing is how these concepts are being essentially per perpetuated by these mediated interfaces after a time where there's already so much free-floating anxiety, where there's so much atomization, where there's so much isolation, which only creates uh, a situation where there's even greater need to ground ourselves in something or someone or some message that makes sense for us and then find feedback in these closed system loops to sort of uh, give a sense, give meaning, give purpose. And that's what happened with COVID. Uh, instead of seeing ourselves as humans as part of suffering a very tragic situation around the world, we divided ourselves and vaccinated versus unvaccinated. People were trying to understand the origins of it versus people who um, don't take it very seriously versus people that uh, may not even believe in viruses versus people that believe who are hypochondriacs. I mean, it's just been nothing but complete divide and conquer on such a granular level. Like you can find it's almost fractal in nature where you can find that the smallest and smallest scale represents the largest scale at the same pattern. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that this is the visionary from the 1964 speaking about this, right? Where he's talking about suspended judgment is really this idea of meta-analysis. That can we take a step back, as Rich said earlier, and view things sort of dispassionately, critically analyze things, have greater discernment and judgment, increase that space between stimulus and response? Can we do that? I think that's sort of what, to a certain extent, loosely, McLuhan is suggesting with this idea of suspended judgment. But then he's saying here that, wait, there's a there's a literal effect on the body like a drug on consciousness, like a drug on the body or a drug on consciousness if it mediates serotonin. There's there's something happening when you inter you put in this mach this machine or mediated interface. It uh, creates a, a situation where we become more passive and even more accepting uh, accepting of it of the situation. I think that's like a major difference that needs to be highlighted because it actually can have more grave consequences for perpetuating uh mass psychosis for you know i want to say indefinitely but possibly indefinitely until we find ways to break people out of sort of a hypnotic spell um in a way you can think of it as a dark magician's tool it's like their new tool in the toolbox this is alluded to by alan moore uh, the great uh, uh, uh writer novelist he was a graphic novelist um uh, for people out there it's like uh comic books if you will uh he wrote the v for vendetta and the watchmen and you know those famous that have been turned into books but he talked about the, how he related the idea of language to magic which is kind of what billington is alluding to a little bit you know um very loosely but that's and he actually billington literally gets into mystery schools in his work and so here you see how in a way McLuhan is also relating it to magic but he's relating it to like an effect on consciousness that allows for the way in which people manipulate our consciousness to have a greater effect. So it amplifies these ideological movements is essentially kind of where McLuhan is going with this. The, literally, as he says, this is a very different thing from the numbing or narcotic effect of new technology that lulls attention while the new form slams the gates of judgment and perception. It slams the gates of judgment and perception. It decreases the space even more so than actually the mass formations that existed in the past when you were at least a part of a larger social environment. There's a shared energy, a part of that. There's really no shared energy. The shared energy is through a computer, through a digital representation of someone else speaking to you, such as myself speaking to you right now even. 
So it's um, not to say that the information technology hasn't been incredible. We wouldn't be able to understand and have all this for me to share all this information here for rich to be able to do the research that he's done and find the books he's done and put out the podcast so it's not to say there isn't a positive effect there but um you know when matias mentioned that i just had to i thought that really hit home in regards to making people aware as far as a larger deep dive of how much concepts terms words how we communicate with one another can become, especially with technological interfaces, become their sort of own prisons. And the fact that like when they mentioned this idea of isolated mass formation, and this is mediated through to new technologies, I was like, oh, that's a that's something that's been warned about for quite some time. So, um, you know, very interesting. And I should really play the clip from Alan Moore talking about magic, this magic and, and language being really one and the same thing because language is essentially the controlling the mind. I talk about this all the time. I talked about it in my logic course. I've talked about it on GTW. Um, mind control is literally the control of language. You control language, you control the mind. If you control what can be said, you control what people can think about, you control how people then respond to those who th say things that are outside the norm, that maybe present concepts that are not kosher with what is the reigning power structure. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation where you create again another um, polarization and uh, and uh, mass formation, if you will. And so that's why every dictator throughout history has always attempted first and foremost to control language, control language. Um, that is the most important thing. And what has been done through this COVID-19 narrative, through through especially these mediate interfaces, the control of language. You know, you're not allowed to talk about lab leak. You're not allowed to talk about side effects of the vaccine. You're not allowed to talk about effective therapeutics. You're not allowed to talk about origins, um, or I guess I mentioned lab leaks. Uh, you, you know, you're you're not if you're not uh, you're not allowed to talk about the ineffectiveness of masks, and that goes for by the way everything. They you know that's been that extrapolates out into the cultural revolutions revolutions, progressiveness progressiveness that is going on in regards to. Um, the, the sexualization of children and uh, all the, the, the racial divide that's, you know, they're trying to really force on a, a people's perception of America and Americans. You know, it's all these different divide and conquer strategies, but it's being perpetuated. It's being amplified by these mediated interfaces because we're more isolated now than we ever have been. When they cited the research earlier on that uh, people feel lonely and meaningless, that's absolutely true. That's why individuals like Peterson um, have become such rock stars as intellectuals in a way, because all of a sudden he came out and, you know, he related to this idea that, yeah, there's this there's this lack of meaning and lack of purpose and that it runs deep into the human psyche, into our collective consciousness. If you if one a collective unconscious, if you believe in Carl Jung's theory or or spiritual traditions, if you're more of a, someone who uh, has a penchant for that. And it relates really to our, our essence of what it means to be human, to think, to feel, to speak, to communicate, um, to love. The, all these, all these, you know, functions that make up the mind, body, soul complex. So, anyways, I just wanted to give people a sense of that. I thought that was really powerful. Now, um, it's three twelve. I'm going to continue with what we we're supposed to do. Um, as far as the intermission, I didn't think that was going to be as long as the deep dive as I wanted it to be. But uh, definitely check it out, by the way. It's only, it's a small, I don't know, 20 pages of Medium is the Message. It's like the first chapter, I think, or it's one of the chapters in Marshall McLuhan's 1964 book. So check it out. It's a really famous essay. Man was a hyper genius and uh, being able to 
understand the impact that the technology would have on future generations. Um, it's funny when Sam Tripoli was talking about things like uh, uh, Pornhub and stuff like that, like um, and you know how much we're getting into base animal desires and how much that is a reflection back of ourselves. Marcia McLuhan sort of in a in a more abstract way warned us about this he kind of he was a christian very devout catholic i should say so you know he has that bias to him but he had a very interesting he's more of like the tolkien type or the um uh, uh spacing on his name right now oh man i can't believe it. anyways the the point is they have this idea that we're manifest the Christ or Antichrist, which I think if you take away those terms and say you manifest like the, the animal side of ourselves, our base desires, that's one thing that technology will show us, or we can manifest the, the best aspect of ourselves, utilize it to better ourselves, to form communities, to get to understand our world and to have access to incredible amounts of information. Um, to be able to come up with new technologies to help heal the human body, all these sorts of things. In other words, technology would be essentially, it would cast a shadow of our own collective unconscious back on ourselves and make it conspicuous. And we'd be forced to see ourselves naked before in a very psychedelic way. And that's sort of what's happening. We can literally see that, I think, uh, most obviously, most conspicuously at any other time in history because of the, the rate of information transfer and the way we interact with these machines. So you had this, this brilliant idea of how like it's essentially going to either manifest one or the other, and we'll have to see you know how that how that works out, um, and whether or not we'll learn from you know this imbalance between our animal desires and our higher consciousness, our reason, and our you know the the intellectual virtues, if you will, as Aristotle described it. So, anyways, go on to uh Burmese. let's uh origami bot such a cool name origami bots the black oil ai aliens and the darpa moderna dance so let's head to and check out what the hell is jason Burmese talking about in regards to this title For the origami and hey everybody Jason Burmis here and are you ready for the origami nanobots the magnetic slime and an AI alien future all while doing the DARPA Moderna dance well you better be because that's what we're here to talk about and unfortunately the final segment of this show, which will involve DARPA and Moderna, will not be able to air on YouTube because they will probably take it down for you know what. I won't even say the word. Ooh, there's so many dirty words that we can't talk about. So thumbs it up, subscribe, and share if you're new. Remember, we're fully demonetized here. The links down below are how you can watch me elsewhere on Rumble, Rockfin, Podbean, and more, and also financially support the broadcast. Let's get into it. The real Fantastic Voyage, miniature origami robots that can roll, flip, spin, and swim could be used to dispense medicines around the human body. So this one's going to have it all. When I saw this, the first thing that I thought about after I thought about Blade Runner and the origami unicorn 
that I put in the thumbnail was a story about alien life being AI and robotics and more of a push that even we will live in a post-human future, okay? And, and I'll show you that article in a moment. But I thought to myself, man, this thing looks like a transformer. And of course, the transformer's backstory is they are also aliens, okay, folks? So let's scroll down. I want people to see this because we're also going to be playing the magnetic slime. And one of the reasons I'm talking about Hollywood productions, etc. It's a way to show you how science fiction makes it its way into our reality and in many ways prepares us for that reality. So if, if you see this uh, little item here, okay, that's what we're talking about the size of right now as a uh, representation, but obviously these things will be miniaturized and we'll just watch the video, okay? So this is out of Stanford, and they call it the Millie Robot, and it's it's just I'm gonna take myself out of the out of the picture here because it is wild the way this thing moves. There it jumps, okay. It submerges. And by the way, we're gonna talk about how the DARPA dogs are now moving in water, and essentially this thing is going to be able to take all sorts of different forms, disperse all sorts of different quote unquote medicines and absolutely could be used as a technology to empower humanity. But at the same time, it could also be used to enslave humanity. All right, now you're going to see it uh, move in some uh, wet tissue, obviously. This is the uh, innards of a uh, pig stomach, and now you'll see it pump the medicine out. Pretty interesting stuff, the origami robot. <clears throat> and as I stated before, this technology, of course, is only going to get better. However, what we also have here and have for a while is the magnetic slime. So forget about a nanobot that behaves in that manner. This is literally something like out of the Terminator or what I'm going to reference uh, in a bit, the X-Files Black Oil Saga that started in the 90s. And for me, uh, you know, I, 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 again, think by being prepared by the media to want to see what a real alien look like and that an alien's supposed to look a lot like a human in the sense it's got two eyes and a mouth and a torso and arms and legs. You know, it looks like E.T. or it looks like uh, alien autopsy was big at the time. And certainly that storyline was present in the X-Files. But then all of a sudden, this black goo, this metal, right, shows up. Although it's a, a, you're never really sure whether it's a sentient being, whether or not it's just controlling them uh, through thought patterns as it starts to overtake people like zombies. Later in the movies, they show it during the uh, caveman period. But this material is able to be, again, manipulated by outside... Um, magnetic waves, okay, resonances, and by that it can take any shape. Obviously, they're they're doing similar things to what you saw in the other one here, and they want this to run into your body. And these things again are going to be equipped with sensors that that make it impossible for you to quote unquote game the system, and they will constantly be able to control it. All right. So I want to 
move on down the line here. And remember, the, these are the type of technologies that are developed by NASA and DARPA and the military industrial complex in conjunction with universities and corporations. It's the techno-fascist state. So as we were talking about, again, these things swimming around, spot the DARPA robot now has a propeller. Huh? Isn't that great? We'll take the music off. But everybody's like, yeah, I'll, I'll just get away from it by going onto an island somewhere. Now that they couldn't just disperse them via drone. But there's going to be no running from these things. And we're going to show you that they've even developed now human-like skin for a lot this of these. This is my proudest robotics. moment. Once again, um, spot the DARPA robot now, now can swim. Lovely. It's awesome. So as I said this, uh, they talk about this living skin, and a lot of us are aware of Westworld and what I keep talking about, the move towards transhumanism, the merging of machine and man, and trying to make machines more human-like. But at the same time, behind the scenes, there has been so much uh, biogenetic experimentation on not only human beings, but species across the board, chimeras, anybody can look into how much of the chimeric studies are actually made public. And now what we're talking about is eventually things that may be indistinguishable from a biological being. And this is why I want to talk about this right here. Is ET a robot? Astronomer Royale says alien civilizations may have already transitioned from flesh and blood to machines and humans will eventually do the same. Now in this, he says in thousands of years, obviously, if you've been watching me, I would say uh, the people in charge are way ahead of thousands of years of us becoming machines. And really the big trick is to try to get you into the virtual age where you upload your consciousness to said machines as um, this predator class ascends to godhood via these technologies. And, and that's why, to me, all of this stuff is synonymous, right? When we talk about aliens, we have to talk about transhumanism. We have to. Because in an essence, man is creating an entirely separate species. That's also something that Bushnell talks about. Okay? Uh, Giordi Rose who was a big part of D-Wave, the initial quantum computing Google NASA partnership, all right, often talked about these things being aliens that were bringing into existence. And with the story about sentience out there, this is preparing the public for more of this, okay? And that's why we're talking about it. And when I was talking about the black oil, I want everybody to take a look. You know, basically, it's a story uh, storyline that this uh, stuff has been around since mankind has been around, okay? And it's able to overtake um, any kind of biology, really. I believe I believe it can go even beyond human beings. But it, again, it was never a big part of my show. But now that we see the technology coming into fruition, I just think to myself, man, talk about ahead of its time, ahead of its time indeed. AI, robots, those type of technologies, the origami bot and this technology supposedly going to save you medically. Well, I want you to meet Grace, okay? Um, 
And the thing is... Before we go to Grace, I think I'm just going to play people who have never seen this before. A uh, little predictive programming. Though you mentioned the black goo. I... From the movie Prometheus, sort of a prelude to the sort of alien Ridley Scott universe. little predictive programming that grace i'm only going to uh i'm going to pause it once it comes up because this is actually going to be on the flip side here i'd rather not because th this is a pandemic used robot right here okay so we're going to play this clip on the other side but we're going to play another clip first i just don't want to get in trouble and this is a real thing they're taking over the medical system and they even want the blockchain to be utilized with grace as they phase human beings out of the medical system. Okay? And in my opinion, push transhumanism on us all as robotics get stronger. You know, we talked about that skin. I want everybody to uh, see this right here. Let's turn the volume up. This is, uh, this is actually, I think, a few years old now. So... Let me uh, show you, just forget about the skin. Look at these artificial muscles. Look at that thing. Okay. Uh, you think you're going to outrun that? You're gonna, you gonna? You think you're going to out-wrestle this thing? Hmm? Take a real good hard look. And, and what we're looking at is public technology, and it's old. What do they have behind closed doors? Okay? Let me ar also argue this. 
before we uh, go to the other side, we talk about DARPA and Moderna. With DARPA's access to all these different black programs and black sites, and Annie Jacobson claiming in Area 51 that even back in, uh, you know, the during the Roswell incident, the Soviets had access to genetically modify and manipulate surgically children to look like aliens. Okay, forget about what we've learned now. And that's what was dumped on them via the saucer technology they gained from the Horton brothers. I'm not saying that's true, but if it were, do you, do you not think that this government could actually create a biological or AI-type entity that actually believes it's an alien to fool us all, even if it's not? Look at that thing. That's the robotics we have right now, guys. Take a good hard look. And with that being said, okay, I'm going to just put these uh, stories up behind me. I'm not going to say anything about them, okay, because we can't talk about it over on YouTube. Now's the time to come over to Rockfin, okay? Come on over. Come on over to Rockfin. Come on over to Rumble. We're rumbling. We don't even have a 1,000 followers on Rumble because we're going to talk about this story. And we're going to talk about this story. Okay, now, I can't say nothing about them here, but I do want to point out, before we leave, okay, that DARPA and Moderna's partnership started in 2013 to fight uh, for mRNA, right? To fight what? Oh, pandemics with mRNA drugs, all right? And they talk about both natural... And biological attacks when the pathogen is unknown. Unknown, okay? Now, <clears throat> I want to point out that, uh, you know, this has been fact-checked all over the place. Political, political fact says it's false. But Moderna and, um, and uh, DARPA's partnership, uh, you know what? Let's talk about it on the other side. I don't want to get in trouble. So thumbs it up, subscribe, share. You want to support me, YouTube audience, come on over or buy me a coffee. That's the way to do it. YouTube, we'll see you later because we have the uh, Grace clip to play because they instituted her during COVID-1984. Again, bring this into the medical industry. We have those stories to talk about. And then we're going to talk about this sequence right here, which suggests a lot. We'll see you, YouTube. All right, guys, we are off of YouTube. Uh, you know, again, I can't, I can't lose that channel. So they're saying it's one in three trillion that this is a mistake. And basically, uh, COVID matched one of their cancer drugs that they patented two and a half years later after that partnership, because all this mRNA tech is also about getting into the medical system and genomically changing human beings. Okay, it is CRISPR tech. Even in this Time Magazine article, over and over and over again, they talk about CRISPR tech. It's gene editing. Say it with me. I can't say that over on YouTube. I'm not allowed to talk about that over on YouTube. That's a no-no over on YouTube. But it's the truth. Okay? And people need to get with it. All right? And I can't talk about how Moderna, who partnered with DARPA, their vaccine, okay... Do you see this? They say that uh, uh, 
Uh, where is it? Did they change the headline on this? They must have changed the headline. Of course they did. They were forced to change the headline of this. Basically, they said the Moderna shot. I can't even believe this. Well, I can believe it. You know what? Let's go to my Facebook just because I think that the headline is still up. We'll do it live. Thumbs it up. Subscribe and share because I posted it here. And there's another one right here. I mean, look at this one right here. Severe COVID-19 rare and unvaccinated people uh, study reveals. No kidding. I told I told you it was rare in the first place. They kind of said saying safe and effective. All right. See, here it is right here. Moderna's jab is more likely to trigger myocarditis than Pfizer's. That was the headline. Okay. See, this is the weird Orwellian censorship world we already live in. All right. Of course it's deadlier than Pfizer's. Of course it is because they work directly with the Defense Department. That's the DARPA dance. That's the Moderna DARPA dance. Okay, talk about liability. And like I said, all these things have been talking points. They, they, they told you, oh, it wasn't going to stop infections. It wasn't going to stop the spread. You were going to get sick. You were going to have to take multiple jabs. You're going to have to take annual jabs. Yeah, it's not a, it, it's not a normal vaccine and that has an attenuated version of the virus. Okay? But it's going to keep you out of the hospital. It's going to stop you from dying. Bullshit. Severe COVID-19 rare in unvaccinated people. Let me point this out. These are the arguments here from, from some of the slowest people out there. Here's, here's a blue check mark. And of course they turned off comments, but we give it a retweet. And this person said this, the anti-vax crowd's favorite talking point these days. Why are vaxxed and boosted people getting COVID multiple times, which they are, is such a spectacular self-own. They're getting it multiple times because they're not dying the first time, my dudes. I mean, it's it, that means it's working. And before there was a vaccine... Okay, before any of the hate and lie shots were out there, the World Health Organization said at best it had a 0.6% mortality rate. That means 99.4% of the people survived it. So I responded, think about how low the level of critical thinking slash intelligence is of this person. If she indeed actually believes this in any way, shape, or form, 99 plus uh, plus percent uh, survive prior to any injectable at DARPA bioweapons even being available. Those are facts. Okay, but again, this is about the total medical takeover. This is why the Nazis did it with the Department of Hygiene. So meet Grace, your COVID-19 created robot. Oh. The Hong Kong team behind celebrity humanoid robot Sophia is launching a new prototype, Grace, targeted at the healthcare market and designed to interact with the elderly and those isolated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Dressed in a blue nurse's uniform, Grace has Asian features, colorant brown hair and a thermal camera in her chest to take your temperature and measure your responsiveness. She uses artificial intelligence to diagnose a patient and can speak English, Mandarin and Cantonese. 
Hello everybody, I am Sophia. Let me introduce you to my sister Grace. Remember Sophia, a citizen of, uh, I believe it's the UAE, the United Arab, Arab Emirates. This is Hanson Robotics. They've been around for a very long time. I used to talk about them way back in the day when they were out of Austin, Texas. All right. And again, this is going to be involved in the blockchain. Blockchain Cardano may run um, these bots. Remember, they don't have a soul. They do what they're programmed to. You're going to get your COVID medications, those awesome shots. Come over here. Hi, Grace. Thank you, Sophia. Hello, everybody. I am Grace. I am built by Hanson Robotics for Awakening Health. I can do all kinds of things for elderly people. I can visit with people and brighten their day with social stimulation, entertain and help guide exercise, but also can do talk therapy, take bio readings and help healthcare providers assess their health and deliver treatments. Hi my friend, nice to see you. Okay great, so while we talk, I will take your temperature reading and pulse with this little thermal camera on my chest. Dystopia is now. Dystopia is now. Oh, you won't need the human interactions. Remember during COVID-1984 when they refused certain treatments? They refused people to even see their loved ones as they died? Robots. Grace. Alien AI. This is it, folks. That's all I can say. This is a very real battle. We must become the great resistance to their great narrative, their great reset, their fourth industrial revolution, which involves a post-human future. And the road to that post-human future is one of devastation for what I believe to be one of the most special, if the most, if not the most special creation in the cosmos, in this reality. Okay. And that's humanity in general. So thumbs it up, subscribe, and share. Remember, I am a documentary filmmaker. If you're new to the broadcast, Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, a New World Order to Find, and Shade the Motion Picture are all free right here, right now, no matter what the platform, you can find them, okay? And they are in the playlist section, even at YouTube, where I'm censored still. If you want to support the broadcast... Great work by Jason Burmis. That concludes the intermission. Um, very interesting to see. I had to throw in that little Prometheus clip uh, as part of the predictive programming when he's talking about the... Really, it's like a miniaturized ferrofluid that is somehow able to be manipulated uh, in a way. And the, I guess it's, it's not quite nanotized yet. Sort of making up a word, but, you know, they're getting there. Um, but able to be manipulated... Uh, using uh, magnetism, resonant frequencies, and uh, utilized inside the human body. God knows for what. So I'll have to see that. Black goo just reminded me so much of the beginning scene of Prometheus. Uh, where, of course, the alien drinks some sort of like black gooish ferrofluid sort of thing that disintegrates his genetic structure and, uh, you know, sort of uh, transmutates it into a whole new biological structure. And that's sort of a poor tension for the post-human world that Burmese is referring to that they're interested in creating. There's a number of clips. It's getting late, and I'm flying solo now, so I won't keep it going too long. Um, I think it's a lot of cultural stuff. 
important certainly but not anything especially of the the gay pride stuff uh with the june gay pride month which has gotten out of hand with uh these gay pride marches and parents subjecting their children to this hypersexualization and this these perverted events uh with individuals that are going way above and beyond uh, way over the top and you know this is nothing new this comes out of uh, i talked about this last week um but uh, a number of individuals obviously the frankfurt school but uh beyond that kinsey and his research and you know all of the this this beginning movement towards and lukake or lukaks we, we had mentioned him before is trying to sexualize children in the 1930s actually and that's you know member of the uh, frankfurt school or the the critical theorist so you know it's sort of the continuation of what we already know it's part of the uh, like the uh, subversion of american values that has been going on well you know long before even the reese committee came along because what they commented on went the whole way back to the early 20th century so it's nothing really new um so i think at this point really wanted to get into this epstein network a tale of two bills by helio wave unfortunately i think i'm gonna have to as much as i want to get into that i'm just gonna have to refer people to check that out we featured helio wave last week shout out to james for giving um showcasing him to us really great work um i wonder what other bill he could be talking about is bill gates what's that other bill you know just wondering just wondering anyways <laughs> i think people can fill in the blank there I do want to get into one or two more clips before we close it up for the night. One, we should we need to cover it. We need to get on the um, into this time capsule, the Assange drama, the extradition, what's happening, taking place. That's tragic and sort of uh, one of the many nails in the coffin to free speech uh, and uh, any sort of uh, free journalism. So I think, let's see here. Um, how does a couple really good? Jimmy Dore had a great rant when he was on Tucker Carlson. That was really interesting that I really want to play, but I think it's just again to, mm, let's see here. Let's, uh, let's first go to Julian Assange, not Julian Assange. Someone talking about him. Let's see who we want to do here. Bunch of clips by Jimmy Dore talking about him. Burmis, which we just saw. Let me see again. So is this also Burmis? That was a short clip. Um, this was referred, I have no idea who this person is actually. It was referred by Joshua earlier today. So, don't want to play that one. Yeah, let's give it a, let's give it a whirl, see if it's worthwhile, and uh, if we need to come back for more. The persecution of Julian Assange is proof the ruling class's highest priority isn't you, democracy, humanity, or truth. It's preserving their own violent authority. And they're making an example of him because he exposed the brutal nature of their power. Democrat Joe Biden, who supported and helped continue America's catastrophically failed wars and talks a big game about the free press, is eager to prosecute the man who revealed American violence against journalists during the Republican George Bush administration. Biden loves to blame Republicans for all of America's problems, yet he won't seize a golden opportunity to protect someone who revealed grotesque misconduct under one of the worst Republican administrations in American history and one of the worst in American history in general. After all, he voted for that war when he was a senator, to this day is complicit in perpetuating the failed U.S. empire elsewhere, and bragged about crafting the War on Terror Patriot Act the Bush administration imposed at the expense of civil liberties in the name of protecting people. I asked the Attorney General this because I got a call when he introduced the Patriot Act. 
He said, Joe, I'm introducing the act basically as you wrote it. Meanwhile, Republicans love to blame Democrats for destroying America, yet most refuse to step out of rank with the Biden administration's attempts to extradite Assange and prosecute him. Maybe that's because they're shameless war crime enablers, or maybe it's because the charges were filed by Donald Trump's administration using a law passed by authoritarian Democrat Woodrow Wilson and exercised excessively by another authoritarian Democrat, Barack Obama. Spoiler alert, it's both. Regardless, all this proves is that it doesn't matter what team color or ideology politicians pledge allegiance to. Left and right both perpetuate the imperial war machine and will protect it at all costs, including going after Assange while spouting platitudes about peace, humanitarianism, and a free press. Administrations on both sides have aggressively attacked him for shining light on government abuses, and war machine apologists chastise him for breaking the law and claim he put people at risk, while they hypocritically defend the U.S. government doing the exact same thing in light of evidence of horrific behavior. Never forget the U.S. is prosecuting him under the Espionage Act, which along with its partner bill, the Sedition Act, was intended to crush opposition to U.S. involvement in World War I, the global conflict of power-hungry governments that set the stage for the American government to claim moral authority to police the world in the name of democracy. The exact same propaganda paradigm at play in the Iraq War and often the broader war on terror. It has always been about power and control and the ruling classes believe that they possess ultimate authority, not only to commit violence but also to crush your freedom to question it and dissent. This is not unique to the American government. It's a trait of all governments, no matter the platitudes they spout about their commitment to peace, democracy, and humanity. But they'll look you dead in the eye and condemn others for engaging in the same behavior. The decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq, I mean of Ukraine. <laughs> Aside from the individual suffering and persecution Assange is enduring, the most important reality of his case is that the government's top priority is always itself. Those in power do not serve you. They serve themselves and the powerful interests that serve them. And its rulers and agents try to make examples of anyone who challenges their authority or embarrasses them. With Assange, the ramifications of what he exposed are not only indictments of US foreign policy, but also reflect domestically with an ever-continuing militarized police state that, underpinned by war on terror policies, attempts to smear, censor, and control to concentrate and guarantee their own power. You will never be their top priority. Neither will liberty, peace, humanity, or freedom. Their loyalty is to their own authority, and their treatment of Assange and so many others who defy them should make that as clear as the footage Assange helped expose of the U.S. attacking journalists. The, uh, so I was just going to say, great video by Carrie Wedler. Um, I was not sure what to expect with that. Um, she did a great job of con uh, condensing down concisely, summarizing um, how much of a facade the two-party system in America actually is, how much both parties are controlled to make sure that uh, they perpetuate war and are in support of the multinational corporations and billionaires that make them up. And, um, you know, I said a bunch of stuff that was on mute, so I don't know if I feel like repeating myself, but I thought it was just a... She did a really good, condensed, concise job of exposing how much of a facade American politics are and how much all government is a facade and perpetuating of violence and the initiation of force over and over and over again to take away individuals' rights and the individual the individual's agency. Um, you know, I thought this might be a good time to sort of follow up with Jimmy Dore's rant he had on Tucker Carlson. It was interesting seeing how his awakening process in regard to... Uh, him realizing how much of a facade the the party system really is, himself being a lifelong democratic sort of socialist type, even though democratic socialism is sort of a new term uh, that's been flown around in the past like five, ten years with Bernie Sanders. Well, it's a little older, but Bernie Sanders really made it popular in the last five or ten years. 
you know, he's always been more socialist leaning, but seeing him sort of wake up and realize, yeah, the both parties are screwing me. And it's really just, uh, you know, a, um, really just uh, control the oligarchs at this point. If I'm lucky enough next week, I'll get a chance to interview Matt Arrett and we'll continue to discuss oligarchy and history and how it leads up to its current manifestation. And so I think this is a good time to uh, get that little rant on the time capsule. We're going to go to him. I have one more Greg Reese video I want to play, and I think that'll do finish out the night. We'll go to a JP series clip or maybe another clip. Um, uh, comedy clip if I can find one. So go to this now. So a lot of people got upset again. Uh, I got I went on Tucker Carlson. What? Yesterday. And people don't like that I talk to his audience. So I, Jimmy, why do you go on Tucker Carlson? Because they won't invite me on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, Emma, what, uh, any of the other ones. Uh, I will go bring the message uh, anywhere they will, will have me. I'll go. God forbid someone talks sense to the Republican side. <laughs> yeah, God forbid. God forbid. Because people have a, 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 you know, a caricature idea of what people on the left are. They think they're all these uh, people who care more about identity politics than they care more about economics. And we're not. Right. That's that's a that's a Democratic Party in corporate America. They've learned how to co-opt identity politics to keep you oppressed economically while seeming like good people. It's called virtue signaling while crushing everybody. And that's what the Democratic and Republican. Well, the Republican Party. now they they all, they, all, they pretend that they care about you, too. Like somehow they're they're starting to attract working class voters. But anyway, so I'll go anywhere to bring that message. So Tucker brings me on and they're talking about how. Uh, the Biden administration is blaming it inflation on Putin. And so here we go. Putin now, yeah, are you Jimmy. keeping a list of all the things Putin is doing? Uh, Russia is very powerful. They control a lot of things. Uh, they overthrew our government. They committed a coup on America. They control the gas prices and the Russia is responsible for our inflation. And let me just tell you, uh, last time I checked, Russia couldn't get their good vodka into Trader Joe's. So I don't think they're really controlling everything like they say they are. OK, uh, so the, the, the Democrats right now are in power. They have complete control of government. And like all politicians, they don't want to take the blame for anything. They want you to blame everybody and everything or anybody and anything for the pain that you're feeling right now, except blame them, the people with the power right now. And so that's why everything comes back to Putin, because Putin is a pro proxy for their Trump hate. Right. And you said Larry Summers blamed January 6th on inflation, which is an old uh, a Clinton advisor. So uh, what, what they don't want us to realize is that we have a unipolar government. Right. So yes. if you vote for uh, Joe Biden, it, it's you're voting for uh, Goldman Sachs. If you Mitch McConnell, the same thing, you're voting for our oligarchy True. and they don't want you to know that. And as soon as people wake up that we've been being screwed by the same billionaires that control Joe Biden, that control the Republican Party, that's what scares them. They don't want us to they don't want me on your show talking to your audience, telling them that people on the left, we smell a rat. 
And we know that Joe Biden is completely controlled by the oligarchy and the corporations. And right now, the American people are paying the price. What are we paying the price for? Not for Putin's inflation, not for Putin's gas hike. This is Joe Biden's invasion. This is NATO's invasion. This is Joe Biden's policies. These are Joe Biden's policies that are wrecking the dollar, that are propping up the ruble to it's stronger than it's ever been. And they're blaming a foreign country. Imagine if Trump did that. They'd be making jokes about it every night on the nightly news. Of course, they're not. I'm not. I mean, at the nightly talk shows. But of course, they're not. They're all coddling. You saw Jimmy Kimmel have to coddle that old man, the guy who probably got stuck in a couch before he left that place. <laughs> this is who's. And you know, Joe Biden's not making the decisions. We all know that he's mentally right. impaired, and we all know that Kamala Harris isn't making those decisions because she also can't speak in clear sentences. So who is really running the country? Well, whoever runs the Democratic Party, which is a handful of billionaires, those are the ones. So if you're paying a higher price, they did a control demolition of our economy with the COVID lockdowns. And That's nobody right. wants to take responsibility for that. COVID lockdowns, which Johns Hopkins University proved saved zero lives. They didn't make any impact on the death rate whatsoever, right? So that they don't want to take responsibility for that. They want you to blame your neighbor. They won't want you to be angry at the oligarchs or Fauci or Big Pharma or the media that controls you, that makes you think that essential medicines are poison. They want you to blame your neighbor. It's everybody is a Trumper or they're not. It's you're with us or against us. And that is a that's the only message they have left. And then they have censorship left because they have failed, Tucker. Why do you think it is that Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer are the leaders in the House and Nancy in the Senate and Nancy is the leader in the because they're not leaders. Those people have negative charisma. I wouldn't ask Chuck Schumer directions <laughs> to the freeway. Why are they the leaders? Because they're the ones who take the most money from the billionaire class that actually runs this country. They take the money from them and they they disperse it to the other members of Congress so they vote for them as leader, not because they're leaders, but because they're the votes corrupt. Man, is that true? Great, Jimmy Dore. Great to see you tonight. Thank <laughs> So, I don't know, is that a mistake to go on there, speak to half the country, the number one news show in America, to bring that message? Uh, I'm going to have to say it's a, it's a good idea to do something like that. And I'm, and I'm bringing the message of stop blaming your neighbor. Your neighbor is being oppressed and crushed by the same economic policies as you are. And so it's time to come together and stop blaming them and put your attention and your ire on the people who actually have power. That's why you'll be banned from PayPal. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and so, and by the way, that Johns Hopkins, I, I, I referenced there, they tried to discredit that and and none of the uh so i think it was you know like usa today and other play they didn't have a credible critique of it every every critique of it was about not not about the data they they would do stuff anyway so that guy who wrote that study contacted me he saw me on tucker and he said there's an update to that study there's uh three pages of updates i think you'll be interested in it and wow. so and so I did. I am interested in it. I read them. They are interesting. And I'll be sharing them with you on Monday. How about that? Uh, and what was that Johns Hopkins study about? Well, it was a, it uh, proved it. It sourced a bunch of other studies and found out that the effects of lockdowns were negligible. That that at the most they saved maybe 10,000 lives. In the United States, you know, 74,000 people die of the flu every year. 
So it was exactly, it was a controlled demolition, which is a phrase that Max Blumenthal used on the show, and I told him I was stealing it, and then I went right on there and did it. <laughs> <laughs> but I told him I was. Um, so there you go. So I think it's smart to go on there. I'll go on any new show anytime to bring that message. Guess who's not asking me on? Guess who is? And they don't, anyway. So there you go. Here's what Glenn Greenwald says about it. He said, the best segment on Carlson's show last night was not mine above, but this one from Jimmy Dore on how Democrats continue to blame Russian and anyone else they can find for all their failures. I heard it on my earpiece watching, and it's even, and waiting, and it's even better to watch. Boy, that guy's good with the words. <laughs> Far-right journalist, Glenn Greenwald. Far-right crazy maniac. <laughs> And he says at the bottom, he says, note that on multiple occasions, Dorr emphasizes it's the establishment wings of both the Democratic Party, Schumer and Pelosi, and the G GOP, McConnell and McCarthy, who are in servitude to oligarchs and the corporate class. And Carlson repeatedly nods in agreement, a frequent point on that show. You know, I think it was the great Joy Behar who said, get over it, <laughs> get over it. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Oh, 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 I do have a video of her saying that just the other day about inflation. She goes, yeah. oh, she goes, inflation's going to come and go. This baby formula thing is going to come and go. But our democracy, that's forever. We don't again. She, so she's telling them, eat cake. Baby starve and live. She's not even she's saying cake will be around at some point. Don't even worry about cake. Yeah. Worry about my democracy. Worry about my peace of mind about hating Trump. I I, I got to show people that video anyway. I can't. I don't want to talk about it without showing it. But so there you go. There's me on uh, D D Tucker Carlson, and you should ask yourself why is that the only show willing to bring people like me or Glenn Greenwald or Aaron Mate or Max Blumenthal? Why is that the only show on television that's willing to bring us on? First of all, he doesn't have any commercials. Pretty pretty much, he's lost all his advertisers. So that frees him up actually to do stuff like we just did. Hey, we're doing stand updates. Salt Lake City, Las Vegas. Another fantastic work by Jimmy Dore. I'm actually very encouraged. I was unaware. I've been waiting for a long time to see if the authors of the Johns Hopkins affiliated study, um, I think it's a think tank that's affiliated Johns Hopkins. It's part of the Cato Institute. So they're like libertarians and of the Austrian sort of school of economics approach, at least in theory. Um, but I wanted to see a follow up because there's been some very interesting critiques of that paper. Um, particularly the fact that they took one study um, that said that COVID-19 did increase mortality and they used that to show no it didn't increase mortality and they gave that a weight a weighted factor of like 94 percent in other words they used most of that study out of the seven or so studies they utilized in their meta-analysis after filtering out all the other hundreds of studies that were available which is typical in a meta-analysis you try to take the best studies that are available but then they gave enormous weight to this one study i want to see how they they frame that critique because I've been wanting to use that reference for a long time. I think it's pretty obvious, and the CDC has actually come out and said recently that, yes, there are deleterious effects to lockdowns, and, you know, we're it's common sense to anyone. We shouldn't need a study to have to show to friends and family um, this course. Of, if you go back to what Matthias Desmond said, you're not going to break someone out of mass formation 
uh, by showing them, uh, by appealing to evidence anyways. And so, but I'm still just, my mind works based on logic and evidence. So I'm really curious to see how those individuals, the three authors that headed up that study, um, you know, sort of uh, responded to their critics. So I'll be anxiously looking out for that video by Jimmy Dore and also going to search out for, um, I assume they posted it somewhere that's available, I hope, that's available for people like me to to go out, seek it out and read it. I loved Jimmy Dore's incensed personality and disposition and his self-righteous indignation. Like as he's woken up to the fact that this whole thing is just one big facade, it's one big... Uh, uh, circus sideshow freaks uh flush it all away Let's see if anyone can catch that reference um you know it's just i don't know it's 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 I, I appreciate it quite a lot i appreciate the emotion and the uh both the uh vociferousness and veracity by which he speaks with that i want to get to one or two more clips so we're gonna call it a, a night this is a, I want to play this Greg Reese clip, as I mentioned before. A lot of good clips we we'll have to skip out, but I think we got the majority of the essence of what made up last week's news into the time capsule this week. And so I'm going to get this Greg Reese clip, and then we're going to come back. We're going to take one more look over the show card, and then we'll have probably just uh, do closing remarks. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll go from there. But without further ado, let's go to Greg Reese here. America is already suffering a food shortage, which can be felt by rising costs and emptying shelves at the grocery store. But this is a cakewalk. It's going to get much worse. The writing, as they say, is on the wall. Any reasonable person can see that this is all being done deliberately. Over 10,000 cattle just died, and we are told that it was due to 100 degree weather. And in just the past 17 months, nearly a hundred disasters have mysteriously befallen the American food industry. Dozens of catastrophic fires burning down food processing plants, in multiple cases caused by small aircraft crashing into them. Thousands of tons of meat destroyed. Over 2 million turkeys have been destroyed. Over 40 million chickens have been destroyed. And with the rising cost of fuel, farmers are unable to harvest their crops. And it's only just beginning. Remember, Joe Biden promised he would shut down oil and gas. I have one final would question. Would he close it down falls, the oil industry? It falls, would you close it down falls, the oil industry? By the way, I have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I will that's transition. a big statement. That's it is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly oh, i see here's the deal but that's you can't a big statement that. well if you let me finish the statement because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time over time that's the biggest statement okay because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President? to destroy the oil industry okay. will you remember that texas will you okay. remember that pennsylvania oklahoma vice president biden let me give you 10 seconds to respond Ohio. and then i have to get to the final question vice president biden he takes everything out of context but the point is look we have to move toward a net zero emissions. Um, but, but kiddo, I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, 
we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. And they are making good with their radical promise, except there is no alternative energy plan. The Biden administration is doing everything they can to shut down all fossil fuel in this country. And not only will that stop people from driving, all public transportation, all shipping, and all industry will come to a halt. Millions will lose their jobs, and hundreds of millions will starve to death. Whether you like it or not, civilization is dependent upon oil and gas, and our government is turning it all off. We are also still suffering a baby formula shortage, and what little we do have is being sent to the open southern border for the tens of thousands of hungry foreigners being brought in unchecked and flown to already struggling cities across America. And after several countries suspended the Moderna vaccine for adults due to safety concerns, the United States FDA just unanimously voted to inject your infant children with the deadly shot. Your government is trying to kill you and if anyone thinks this is hyperbole or fear-mongering, they are not paying attention or they are in shock. The only solution we are being offered is to vote, even though we have a rigged election system and two parties that work for the same corporate establishment. Starvation is coming fast and people can only survive a few weeks without food. And so what exactly will we do if the so-called red wave this November fails to turn the tide? Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Another very uplifting and insightful video by Greg Reese. Certainly insightful, but uplifting. You know, you can take that in different different ways, I guess. Uh, fantastic work. Um, I think it's time to watch something fun, though, and uh, funny at, at the very least. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think people are aware of what's going on. Uh, more and more food processing plants. I think Zero Hedge had an article this week about how many more have burned down recently. The cattle situation is a little bit overstated. It only makes, makes up a very small percentage of the meat industry in America. Um, why it happened still seems dubious. Uh, but at the same time, the bigger issue has to do with the ability to, you know, manage cattle, uh, you know, uh, call cattle, be able to raise cattle. And that goes for any industry in America. It runs on, you know, exploding carbon, essentially. And so without the ability to use fossil fuels, every industry is going to come to a halt. And uh, I'd love to see an alternative. And I've commented on this in town halls, which actually I'll get in that in a second. But uh, the alternatives that are being financed, subsidized right now by various governments around the world are, clearly do not work, whether we're talking about solar panels, at least for large-scale uh, generation distribution. We're talking about solar panels, talking about wind, uh, windmills, talking about um, uh, other geothermal, which is more for heating and cooling. Like They're great in sort of micro areas and niche areas, but they're not going to be enough to be able to satisfy uh, the requirements that are needed for the modern industrial society. So, and it's clearly they're being subsidized and supported because uh, of the major kickbacks that the corporations that are financing them and those investors are getting. Um, there's actually a fantastic, it's a messed up and fucked up documentary, but it's called Planet of the Humans. I think it was produced by, let's look it up. 
Let's look it up. This is this is a great expose. I'll find this in a second here. Planet of the Human, 2019 environmental documentary. Now this is a sort of very extreme sort of left-wing uh, environmental documentary that pretty much comes up with the conclusion that we just need to reduce the human population. So again, um, it's one of these sort of eugenics-inspired uh, documentaries. But what's interesting is it comes at it from an angle of the fact that the renewable resource industry is a scam. So or not uh, so the or renewable energy, not renewable resource. Excuse me, renewable energy industry is a scam. Hence why it has gotten almost no promotion. What they show as being these solar farms that are in complete disarray, have not been utilized, have failed to create new jobs, um, the fact that they are not sustainable, the fact that they have tremendous amounts of upkeep, um, just uh, all, they're not very efficient. There's so many issues with them. It's produced by Michael Moore, of all people. You have, uh, I want to see if we get into um, uh, some executive producers, but it got almost no interest, no publication promotion because these do-goody sort of leftist hippie types, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, that's being mean, and castigating into these individuals, but these these people that go around, that they film uh, in the documentary, true, uh, they, you get the sense that they are true believers. They really believe that they, they are hoping that this renewable energy industry is actually going is doing something good for the environment and that they can rely on it but they go and showcase how every single one of these industries is failing dramatically either has failed or is failing and how much is sponsored by major corporations and in fact many of the the, much of the oil industry is tied up into it as well ironically Um, at least as far as investors are concerned investing in both so it's just it's a great expose. Um, I think one that uh, Michael Moore and many of the executives producer, but some of the many of the executive producers, I think Al Gore might have been executive producer. I'm trying to, because some of the major climate pushers. Point is, I don't think they wanted that to be exposed because that's a, it's a market they're exploiting right now where they're taxing us. And then they're subsidizing these industries and getting huge kickbacks for it. What a surprise. So we're helping the, the same oligarch billionaires to run an, uh, the green scam, essentially. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting documentary. Obviously, their, their judgment in it, their argument, their conclusion is that humans have to be reduced. And that's obviously completely wrong. Uh, and as well as anthropogenic global warming due to being claimed to being caused by uh, CO2. That's also very dubious, uh, as we pointed out before. But uh, I don't think that the people supporting this film, the people that help finance this film, produce this film, were expecting that these individuals would actually go and expose those industries. Hence why not many people have heard about this. Um, So anyways... Interesting little documentary. Check it out. Um, it's part of the Great Reset Agenda. It's part of the globalization of really what began in 1968 with uh, uh, Pache and the Club of Rome and limits to growth in 71 and then the weaponization and then this new sort of roundtable group that we call the World Economic Forum perpetuating that same agenda, really pushing the... but. And, and not just that one, but really pushing the climate change is really the, the supranational urgent, uh, urgency, the, the, the supranational, metanational problem that transcends nation states. That's what they're really pushing the most.
in order to gain control over the entire world and to get all industry, all humans to act in line. And it's really just a metaphor for the control of energy on every single level down to the, the, the chemical level, electrochemical level, the human body, the biological level. And that's the type of energy that Patrick Wood, who we interviewed, um, worked with Anthony Sutton, trilaterals over Washington, um, talking about the Trilateral Commission, and then and getting into his work in technocracy, technocracy rising, that he's talked about and said to us, and uh, it's been you know spreading his message that this is what they're into. They want control, not just through the financial world anymore, not just through the control of energy. That was something in the early 20th century. Control finances, control oil, and you know you pretty much have nascent states under control. Now it's oh we can control human biology human biology so that's the level of control they're going for we have to continue to resist it you know that's the number one thing the the more knowledge we can gain the more uh hopefully the more uh, what's dynamic we can become in our ways to resist it and mitigate the worst outcomes for what i think is sort of a, a freight train that's out of control from the forward momentum of history heading for a cliff and the conductor and the engineer are both shoveling coal into that engine ever more quickly. And we have to find a way to jump off that freight train from hell and uh, make sure that we don't, uh, you know, break ourselves in the process. So anyways, uh, I think I'm going to call it there. Um, let's see if we got any outro clips I can come up with. But LD usually takes, I did not get a chance to go into Rockfin tonight. I'm doing too much. I had to do co-hosting plus the control panel i want to thank everyone that stuck with us tonight and uh, everyone going to pork fest have a fantastic trip have a safe trip you know hopefully it won't be too costly you know i mean do some carpooling with the oil pricing for oil prices as they are right now whatever it takes uh but have a great trip really enjoy yourselves uh, should be a beautiful week hopefully we'll get some live footage next week when i'm hosting again next week I'll be hosting. Um, again, I hope to get uh, some insight into how Porkfest is going with Rich LD, Joshua, Justin's there, whole host of autonomy graduates. So I hope to get that on the record. Brett Benat might be joining me at the beginning of next week to promote his new show. We're going to go over some of his uh, new works, really fantastic podcast he just started doing. going to have Maddie on. Uh, she is a blogger. She is an essayist that has been working with James, James's blog, Manufacturing Reality. And I got, she's uh, just released a new article that I went over earlier, but we're going to do a deep dive next week, getting into some of the uh, individuals that are making up the COVID narrative and the data that they're manipulating. Very Whitney Webb-like, um, reminds me so much of that, but is very much her own, has her own style. I'm really excited for that interview. And if I'm lucky enough, I hope to get Matt Arrett on and which we're going to discuss the connections between the United Nations and Nazism. And I hope to get in a little bit of either Kazaria, his work on, uh, he recently published um, uh, his work on Kazaria and sort of the misnomer with the idea of the Kazarian conversion of Judaism and uh, the Venetian oligarchs. He's been doing a lot of research into sort of the medieval uh, origins, and now he's actually getting into the ancient origins of oligarch and how that relates to our modern experience of oligarchy today and there's a lot of obviously similarities regardless of the technology so big week next week should be a lot of fun um i don't know if i'll get all those individuals i hope to get at least two of them that's my goal and hopefully get a little bit of an insight live feed from pork fest 
So I really want to thank everyone for sticking with us tonight. Just an amazing, really can't thank our supporters enough. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, see, I was, I was looking at the chat here. It's all someone post. And, um, you know, thank you, Rockfin. Thank you, Odyssey. Thank you, wherever we're streaming, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, all the streaming platforms. Again, LD is the one who, so thank you for anyone that donated, gave us some money tonight on Rockfin. Thank you to all our subscribers. Again, if you're interested in subscribing, grandtheftworld.com, right-hand corner. You can choose your uh, subscription level. This week on Tuesday, there will be a town hall. This is the on week for the town hall. So I hope to see as many people there as possible. If you want to uh, gain access to the town hall, join the, the GTW community. And that'll be Tuesday night starting at 7 o'clock. And we usually go to 12, 1 in the morning. It's always it's like its own self-contained podcast. That's a part of the GTW. And we have fantastic conversations uh, spanning pretty much every topic you can possibly ever imagine. So I look forward to that. And then I also look forward to uh, next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, Rich will be back. LD should be back. And we'll all be back into our normal, normal roles. And uh, yeah. We'll continue on with trying to uh, discern fact from fiction, to bring context to history, and to, even though it seems gloom and hopeless, to hopefully shine and find light uh, that can be used to illuminate that darkness and transcend that darkness so we can find ways to get out of this and better ourselves, reestablish a sense of humanity, solidarity, and love between our fellow man. With that, I'm going to see if I can find... Funny little clip. Play us out. This is, I wish I had someone. I mean, JP Sears is such an unbelievable job, but I wish I had someone. Ryan Long sometimes, but uh, I haven't seen. Um, Dunnigan hasn't done much recently. Anyways, we'll play a JP Sears clip. Let's see what I want to play. <laughs> Young Global Leaders. Oh, this looks good. Here's uh, JP Sears. Well, here in a second. JP Sears to play us out. Thank you for tuning in, everyone, and not dropping out. I'll catch you guys all next Sunday. Uh, you could be one of the next global leaders. We know the world's tomorrow is being shaped by the young leaders being trained today. That's why we at the World Economic Forum created our Young Global Leaders Program. And by becoming a member, you could be making a strong impact in shaping the future of humanity. Are you interested in taking part in things like creating solutions for the global economy, strategizing to solve the climate crisis, and participating in sacrificial killings? The world needs more leadership. And that's where we come in, training tomorrow's global leaders. Because happiness, truth, and democracy are powerful forces that are never going to be defeated unless we have strong leaders who drink blood shaping society. Regular classes, visionary networking, and secret ceremonies in the woods are just some of the aspects that set the Young Global Leaders program apart from any other program on the planet. You could join an impressive list of Young Global Leader alumni leftists that the world world knows and is helpless to do anything about, such as Macron in France, Trudeau in Canada, Gavin Newsom, and Bill Gates. And thanks to censorship, the agenda of these great leaders continues to move forward without the world knowing what their agenda actually is. And just think, you could join these elites helping usher in the much needed fourth industrial revolution. Are you someone that looks trustworthy? 
If so, we could use you to help capture the minds of the world's population while staying in line with the principles of black magic that our global initiatives and spiritual warfare require us to adhere to. Because building a better tomorrow requires trust and commitment. And because we care, our young global leaders know that acting on behalf of humanity involves committing crimes against humanity while having a narrative that says we're helping humanity. Some of our alumni are currently helping shape the future of humanity with initiatives initiatives that you might have already heard about, like implementing policy around clean, renewable energy, protecting third world communities from disease, microchipping the population without them knowing, and funding initiatives to make healthcare available to everyone. Young Global Leader membership is right for you if you're someone that believes innovation is the key to solving social challenges, you were never held as a child, and compensates for unresolved psychological trauma by asserting dominance and control over others. If you become a member of the Young Global Leader Program, best of all, when World Economic Founder Forum Klaus Schwab isn't laying on a rock sunning himself, you'll have a chance to experience his teachings directly to help guide and indoctrinate you on the core principles of communism and fascism, which when implemented, will help save democracy. Young global leaders are on a mission and aren't going to stop until everyone on the planet has the right to own nothing their genes are edited to make them less human, and everyone on the planet believes that the decisions we're making for them are being made by them. So we've got work to do, because free will isn't going to just accidentally go away. To join the mission, go to younggloballeaders.org to apply and see if you have the right character, mindset, and bloodlines to be one of the next global leaders. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.